Welcome to the Hawk Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane, and I am feeling good today. We got some fantastic news to be announcing to you today. But at the head of this, at the forefront of this show today, we're going to be doing your atypical show, but hopefully in a little bit of a different fashion than maybe most do. But it's the show that many of you are familiar with because everyone does these type of shows, and that's a training camp preview. We're going into training camp. You walk in with all of these extra players, you know, 90 players you start out with, and you go through the ups and the downs with them through the process. These guys that are especially on the back end trying to get up or the guys that are on the depth chart trying to vault themselves up into becoming a starting player, whatever the storyline may be, there's a lot of interesting parts. That's part of what makes following these teams so much fun is you're not just tracking when the player's doing well, but also the pathway and the climb that they had to getting there it's especially if you got a player who's really had to you know overcome to get to where they're get to where they're going but we're also going to do a little bit of a extra part on this as well where i'm going to try to lock in on some some laser line items here for our seattle seahawks that i would consider to be things that i'm sure the coaching staff's also probably locking into that they're also trying to get fixed and coordinated and put through right and this is in a variety of different ways so we're going to kind of be covering both of those two elements as I go through today in the training camp preview because what happens during training camp with these things uh, for instance you know if you one of the items I'm going to bring up is fly sweeps and bubble screens and getting a little bit more lateral within your run game um, as far as all everything being vertical you know you're going to start to hopefully see a little bit more of that being accommodated into the preseason games albeit there only being three of them I'll, I'll give you that but nonetheless Nonetheless, uh, these items I think will be able to tell us throughout training camp as to how the positional strength is at, how close this team is from that positional strength, from taking the steps they're taking forward to fix some things that were issues even just into last year, to then helping to, of course, push them forward to maybe becoming a certified, bona fide contender. I do want to announce, though, at the top, a couple of uh, nice little bits of news here in regards to the channel. And both of these, as much as I'm celebrating and happy about these bits of news, I, I want you guys to also know at the forefront of this, this is success is occurring because of your guys' support, how much you watch, how much you know you guys like, all that stuff that goes into those algorithms that help them determine whatever is wit. You know, has allowed me to have the sun shine on me just a little bit with the channel on this. So I uh, want to really say very proud of you guys and your support. This is really reflective of that. But I'm announcing today we've got a partnership coming together here with Underdog Fantasy. And I've been a long time in the coming looking for a partner, not because I haven't had partnership offers or that there hasn't been other people out there that have been kind of, you know, wanting to see if they want to, if I want to do it. I've been real hesitant uh, because I wanted to make sure it was something that, you know, I could like to talk about. It wasn't always often the great as talking about, you know, sack trimmers before and getting into the depths of that copy was ridiculous at times. And it just kind of soured me a little bit on the experience of partnerships, but I'm really Really uh, happy to jump on this one because I, I like um, not only the fact that I like what they're doing out there with content creators, they came in with a great offer here for the channel, but it also just goes like peanut butter and jelly as far as the fantasy football stuff does with the content and creating stuff here on YouTube. So we're going to be doing that throughout the, the course of this whole season into the next year. Underdog is going to be uh, the main sponsor on this channel at the moment. We're going to be riding with them. And so if you do click into the description section, you can actually get direct access to the link to my code, which is going to be N-E-S-T, Nest. And that will, uh, when you do put your first deposit in, they'll match it for $100, excuse me, and all of that good stuff. 
but uh, I'm very excited by this partnership. It was a real easy process working with them. Shout out to Dan out there uh, for helping me through getting through this uh, process quick because I wanted to get this kind of nailed down here before the season because once you get season, your head's down. You can't concentrate on anything else but football 24-7. But uh, thank you guys for helping make this happen because it's you guys watching all that, that this doesn't occur. I can sit here and yak to the to the nothingness and uh, no one's going to be, you know, be paying attention too much. But the fact you guys have watched much you are and we got that going um, helps this kind of happen. And as this stuff happens, just allows me to be able to do this much more with the channel as we go forward. So thank you so much to Underdog Fantasy for taking a chance on a plucky little Seahawks channel out here in the Pacific Northwest. You uh, better believe that we'll be rewarding uh, that leap of faith on your part. And uh, I will be pumping fantasy underdog fantasy this season not to mention of course i will be doing some uh, stream centric themes even maybe some certain just I'm, I'm planning around with the notion of doing kind of a saturday fantasy stream real sm you know short one it's the day before sunday you know where the injuries are going on so I, i'm thinking about playing with the notion of uh adding that a little bit to the channel so we'll take away nothing from what we were already doing i'm not pulling away from that we're only adding on here to this and making this a bigger badder experience for you and you know like the 80s way like he bad like that like we're gonna do that uh, also, I may be going on to, I think, Bleacher Report here soon and helping them out on something. So I'm, I will, I'll, I'll let you guys know. We'll be going, it'll be going on down next week. So they reached out to me as well. We'll see what's happening with that, but I'll keep you guys uh, appraised of that if I head out onto their channel and do some stuff with them. And then, uh, last bit of item before we get to training camp, we got to, we're going to get a website created here for the, uh, for the channel, but for the merch. So uh, expect within the next week or so, if not sooner, I'll probably post it out on the community board. We're going to start to have a, um, I'm going to start to have a website for the channel and it'll have a variety of different things. It's going to have a store there. You're going to have your links to all the social sites and all that other stuff. I'm also going to be this year as I'm doing my scouting breakdowns on these players throughout the course of the year, uh, rather than just holding on to myself, nobody reads it until the end of the year. I thought it would be fun to just have it as just an open blog all the way through on the website so that when you guys visit, you guys have questions about a player that I've been watching or tracking or what my notes might be on it. You can go right directly to the source at that point, check in on where I'm at on them. I might've only watched them for a highlight or a game or a couple games, but you can get a good feel at least at that point of uh, my general feel for a player. And um, I think it'll be cool as if just far as another little spot to go check things out. So we got a lot cooking and going on here at the Hawks Nest. Thank you guys. Um, for all, again, for all your sport this off season is we're just about to hit this season going downhill, 90 degree angle. There aren't no breaks. The e-brake broke off way back up around the road, way over there. And last little uh, item as well, we're going to be uh, doing, I think, a co-stream here with me. I'll be on the channel here, but next Monday, set your calendar, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm going to be going uh, up with uh, Jay, Big Jay over there at the, Jesse over there at um, uh last second sports uh, we've we've all done a bunch of different collabs between us and uh, he's the resident of course niner fan as we've had our our tete-a-tetes it's always very respectful and he's a smart guy over there and he knows his stuff and he covers uh, the niners really well but we thought it would be fun to get a little bit of a you know face off here before the start of the season being that i think we can all kind of agree no matter whether you're a niner fan or a seahawk fan that this division is going to come down to uh a or ye you know it's one of those two on this one so Wednesday, six o'clock Pacific Standard Time, we'll be pumping that out, and we'll be having a bit of a back and forth with the uh, Niner Channel. See where his head's at. See just how nervous. See just how nervous the 49er fandom might be out there at the Seahawks, who are closing in on that rearview mirror. You know, items may appear closer than they appear. You know what I'm saying? 
that's that's what's about to happen. But let's drive in today at the at the lead of things. I've uh, buried the lead enough here on the opening of this. Lord knows I'm going to be long enough in my talk getting through this stuff. I'm just so happy, man. You guys, uh, I really appreciate this. It's been just uh, awesome. Some awesome news all the way around on some things. Um, let's get to first. I'm going to go and lead out here, which is the camp battles, which I think are pretty straightforward. Most of you are going to know many of these. I think there's also some littler intricate ones within them. Uh, that are nonetheless, I think, very important. But these are the camp battles that when you're you know, locking into stories and you're reading stories and you're kind of going through things, I think that this is the stuff that you want to, you know, really, again, this is about how can I gauge training camp to bring any value out of it? Because, of course, there is that tired um, standpoint that comes from some who say, well, training camp offers nothing and anything that you try to take away from camp and da 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 da, da means nothing. And I, I think that there's an element of truth to that but it gets a little bit overstated too in the other, in the other respective, you know, it just does. So I, I held myself back from saying one of my catch, catch phrases there. I got to stop saying that, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how these break down, but these are the main battles. I think you want to look at and see if somebody's ascending, then, you know, that's going to mean probably it's going to be tougher for the other guy and cracking that lineup and you can get a, get a bit more of a fixed view on what the starting lineups are going to look like. And even more important as it pertains to the modern NFL, of course, what the rotations are going to look like. Cause it's not just about the starters. It's who's also getting the huge chunk of snaps right behind him. The first one out the gate is kind of a fun one for me because I like both of these two guys and I'm rooting for both these guys. And that's miles Adams versus Mike Morris. You have at the front and the head of this defensive line crew, your defensive end slash zero techs, you know, your Cameron Young's, your Jaron Reed's, your Draymond Jones, you know, you've got, you're going to be kind of cobbling this a little bit together with the various different bodies you're putting in there, but who's getting snaps and what I mean by this verse, I think both of these two guys end up making the roster, but who's the guy that's going to be that guy coming in to really get a good chunk of the snaps. I've been going back and, and really going into the tape of the Seahawks versus the Niners last season, partly so I can blow Jay's lit off over there at the Niners channel when we do our thing. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, but just to better understand what it's going to take to beat these guys, what it is that they're doing. You look at it, they're all 22 and just trying to, what is it they're doing? What is it that I'm seeing from them specifically that they got to us last year to the tune of us losing three times when we played them. So Mike Morris, Miles Adams, I go back in this tape and I'm watching it last night. I've got some cutups I pulled out of it. I'm eventually do a little video on Miles Adams from last year because he kind of had an underrated low key good season last year. Wasn't talked a lot about because that defensive line in general was just kind of trash at the end of the day. And, you know, it wasn't he, that he was out there splashing here, splashing there. But he he had some games where he could be somewhat close to being what you might quantify as a force, what some call a force. Now, I don't know if he's ready to ascend past that, but I did do a Miles Adams video back at the training in the last preseason game against the Cowboys last year. And I, I was, did so because in watching the 22, it tells you the tale. It doesn't, you don't tell it the tale. You're watching it and it's just showing you something and you're going, okay, I'm seeing this. Um, I'm seeing that as well. I'm seeing this over there. When I show you just these cutups from the Niners games with Miles Adams, you'd be going, my goodness. It's like almost watching a, an Aaron Donald-like presence down there. And I have to wonder with as quiet as the team and the organization has been with Miles Adams, as quiet as they've been with stacking up this crew, if uh, they don't like this kid as well, I don't think they're counting on him to become a, a guy that ascends, but they are a guy that they think this is guys in the mix. And if we end up with him as the back end guy in this roster, so be it. Um, the, the Hawks also have got the guy that they brought out of the Tennessee Titans, of course, last year, Mario Edwards Jr. on a one-year deal. 
been thinking a lot about this. I don't think that he, unless he just comes to camp and completely out of shape and not ready to go, he's pretty much a lock to make the roster as well. So that's where this does push this competition down, where you're only going to carry so many of those guys, especially when the team still needs to probably address the zero tech in some form or another, some manner or another. And uh, I hope it doesn't come down to either of these two guys in the roster. I think both of them making the roster could give you help in the rotation. Neither needs to be a starter, but as these guys could be rotational guys in there, especially if Adams can continue to take some steps forward in his game. Um, and he did look better as the year went on. And I don't think he was even, if you look at it, that badly rated by PFF when he was on the field. So uh, he's he's got a lot in his bag. He's not a one-trick pony that requires just quickness and this. And you know, he can do the hand fighting. He's got the swim move, the rip move. You know, he he can keep his hands active. And you're if you see Adams play a lot, you're going to see a lot of batted balls down at the line of scrimmage because he can really get a good feel for when the quarterback's about to throw it. Um, he's got a lot that he brings. Whereas Mike Morris is going to be a guy, of course, on the other end of this is going to be uphill battle for him. This is why I hope he can make the roster because he's not been here for a couple of years. And he is a guy now transitioning from outside to in. He played 128 snaps inside with Michigan the prior year. So he's had a, he's had a cup of coffee down here inside and he played well. I put a cut up on, on the shorts channel showing some of those snaps and how good he did look. Maybe he'll just take to it, you know, like a fish to water. But uh, if he did take a little bit of time to develop, to start to learn how to, you know, this guy's six six, right? He's got to figure out how to do the leverage stuff and get low and all that. And that, that sometimes isn't just something you're going to tap into year one. But uh, if one of these guys could ascend as well, I mean, just take the job and run with it, it would certainly settle down a lot of the worry that exists, I think, at the forefront of most Seahawks fans' worries right now as we just about enter into training camp now under a week away. And that is, is this defensive line going to be the anchor that sinks us rather than holds us in a place. And that's the remains to be seen question that kind of is holding over this thing as we hope this team can become a contender, but it should be a good battle between the two of them. Both of them uh, offer, I think kind of some similar things in what they do. I, uh, Miles is a little more compact six, three. He's going to be a little bit more naturally winning with leverage. Morris is going to get you with those long arms and some quickness He's got a little bit laterally that's going to be better than what you're going to get from guards inside that he's going to be able to hopefully win with. But this will be one of those fun battles I'm really locking into to see how it goes. Uh, next one was already one that has uh, broken out in the Seahawks fandom and caused a lot of consternation, and that is the Devin Witherspoon versus Michael Jackson. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's got, people, uh, it's got some people up in their feelings a little bit mad at the thought of Devin Witherspoon losing a top top five pick losing the starting quarterback job to Michael Jackson's son. He's not even related. That only makes it worse. It's uh, it's certainly been fun to watch this lively discussion even take place on my comment boards based on me bringing it up and talking about it a little bit. I, I And I mean that. It's fun to watch. It's, it's, it's a fun discussion. You know, does it mean if Michael Jackson wins the job that Devin Witherspoon's a you know, a failed pick and a bust at that point. I've argued, of course, that that's not the case, that that's not at all what it means. And Michael Jackson is a little bit in that camp, I feel like, Miles Adams. And there are these players that exist out there. You're you're a young guy coming out of college. You, you, you're fringe on the edge of the NFL. You want it. You're going to fight for it. You understand you don't have any more chances left. You understand that it's just, you know, one last cut and you're out the door. Say nothing of ever going out and getting yourself a big payday. And for some of those people out there that are wired the way that, that they are, that locks them into place in a way that gets them doing nothing but just all that, you know, 24-7 work and, and just 
stay on your task and just stay you know rigid with that never party and never it, they'll they'll get into that mode and uh i think that both of these guys you know have a little bit of that feeling to them to me of just like they're all ball all the time right now understanding what their situation is seeing them you know take their lengths of improvement michael jackson the previous season it played like a game played really well for us came back in last year and he had a tough task I mean, he gets sold on by a Seahawks fans and now they're looking at him as just another guy. But, you know, he was also a guy last year who had to do a lot of his work with the number one receiver aligned across from him because teams halfway into the season decided they didn't want their number one receiver going against Tariq Woolen because he might pick the thing off. So he's got to take the toughest task every week over on that side at times. And it's not often easy, especially playing this defense where you have to say you have to stay so often on the high side. You have to stay in that cover three look over there and, and really lock into that more often than not. Or in a quarter look where you're still, even quarters, you're still staying deep. Cover six, you're still going deep. You're still protecting against that deep ball at the forefront of what you're basically doing. If he's taking steps forward and he's a bit better than he was last year coming into camp now, and they Carroll said he was almost dominant in his description of him in minicamp. And Witherspoon comes in as a rookie, a young rookie, kind of still new to the position, hasn't been playing football going back years and years and years. You know, if he's not able to necessarily immediately beat out that veteran, I've made the argument many, many times here over in, in looking at the rest of the early 10 picks in the first round and that you can find other guys in similar places where you go, well, they're a first round pick. They'll definitely start here and be the centerpiece person on an offense or on a defense. But it's not always really the case in that first year like you think it was. Sometimes it works out that way where guys come in, Saquon Barkley, first year, 1,300 yards. It can happen. But other times guys come in and they need a little bit of a, a maturation process or just give them a year in a pro facility to sort of figure things out. And um, especially in, a, in the case, really the defining point between these two guys is Witherspoon's a guy who does his best stuff in man. And unless Seattle's really looking to transition to man all the time, then he's going to be kind of having to learn and train upon what he doesn't do at his best right now because the nature of this defense isn't to necessarily go to man. I'd love to see them do that, by the way. I'd be personally, I'd, I, I would applaud them if they went to more man-based concepts. But the history, the history tells us that Carroll's pretty locked in on the zone stuff. And Devin Witherspoon's admitted that's not the best part of his game. So if it, it is a win to Michael Jackson, if he does come back and build upon the performance of minicamp, I don't think Seahawks fans should tear their head, hair out and thinking that that means that Witherspoon now is a complete bust. Say nothing of the fact that your best starting three corners, if you want to include the slot cornerback, which is at 60% of the snaps in the modern NFL, is basically turned into a starter. If your best three grouping is Michael Jackson, Devin Witherspoon, and Tariq Woolen, on paper, you know that as a coaching staff leaving camp, that's all you're trying to do, isn't it? Build the best secondary. Because building the best secondary and not building to the future but building for the best secondary this year is what gets you into the potential place of now getting a little bit closer to contending, truly contending and not being a one-and-done team. Next battle is uh, Evan Brown versus Oluwutimi, the rookie out of Michigan State. Evan Brown, the free agent, picked up from Detroit. Brown played 2001. He filled in for Frank Ragnow. Frank Ragnow. I love that name. I can just say that all day. Ragnow. Uh, he filled in for Frank Ragnall with Detroit and played uh, pretty good for them in that period of time. They felt good about him. He came back last year then and slid into the right, 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 right guard role. Say that five times fast. And he did okay. He still held up pretty well. Neither season was he a blitzkrieg or taking over or being super substantial in his play. He was all right. Uh, he certainly struggled in pass protection as a right guard. John Schneider, by his comments after signing, um, 
Evan Brown really does seem to believe that he is best at his center position. So this does probably come down to the loser becomes the backup here. Oluwutimi is one of my favorite, if not my most favorite pick in the draft, especially when you want to consider value. I see a guy that easily should be able to come in come in here and start for the next six to seven years. I would The same thing that I would apply to Devin Witherspoon, I could apply to him being that it doesn't mean that necessarily if he can't come in and take those reins to start immediately, it's he's not going to here soon in the future. His coaching staff is really going to be impressed by this kid, especially with what he can do, I think, mentally in his processing and understanding of playing the position and his feel of playing the position. So much about center is not necessarily being a physically dominant persona. It's about being able to technically do the things that are sometimes little subtleties of the position that frankly showed up all over his tape. I'm really rooting for Olotimi to get to take this right over quickly. There hasn't been a lot of centers that started as a rookie under the coach Carroll in era. Um, But I think it's going to be a true battle. Evan Brown's not just going to slide in there. I think and just goes out saying that he's going to win this, win this thing. He was only paid $2.1 million. That's not substantial. I mean, that's less than half of what you paid uh, Austin Blythe last year. So it does show you that, you know, you're, you're getting a guy that's a functional. And me, I think that's why I'm a little down to Ev- on it being Evan Brown is because you're getting a little bit of the equivalency of a Phil Haynes, a right guard, where it's a guy who's functional in doing the play there. But boy, you sure would like to see the guy like an Oluwatimi come forward and give you a little bit more than that. Maybe not a lot, maybe not a lot more than that, but just a little bit more, a little bit more than that. Next battle up here is going to be Kobe Bryant versus Devin Witherspoon. If Witherspoon does kick inside, the, the tough part for him is that it's now no slip and slide right up into the slot corner, that that's where he's going to start. Kobe Bryant showed himself to be a guy who had a nose for the ball last year, playing his first time as a cornerback as a slot corner. And you can call cornerbacks the same between a slot and outside cornerback, but the smart NFL fan looks at those two positions and understands that they're a different skill set entirely, and they require two different things from the position. Uh, One's more reliant on speed. One's more reliant on quickness. You know, it, it, one, you've got to be a little bit of a kind of a dogged linebacker mentality in there. The other one, you can have a Gibbs or, a, you know, a, a Diggs from uh, from from the Cowboys, who's Trayvon Diggs, who's not necessarily wanting to do a lot of tackling. He just wants to stand back there and try to jump some routes. So it's a different skill set to be bumped inside in there. And Bryant last year to transition in there in a rookie year and hold up as well as he did. Can you remember any moments where he was really supremely beaten over the top or blew his coverage or did something that was just horribly wrong in in his setup? No. And on the other end of it, he had some real plus skills that he brought to the table. The kid had a tremendous nose for the ball. He was on a run there for a second where he was matching Tariq Woolen step for step in the turnover game, just forcing fumbles. He's got that peanut Tillman punch down pat. And he had, I think, a couple of interceptions as well that were called back due to... Um, Uh, flags, penalties, but the kid does have a nose for the ball. And then on top of that, he also showed himself to be a very, very fine blitzer when called upon coming in off the slot in those few times that the Seahawks did blitz. So he's got some things that he does bring to the table to go up against what Witherspoon's going to bring, which is of course the bouncy, quickie, twitchiness, the basically ideal build for what you would want in that slot. Those differences I just described, you want a certain build on the outside and Witherspoon at times is perhaps maybe about an inch shorter than you'd like out there. You know, maybe the arms are a half inch shorter than you'd like out there. But when you talk about his parameters, diameters, whatever, on the inside as a slot, that's where he looks pretty good. That's where you you look at him and say, okay, that's he can fit in there. I do think eventually, don't get me wrong, outside corners where his long-term place is at, and I think he'd be even a star out there. But in this first year, with the team stacked up as they are, with the cornerback room 
built up as it is with the depth it has on the outside. But guys who are now in their year three, year four, that are you guys like Tariq Wollen that's already a star and, and he is in, unless an injury comes up, he is embedded out there as that cornerback. So it's down to one position and you got a stacked unit. So it's not the worst thing if it goes this way, but again, then Witherspoon's got to beat out Kobe. And if Kobe comes in and he comes in dogged and shows that, it takes another step forward in his game and continues to show a nose for the ball and continues to be a good blitzer, well, you want to talk about the Hawk fans already losing it over Witherspoon potentially being kicked inside. Can you only imagine the reactions if he was sitting on the bench his first season? I'm not saying it's going to happen. And likely at the end of the day when this is all priced, He's got to take forward are going to be the big part of that. Uh, next battle up for me is going to be DJ Dallas. Let's flip over here to the offensive side of the ball. Well, let's, let's go first to the, the, the front running backs. This goes without saying. You have Walker, Charbonnet. I don't think it's a battle between who's going to win the starting role. Walker's got it. I think this coaching staff has an affinity for Walker. I think they're going to like Charbonnet too, but they're going to fit Charbonnet into a role. How big that role is where the verse comes in. Is Walker going to be able to go out there and get 250 touches this year? Or is he going to find himself at a sub 200 touch level because the coaching staff is starting to lean that much more on Charbonnet? Who does check a few more of the physical boxes that Coach Carroll has tended to lean towards liking in his running backs in recent years? You know, the guy that's a little closer to six foot tall, that's probably another 10, 15 pounds heavier than what you got from Walker. I think they're going to find the role for him, but uh, how good Charbonnet shows himself to be in this training camp could really, uh, you know, then dictate how many carries and touches Walker is really going to truly get. Because there's some out there that believe that Charbonnet is really going to be able to pull some carries away from Walker, um, even as much as I'm hearing from the national perspective and their view of it, which is interesting to hear. It's almost like they're not thinking Walker had a really good rookie year or something. Um, you know, it, they can't be that they think he's injured a lot. He wasn't in that respect. But uh, there's definitely a lot of a claim being handled to Charbonnet just recently in what I'm reading about, which is, is you know somewhat odd. Charbonnet will also be in this battle, though uh, I, I think it's probably going to go to one of these two guys more likely than just Charbonnet. Um, and Charbonnet could fit in to be your third down back, but I think it's such a natural fit between DJ Dallas and McIntosh that it will be more of Charbonnet occasionally mixed in there. Um, the, the ideal guy to do this is McIntosh to me. He is the perfect epitome of the modern day third down back. Uh, maybe missing a little bit of the pass pro that you would like. And if there is a crack here for me when it comes to DJ Dallas to, to take this over with, it's two different things. Number one, the guy was actually a legit runner last year and he's take, taken steps forward, especially as a hard runner going forward. He's kind of built on the skill he had coming out, which is you watch his tape coming out and you go, there's really nothing lateral with this guy. Everything is north and south. There's no cut. There's no the, there's no moves to be had. He's just going to always be going forward, but he's going to fall forward. He's going to drag people forward. He's going to still get you those extra yards, even if he's not doing it in a flashy way. And if you look at DJ Dallas, I think many would be surprised if he looked at last year, even though it's 35 attempts or something like that, hundred uh, like five 5.3 yard per average carry. And it wasn't on the back of busting an 80 yarder off a sample size of carries. If you watched him carry in and out, he was running hard. He's going to get you that five yards, six yards at times. He might not get you more than that. That's probably why there's the opening there for, for a guy like McIntosh to step in there. But that will where the battle will be come down is McIntosh's route running and pass catching enough to offset where DJ Dallas is probably going to be a little bit better as the pass pro guy. I know Dallas wasn't able to beat Homer in this realm in certain times in recent years, but let's not forget when DJ Dallas was coming out, his big claim to fame after the Seahawks drafted him, the thing that was on all the message boards, you know, he is reportedly the best blocking running back in the draft. 
We haven't had a chance to see a lot of that, but that still is the uh, the scuttlebutt when it comes to him and supposedly as a pass protector. Next bat- matchup that we've got is one of the funnest one and maybe the funnest matchup in camp to watch because everyone loves receivers. Receivers where it's at. And I think it's a three-man battle that could be very, very interesting. Um, you've got Eskridge versus Jackson Smith versus Dariq. It's a, a three-man turn. And Dariq is a guy that's going to be forgotten about a little bit about here. I think Dariq is going to make this roster. I think he's, in many ways, though he might not be your starting slot because he can play outside as well as playing inside, and even a little bit of fullback at the end of last year. I think he's making this roster. John Schneider was really high on him talking about him this offseason. But Eskridge and Jackson, with maybe Dariq coming in still, if he takes steps forward, and remember John Schneider said he thought that Dariq Young was going to take the biggest steps forward in the next season of any of the rookies that they drafted. He would take the biggest leaps forward in his game. And if he does that, if he goes out and does that, then he's in on this competition too. Jackson's going to obviously be probably the team where the team leads. He had a marvelous uh, rookie minicamp, a marvelous minicamp. Uh, rave reviews. People are are getting super hyped on him right now. You know, he's getting, you know, people are getting the Justin Jefferson-like vibes coming out of how you're hearing him being talked about before we put the pads on. And we'll see once the pads get put on, if that's going to still remain the play, remain the play. Eskridge as well, though, has not gone quietly into that good night throughout this offseason as well. You've had multiple players from DK Metcalf to Geno Smith. I think even Tyler Lockett brought up just how explosive, how different his level of quickness is on the football field. And this is where we get the matchup that's fun for me as far as the verse mode goes on this, because if we just isolate JSN and Eskridge on this one, you have, an, uh, you have two guys competing for a slot, both guys built to be only slot, only guys really. Maybe Eskridge ends up developing that part of his game, but we'll see on that, right? TBD, TBD. But you have two guys that are destined to go in the slot who each do two different things within the slot. You know, JSN is in your is your modernized approach guy that you want in the McVay offense. He has got your the the cloned elements of guys like Robert Woods or Cooper Cup, right? A little bit bigger slots that can do a little bit of something with it, the ball in their after with the ball in their hands, though not necessarily in the back of physicality, but then have really good really good catch uh, radius, uh, really good route running. Then we've got Eskridge that's on the other side. The gadget receiver, the guy that's the route running is going to be a little bit rough. The catching is going to be a little bit rough at times. But this guy with the ball in his hands, he's like a running back. And he's got that, you know, almost Tyreek level of quickness to him. So you have two different styles going head to head here for who's going to be able to guy to take that job and go and run with it. Uh, and I love it because we're going to get the best player at that point. Nobody's being handed that job. And uh, it will be interesting to see which way the coaching staff starts to lean. If Eskridge can remain healthy, of course, to, to determine this battle. If uh, JSN can remain healthy. Of course, he had that hamstring injury all through last year. So that's going to be a big part of what to monitor on this one. But that'll be one of the funner battles, I'm guessing, because I think Eskridge seems to have understood here that he's got to lock this in really quickly because I don't think that there's any guarantee he makes this roster because we talk about just a little sub camp battle that's going on here. You do still have Jake Bobo and Matt Landers coming on board here to this team as well. Um, say nothing of Tajon Lindsay. If Lindsay comes in and he's a guy who can do punt return duty stuff, you know, he comes in and does that stuff and he's healthy and Eskridge goes down. You know, even a guy like that could end up knocking him off the back of this roster just for the special teams addition he brings to play. So Eskridge has got an uphill battle this year. Jackson's likely to be the guy to win this thing out because he's just looked so good. I mean, he's been as advertised 
And you only got this guy down to the 20th realm because he was injured most of the prior year. If he goes out and puts back-to-back seasons up, he probably is a top 12 pick in last year's draft. A couple of other quick uh, little battles here. Um, Of course, anybody outside of Bobby Wagner in the linebacking core, uh, Devin Bush would appear to be the starter until Jordan Brooks can come back. Then once Jordan Brooks comes back, who's going to win that war? Who knows? Who wins that battle? Who knows? Uh, How good is Jordan at that point? How much really recovered is he now? Only very shortly removed from a torn ACL that he had pretty deep into last year. Bush probably wins it out. But then how do the backups play out here? When you go through the, when you go and you take a look at, you know, where the, um, when you go and take a look at where the backups are at on this, it's John Radigan and Nick Belur and it's, it's a little rough. It's a little rough when you look at it on the, on the surface of this, of, you know, who's going to be that guy to fill in and who isn't. So I, I'm not sure on this one, how they're going to roll with this. Um, it's going to get tight. There's certainly room here for Seahawks to go out and pick somebody else out in free agency. A guy like Jalen Smith has been rumored to maybe be connected with the Seahawks, former Dallas Cowboy, who's you know had a couple of years of really downward play from one really, really good year. Maybe they go that direction with it. I'm sure they feel like, it seems the team seems to feel like both with the middle linebacker position and the defensive line, especially the interior of the defensive line, that they can find those parts in other places and at other times, that it's not some, you know, desperate thing that they need to jump on here really quickly but who else is going to be the linebacker or something that we want to lock in we're looking for somebody to jump forward we're looking for john radigan to be like man year three everything's just come on physically i'm great and you know and he's bouncing around back there because uh it has been one of the things we don't talk about as much because the defensive line's been so narrow but the uh, middle linebacker core is a little tight as it stands right now and, and maybe there's some plan here built into this of the Jamal Adams coming down more near the box now at times, but then we still don't know what's going on really with Jamal as far as a bottom line right now. Is he really healthy? Is he really going to come back on time? I get asked a lot about Jamal and I'll tell you, just doing a little bit of looking into some of the people that have had injuries in the past that Jamal sustained here. We all go without saying, Oh yeah, he'll be back this year and back to hundred percent. But this is an injury that has costed guys um, their careers. And granted, a lot of these guys in their career costing had been occurring probably years ago when the surgery is not as good as it is maybe now, but it still is a risk. And we are still not getting any real strong confirmation with the coaching staff on that quite yet. So we'll have to see. The other battles, Derek Hall, Boye Mafe. Boye Mafe uh, was really able to find a role in his first year. This is what you want rookies to do above all else. You'd love them to have impact. You'd love them to be starters. You'd love them to be stars. But the bottom line on a rookie draft of really highs, at least in his first year, if we're going to be patient with them, Find a role. Find something that you can do to help the team this year and expand off of that. And that's what Boyamafe did. He was a very, very stout edge run defender last year, not only in setting the edge, but being able to go late, locate the ball, go find man, go make the tackle, play with a lot of, uh, he played a lot of fire on tape and watching the L22. He was a guy bouncing all over the field with them young legs, um, trying to go make a play wherever he could. And Derek Hall, you have a guy that's built in certain respects kind of similarly at, at times as Boye Mafe. And, you know, at least body style-wise, um, he's a little more of a power guy. And Mafe's got, I think, a little bit more some of that that quickness and dip to him in what he does. But can Derek unseat Boye as that early down run defender? Uchenna's going to be the starter on the one side. Who's going to be the starter on the other side? Because we can probably guess right now at this point. I'm, I'm going to take a shot in the dark that the team's probably not going to have Daryl Taylor early downs as your edge run defender. Probably not what's going to happen. So it comes down to these two guys. And if Derek Hall is going to get himself some playing time like Boye Mafe got last year, 
He's not going to have the, the route that, that Boye had, where Boye was able to slide in there because there was only Daryl Taylor, because you reached the part of the season that you had to go call upon Bruce Irvin, put the Bruce Irvin bat signal to the sky. And so there was an easier path for him to get in there and go play. Not as much now here with Derek Hall. This is the beauty of competition. This is the beauty of a team starting to get stacked a little bit stronger this year versus last season. But that will be another battle to watch. Uh, my last camp battle I want you guys to lock into is the Alton Robinson, Tyreek Smith. Who's going to be the final edge on this team? You got, much like the receiving core, and you can pretty much allot certain spots that you know how it's going to work. Uchenna Nwosu, Oye Mafe, Derek Hall, Daryl Taylor. That's four. Team's probably going to carry five. Maybe six, but you go six, you're robbing from Peter to pay Paul because you got to pull it from some other position. And what position are you going to pull that from? You're going to go in as extra edge to go a little lighter in the box with a defensive lineman? Because you have your corners kind of locked in and you have your safeties kind of locked in. And it's kind of the only place to then pull from if you want to go the extra edge. My, my feeling on this is that they're probably going to go with one of these two guys. Alden Robinson, former Syracuse guy, fifth round guy. Really had a pretty decent first year when he came in here. Last year had the injury to his knee early on, could never really quite get back. Tyreek Smith has a little bit of, I think, a hip thing that he's bouncing through. So, you know, he had the same kind of thing last year out with an injury. Both of these guys are talented. Both of these guys are better as fifth edges on a roster than probably 25 to 27 the NFL teams out there. At least this as far as this quality of a guy you have. The key being, is one or two of them actually healthy? Are they both healthy? Is it going to be a true fight between the two of them? But it's a fight to lock in on because that guy, because that guy isn't your normal, typical end of the roster edge, but a guy that if they can, for them, it's not a matter of talent. It's a matter of if they can get healthy, they might have some talent to be able to still display on the football field. Not saying any of them are, are stars in waiting, but Tyreek Smith especially was a guy viewed at Ohio State as the guy who was going to be the next one to take the torch. You had, you had uh, Bosa to, to, you know, Joey Bosa to Nick Bosa to Chase, Daniel, to Chase uh, Young to then you're going to get to this. Uh, they thought this kid was going to be the next one to come along, and it just didn't quite fully come about. But the talent is there with them, and the coaching staff does like him in the moments they've talked about him. Uh, let's go to a couple other little spots that I want to go here, which is going to be the flip side of this, which we could talk about the player battles, which I think is important. Let's talk a little bit about what the team needs to lock in on, though, as far as fixings go, as far as the continued modernization of the offense, getting this a little bit more further moved along in that respect. You know, fixing things have been kind of still long-held issues, even going back, back and other issues that have just, you know, somewhat popped up recently, or that are understandable issues, too. I'm not harping on these, but these are things that if you can work to clean up and get better over this year, will help to, again, get you to a, a little bit closer of a status of becoming elite. Uh, the first thing right out the gate is combo blocks. And combo blocks are so tricky in the NFL. And that's the tough part about this defense and offense when we look at it. And this is the part where I will have more patience for both sides of the ball because the team has taken the steps to modernize both sides where they weren't willing to do that before. And then you would fail before with an antiquated offense and... Uh, a renaissance era defense. And it didn't bring out a lot of, it was easy to see why that was going to bring a lot of great results. This certainly is going to take some time to kind of figure out how to do this stuff and get this stuff right. And the combo block is one where you, you have to time to first help your partner out with his block. 
He's going to be the main guy in the block. He's going to be that main driving force to try to keep that guy out of the ball carrier. But then you've got to just at the right time, peel off that block to get down to the second level. And, and sometimes it's, you just got to hit the guy and get down to the second level. Sometimes it's, you got to make sure the block is really pushed out of the hole and then you go down to the second level. And, and it's like, that's hard enough the first part and then getting to the second level and trying to lock in on a guy that I was watching, as I said last night, some of the Niner tape, trying to lock in on a Dre Greenlaw or a Fred Warner who are so great at slipping blocks and you're coming out there as an offensive lineman a little bit already off balance to try to get into those blocks. But here's the thing with it. It's part of really what makes this offense go is you getting those blocks late. This is not the mono mono. I got to take this guy and put, you know, Walter Jones against that Panthers defender 15 years ago where I got to put him in the dump him in the end zone 20 yards down the field and I win my block. You know, this is the, this is bam, bam, slide, dot. You know, it's all real. It's like a dance routine where it's just bing, bum, bum, ah. And you got to have it all go like that. And if one part of it's off, the play's done. And a lot of these run plays I was watching with the Niners were even at times where you would have kind of a light box. You know, the, 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 the first block would come in there and it'd be one or two failures where the first block was kind of just softly put. And he's just thinking about working to get to that second level or they're getting trying to get to the second level and the first block's kind of thrown that, that second level offensive lineman off enough where he just can't quite get, get a read on then the linebacker that he's trying to get to. But then the linebacker jumps around him, right? And you have it blocked off really well elsewhere, but it's all, it all goes to hell. It's a clean, easy tackle then for the linebacker in the hole at that point. And your, your running back has to basically make miracles happen uh, if you blow that block. So there's a little bit of that it isn't an all or nothing thing at that point because the, the theory on this goes that the combo block especially if it's at the point of attack, combo block peels off. And even if that linebacker gets around him, you've gotten a two or three yard gain because you don't have your uh, running back necessarily dancing too much back behind the hole. But you've, this is the great irony is you're going to create dancing behind the hole. If that linebacker more often than not is going to be able to get around that second level block and that running back knows it, you know, Gabe, you know, if I'm Kenneth Walker having an internal dialogue of, you know, Gabe Jackson's not getting to Fred Warner on this play. I know he's not. I've watched the tape. He, I, I've watched two games of tape or going into the playoff game and two games of tape. He hasn't laid a finger on Fred Warner. You know, I am not staying on that hole <laughs> and go, why did Walker dance so much? So uh, they got to get the combo blocks locked in a little bit better. This extends to the tight ends too, who are asked to do it as well in this, in this offense readily. And I would say all of the tight ends last year, especially in the run blocking game were everything that you could ask for. I wouldn't be picking at anything that those guys did, even Noah Fant, where it's not the best part of his game, but he was he was solid as an H-back and what he brought in that re, in that respect of things. But those combo blocks are so much beyond more just you doing your job and getting this very, this very intricate little block of timing and space and all that uh, hit just right. And when you do hit it right, of course, that's when you can get the 70, 80 yard gains. These are when the big plays can occur because You've already usually to whatever side of the field you've run by the designs of this offense and the reach block nature of this offense, you've already kind of pivoted to one side of the field of creating a numbers game. So if you can get that, that one point of attack player neutralized off the combo block, that's where you get the Kenneth Walker 60, 70 yard runs, but it's hard to pull off. It's very, very hard to pull off on the offensive side of the ball. The other offensive thing, I talked about this uh, at the kind of top of this when we discussed this, fly sweeps, bubble screens. Sean McVay last year had nothing against you offensively coming into any of those games. I mean, I don't think you had to deal with Cooper Cup last year. Robinson was neutralized. Uh, they had other injuries across the board here, there, and elsewhere. 
yet he could still come in and manufacture a run game off the back of the use of fly sweeps and not do it with an Odell Beckham or a Cooper Cup, but doing it with guys that you don't even know the name of. But because of the design of the scheme, because he's so smart of knowing when to run it, it's successful and it can oftentimes gouge a defense. And it's remained now for years an element of the Seahawks offense that they just don't utilize enough. And if you, it's, it's the real strange part of this is that if you really go and look at the number of fly sweep carries that have occurred over the last two seasons since Waldron's come here, it's probably been something that you gain over five yards of carry on when you run it. So they've had success in running it, and that's not without having a guy that can really do it. Eskridge was drafted to be that guy, but he's been broken down. Marquise Goodwin was an outside receiver that you had doing it last year. That's not really his bag. You've tried to have Tyler Lockett do it, but we all know Tyler at this point is not necessarily, he can pick his spots, but he's not necessarily going to be the most dynamic guy with the ball in his hands. And it's not DK's game as much as some people want to try to turn DK into Debo Samuel. That's not who DK is as a player. So you've not had the guy to do it. That's been part of the problem. Now you've got the guys to do it at the very least. If Eskridge is even injured and broken, you still have Jackson Smith and Jigba and you still have Derek Hill, who, Derek Young, who can absolutely do it. The team needs to lean to those two, those two guys in these plays and accommodate at least four or five of them in a game, in my opinion. Not just because they're, they're um, successful and helpful, but also because of the fact that the defenses are playing to the inside runs right now because we don't run to this outside. We're not utilizing it. You know, every week you're going to Seattle, they're not going to use bubble screens. They're not going to use fly sweeps. Um, and bubble screen kind of can sometimes accomplish it. It's a little bit of a different play. It accomplishes different stuff. But just in the nature of the fly sweep game, when you get the defense playing honest, now this is going to open back up the AB gap runs, those kind of runs that the power gap runs that Carol loves down inside. You can get those open back up, but you got to first, you got to, like Taffy, stretch the defense out first. You got to make them play honestly to the edges first. And the way you do that is lean into that fly sweep game. And I'm telling you, there's going to be like stealing, stealing candy from a baby five yards a pop every time if they run it, if not more than that, especially now that they got the guys that can do it. Hopefully, they're working on this part during camp. And this is going to be a one that we got to watch for and see in preseason because if they look to work to create it more as a forefront part of their offense this year, you should be seeing it as part of the offensive designs in preseason because it's probably one of those things hard to quite replicate on the practice field without the pads and going kind of full speed. Um, opening up the blitz game. Are we going to hear reports from people in training camp about the defense looking like they're bringing more blitz looks, like they're getting a little bit more intricate up the run, the front seven? That's something to look for here in training camp. And, the, and that's something that the common eye out there can, even some of the Seattle journalists that seem to sometimes have real, real casual eye to some of the ongoing things that are happening on the football field can see when there's, start, when there's some stuff maybe going on here where you're going to feel a little bit more pressure-based looks this year, especially when you look at it in, against a mirror of recent seasons where you haven't blitzed at all. Or I'm sure in practice they've not shown a lot of that, and so it doesn't get talked a lot about or hasn't been talked a lot about in recent years because they're, they're not doing it. So they should be hopefully showing a little bit more of that, not only because this would be the greatest way to get a, to use Jamal Adams is to try to find ways to work him in as a blitzer and not just as the guy that you put at the end of the line of scrimmage as the fifth guy in the line of at the fifth guy in the defensive line of scrimmage and go get it Jamal and then you allow offenses to slide their five man protections over to meet Jamal and he's neutralized. I'm talking about really finding ways to work him in. I think the team was going to do this last year by the way. Remember Jamal Adams got injured on a play where he was blitzing what? Not from the edge, right? He wasn't doing that thing that it ran in 2020 where it's all coming from that edge, slide protections, they all figure it out eventually. They actually had him blitzing Denver right up the middle. And uh, he nearly he nearly had Russ. Russ gave him a little bit of that 
that hula hoop hip shake thing and and got him, unfortunately, which also injured him. But I would look to see if they're going to start to pick that up a little bit. Kobe Bryant, awesome blitzer off the off the edge for you last year from the slot. And then we got Bobby Wagner returning. And you don't want to put Bobby Wagner in positions here where he's 15, 20 yards up the field covering a lot. You want him on, down as a, a weapon near the line of scrimmage, as a force near the line of scrimmage, as a guy that's just down there head hunting, hitting guys like he hit that fan who walked onto the stadium last year. Remember? Guy had the pink can and he just about like literally put him into the turf like an old cartoon where they flatten it down and you just see the guy's eyes looking back up at you after how hard he hit him. That's all you want Bobby doing down with the front seven. You don't want none of this going up the seam, trying to cover slot receivers deep and all that that type of nonsense. That's not the way to use them. So are they building in more blitzes in training camp? Are we hearing a little bit more about that starting to be brought on? Um, and you will be able to, you'll be able to figure this out quick if it is. Uh, another item that doesn't get talked a lot a bit about, but there's something that really the team hopefully is really working on hard through this training camp to fix from last year because this is a team that can put up a prolific amount of yards. I, I They put up 5,800 yards last year. The NFL record is uh, 7,400 yards. Um, they, were at pay, they were on a pace one at one point last year, 12 games into the season. They were on a pace for 6,500 yards. So this is a team that's going to stack up a chair of first downs and it's going to move a lot of chains and there's going to be a lot of infrequency when it comes to three and outs. But can they put more points on the board? Can they get it inside that red zone and bang it home? Because when you look at last year, you were 27th in red zone efficiency in the NFL. And looking back at the data on this a little bit, one of the really plus parts that you did have with Russell Wilson when he was here was throughout the majority of his time when you go back, you were uh, a good team in, in red zone efficiency. You were more often than not a top five red zone team over the last five years with when Russell Wilson was here. Um, I think you have to go back to 2016 to find a time where they weren't at least top 10. So it was something you did really well. You dropped down to 27th last year. That's a big place where this team can improve. Uh, one spot is the is the fade pulse, which I, I guess somebody told me that there was a stat where they were actually good with, with uh, Metcalf and Geno last year in that function. So maybe I'm wrong on this, but to, my eye test remembered it just being one where we tried a lot of fade balls down by the end zone, and uh, it, it just didn't work between those two guys. Um, and, I, you know, DK's maybe not the best at that in his game. Maybe that's not at the forefront of what he does, but if he could improve at that and you could lean on that, uh, that'd be great. Uh, another guy in Colby Parkinson who can be a little bit like that kind of guy too to go up and just, you know, go get it, you know, sort of dude. Then let's look at the running game. If, having Charbonnet, having a little bit more of a hammer. Uh, they always say if you want to score in the red zone, you know, what you really have to have is a, red, a running game. And when things get really tight and compacted down there, there's less room for those running backs to dance and get into space that are those type of running backs, a la a little bit of what's at the as a forefront skill for Kenneth Walker. And now you need a little bit more of those guys that are able to, you know, get skinny through the crack, drive forward, pull the pile, lean forward, extend the football touchdown, you know, and maybe they get a little bit more of that now with Charbonnet down there, but maybe some creativity as well. You know, some of what they call those uh, zipper releases down by the line of scrimmage that you get from these receivers now where the receiver starts outside and then he, he comes in motion, right? So he's coming into the line of scrimmage and then he comes back out post-snap. They call that the zipper release. I love that term, by the way. And that's something that's worked out really well. Justin Jefferson pulls that move off a lot down there. But uh, whatever you're using, creativity, fade balls to DK, a better run game, as you get down there in your short yardage situations, team definitely could could work to hem that up because they're going to put up a lot of a lot of yards. But you really want to punch it in, be at least in the top fifteen if you want to be a really good team in that uh, in, in that part of your game. 
Um, next spot to look at here would be um, finding a little bit of uh, help with the tackling game. And boy, I get asked a lot about this one too. You know, how do the Seahawks improve in tackling? And uh, I was surprised that they were actually weren't as bad as I thought they might have been last year. They were 17th last year in missed tackles, essentially. You want to put it in that kind of way. Um, but it's been a thing that we've seen that's kind of fallen away from this team in recent years. I don't think it's all Carroll or the team's fault. This is the new CBAs that have come through over the last 10 years that are more dictating and leaning towards the players not practicing as much, having as padded practice as much, doing as much tackling. And you can't work on it if you can't practice it. Um, and that's just kind of the case at this point. Some teams seem to have found a method to do it and, and get these teams get themselves able to be good tacklers at this point. Maybe it's just who you pick. A guy has good or he isn't at it. You know, he's got it or he doesn't in this day and age, whereas before maybe you could forge it a little bit with the two-a-days and just, you know, having the guy hit a tree 24-7 or something. I don't know. But it was notable in looking at the defenses that were really good last year that, that, were, the, that the, were the most revered in football-type defenses from 49ers to the Eagles to the Broncos. More often than not, they were all in the upper echelon of good tackling teams, of having the, the the least amount of percentage of missed tackles. Their percentage was the lowest. So it's something that definitely, if you want this defense to take a step forward, that's a big part right there that you could take a big step forward that, and I think you'd find a lot of improvement that would um, go off of that. One last item I think that the team wants to lock in on and look at here in this training camp that I think is going to be at the forefront defensively. Actually, I got two things here. Oh, sorry. I got a couple more things. I got three things. Um, one thing, though, I think is going to be a mainstay at the pot at this in this camp as far as you're going to hear about the defense talking about. Just, you know, the mastering the gap integrity of the defense. This gap and a half system. And I, I've talked about it a ton. I won't revisit it a bunch here, but just how much harder that is to play as a defensive lineman. This is a little bit of the equivalency to me of the combo blocks that you get on the offensive line where it's a touch thing, it's a technique thing, it's a timing thing, it's a chemistry thing, it's a continuity thing. It's all of that wrapped up into it to getting it to go right. And the Hawks were definitely a work in progress in that gap integrity last year. A lot of what was at the forefront of why this defensive line failed in the run game was, and they'll tell you this, it's, it's ad nauseum and quotes, quote after quote after quote coming from player and coach talking about this. They'll reference back to the gap integrity and just, you know, not being assignment correct. And uh, a lot of it's, it does just come down to you're responsible for a particular gap as a player. Do you handle your gap or do you not? You know, do you get pushed too far out of it or do you, you able to stay within it and attack up while still attacking upfield? That's the part that makes it a little bit tough is you got to kind of maintain your gap while still sort of attacking upfield. It, it is an attack-based defense at its core. I, I go back to, again and again, a quote uh, from Brandon Staley talking about this. And again, this is the same, at least on the defensive line, there's different defensive structures we play by than Staley does with the Chargers. But as far as the defensive line goes, just think of it in this terms of we, we, we're trying to play this similarly and what we're asking of these defensive line. He says, what we really believe in in the run game is we don't want runs that hit us directly. He told this to the Pro Football Focus College Football Podcast. Because if they hit you directly, then that means that your second and third level players are going to have to be there quickly. And so what you really want is these runs to slow down so you buy more time for the cavalry to get there. So up front, we ask our guys to be really aggressive on blocks, really physical on blocks. We try to play a gap and a half. We're still coming off the rock. We're definitely not a two-gap system at all. That would imply that we're reading and reacting. 
how do you, you know, how do you, how do you attack while still trying to hold ground for the cavalry? How do you do two things at once? I've offered, it's a tough thing, but I've also think that it's something that's, it's, this is a, these are like the, like the way their blocking style is, is progressing down the offensive side of the ball and the way this defense is progressing in this manner. These are necessities. The old ways don't work no more. You, you can work some of the old ways in, but it's got to be a smattering now. It can't be whole hog like you used to run it. And so these are necessary changes that had to occur, but this is the tricky nature of them. And when you hear the coaches talking about it, when you hear the players talking about it, because I'm sure the coaching staff is going to be in their ear in this, you're really going to hear them harping on this of just integrity, gap integrity, being in the right, being our right lanes. They'll use a different, lot of different wording for it, but it just comes back to again, again, how do I attack while still being under control? You know, how do I attack while still maintaining some ground? It, it, it doesn't sound like they go together hand in hand, but there are some really tremendous defenses that have been able to utilize this, especially in the back of this Fangio cover two shell thing that were hybridized running to some degree. Uh, two more little items here that I want to touch on. One is with Kenneth Walker, coaching staff's going to be working on him and just getting him the right balance. When to take the three yards in a cloud of dust. When can you bounce outside and try to go make a big play? That's, uh, that's going to be something that I think that they're really going to be sitting on there, um, you know, trying to press with them. And this is something that I think when you talk about Walker having the big step forward this year, why I would say, hey, if you're a, a fantasy guy, going after Walker this year is not the worst way to go. Because this is the part that you can really easily see in the player's game stepping forward uh, into year two. You come in year one into a new scheme. And them asking you to, to pick on new, to work off of different keys than maybe the type of keys you worked off in college, where maybe you were given a little more freelance. And now you're trying to work off those keys. And, and a lot of this, sometimes the, these zone schemes can kind of make these running backs feel like they're having to be robots at times. And it's how do you get to that balance of being a robot, but then still being able to go out there and riff when you want to riff. And uh, that's something that I think you can only learn with getting those opening kind of season and a half of touches in there getting through another year of training camp, another year in a weight room, another year watching your tape and, and really kind of being able to finally lock in on the details. Okay, I should have gone up here with this. I need to read this and this and lasering in on what keys you really need to lock in, making the game a little simpler. And then it gets to the bottom line that they always say, right? Second year, the, the, this is the cliche phrase you hear from every guy coming back that second year. You know, the game's slowing down. Everything was in fast forward last year. Now it's like it's in a little bit more slow motion. And uh, that's where you'll see them Walker start to, I think, say really um, come through this year and become, by the end of the year, one of the top backs in the league. I don't think he'll ever be considered the best, but one of the top ones for a couple-year period. I think Walker definitely has that uh, ceiling to his game and what he showed from that first year. But that'll be what I'm sure they're, they're trying to work on. I'm sure that's what Walker will be talking about in the press conference. Final guy I want to talk about is uh, BT Jordan. This is the pass rush specialist that the Seahawks brought in, and this is my final item in regards to this training camp preview. The Seattle Seahawks uh, got PT, PT, uh, PT, PT Barnum, uh, got BT Jordan brought in here uh, from the Michigan uh, Michigan State um, Spartans as there's was, was their sort of pass rushing coach. But he is still, even through these last couple of years, been working with NFL pro players and developing their pass rush. So he's not just giving that up. That's still a guy that, you know, helps these pass rushers out. It served as this consultant. Seattle was able to bring him over wholly. I can only imagine they, they, they threw a lot of cash or did what they did. Uh, but another move that's one of those underrated moves not many people are talking about, um, but, it, but could end up proving to be one of the most really impactful additions that you bring to this team because you're taking it from a place where I think there was some rudimentary growth from the position in recent years 
and you're now opening the door to bring a guy who's able to get the most out of guys, whereas before maybe you're getting somebody who's getting the 90%. You can get the guy that can find the 105%, and before you're working off the guy that can only get up to 90% in his. And I'm not trying to throw shade at Hurt on this. You know, the, the resume is good. He, he got elevated. Maybe, I hope this year Hurt's going to be a great defensive coordinator. But defensive line talent and guys coming forward in their pass rush repertoire and their ability to use their hands, to become technicians, to just show those steps that you would hope to take forward haven't always been there. Maybe it's just badly drafted guys and it's been just, he got to run a luck where, you know, guys like Rasheem Green and LJ Collier, there was just nothing there to work with. There was nothing there for him to build upon. That could be it. I'm not trying to paint with that type of broad brush. But the team seems to have recognized this as well to some degree to go out there and make this grab for this guy and be, be um, BT Jordan. He's not just a guy that is a, a pass rush guru out there. You know, he's he's not just, well, so some guy works with some people out there. This is your, if you guys know the offensive line, for instance, this is your equivalency to a Duke Mayweather on the offensive line. A guy that's known as an offensive line coach guru out there that works with all guys in all camps, NFL, college, and in between. Um, to get them right. So he's a guy that could have a lot of impact in here to take this place from a place that's been really an unused, one of those unused advantages of this, to get player development, get guys better year to year, especially pass rush. And pass rush is kind of an art. And the way you've got to do it is off the back of uh, making these guys detailed centric in their pass rush. You're not just simply saying, get off the line, explode, go. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And from some of the quotes that I got from Mr. Jordan, I got to feel like he's, in that same mindset and the way that he wants to train the position, which does bring me that much more confidence that he's going to, you know, take this, take this pass rush unit and maybe click it up a couple of notches. Just a uh, quote in regards to, you know, his teaching and pass rush. This is um, a quote that's straight from him. It's just the small details. So how I got into the defensive line, I was a defensive line coach at Austin P. I went back and started training back in New Orleans. Doing that, it really made me a better coach because I had to really start studying the game. I didn't have anything. I didn't have to worry about scheme and, and things like that. So I started studying the game. And being an O-lineman, I knew what would be, I, I knew what would beat me as an offensive lineman. So I went back, watched a lot of film, started working with the young guys, working with the high school guys out there, and finding a way to make those guys better. With high school guys, they're more progressional learning. There are small details with it. So it made me better as a coach because if I can coach at a, if I, because if I can coach a high school guy, I can break it down for a high school guys so that they can be the best at what they could be. It was easy for me when I started working with the NFL guys. I think I'm a little, I think I'm a little different in what I do, just how I teach the rush. I break it down. I'm a real progressive guy. Me growing up, I was a progressive learner. So I teach by detail. I do small details, small details, and then I put it all together. So when you put it all together, now they know the small details. So if they mess up that small detail, now they can correct themselves. I'm trying to make it where it's muscle memory and it's self-corrective. So if they know, uh, so they know if I didn't turn my, so they know if I didn't turn my shoulder much this time, I didn't step through this time. It's really self-corrective because we work those small details so much. Now they know how to, now they know how it feels. And I probably butchered my reading of that, but let's uh, quick unpacking of that. Every detail of the pass rush matters now. You've got to break it down from segments now. This is not the old school way of just go up there, throw a rip move, son. Try to get leverage. You know, in general nature, you're still going to tell a defensive lineman to do that, certainly. But if you're going to try to be more uh, of a master of the position, right, you're going to start trying to actually 
Go through the process of teaching them every point of it, where your hips need to be. How do you need to display? When do you need to displace your hips? When do you need to roll your hips? When do you need to try to dip, dip into your lean? You know, uh, all of these things that come and then setting up a pass rush. All these things outside of just teaching a pass rush move. You know, you're getting a guy, I think, that um, understands that and his approach is going to be more detailed centric. He said it 15 times in that one quote alone. I, I think that that leads me to believe that they're at least going to try to be a little more elaborate in their approach here. Will it bring out the results? I don't know. But as I always like to say, you got something that hasn't been going well for you in recent years. And if you look in recent years, there hasn't been a whole hell of a lot of pass rushers that have really developed during this time. Taylor got himself 10 sacks last year, which was great. Um, but he's still is just a rotational pass rush guy. He's not developed anywhere as a, as a run defender. And as well, I'm not sure that he's remarkably better and different than what he was when he walked in last year. He might be a little bit but as was it leaps forward. And I already mentioned, you got LJ Collier, you got your Rasheem Green. We can go through some other names, but there have been some guys over this last five-year period that you have drafted, even highly drafted. They haven't quite really taken those steps forward in their game. This guy's going to hopefully do it. And you've got some young pass rushers right now that need that. You've got the Derek Halls and the Boye Mafes that really could be really benefiting from this guy's tutelage and uh, may help them on the back of this jump forward and be ready to go now day one and have some kind of impact. So we will see. Those are my uh, my battles that I'm going to be locked in on here from a camp battle standpoint. These are going to be also what I'm going to look for for them to be addressing in the scheme. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be discussing this a lot when we look at preseason games. So you, I'm bringing this up now. So when we come double back this in preseason, I'm like, we're not seeing any any of the bubbles green fly sweep nature. We're not seeing any of the, the blitz game nature because you can't go into to, to the preseason and say teams don't blitz. Teams absolutely will blitz now. Teams have been blitzing for years now. That whole sacred rule of you don't blitz in the preseason is long gone. Teams are letting it loose. So let it loose. Especially if you got nobody playing because the other thing teams don't no longer do in the preseason is what? Play any of their starters. So if you got only backups in there, it's the perfect ideal time to work on this type of stuff. All the more reason we should see it if it's going to be implemented come live action. If you guys can, do me a favor. If you like what you're listening to today, please do hit that like button. I would really appreciate it. Uh, subscribe on up if you're not subscribed already. I would appreciate that as well. As, uh, we are growing just past 12,600 12, on that road to 15,000 this year. I do want to say just again, too, one more big thank you guys for helping me nail down this, uh, now down this sponsorship with Underdog. You can go to Underdog Fantasy today. Use my code NEST and they will match you up to $100 on your first deposit. Kind of a cool little deal, a little bit of extra fun to add into the NFL season when things come around. But thank you for you guys helping me nail that down. I really do appreciate it. And by next week, we will have uh, hopefully a launch of the website. So just good news all around. Just we'll hopefully keep coming. Now we just need our Seahawks to deliver one hell of a wonderful year. Uh, Megan Gock, Roger, thank you for attending. Thank you for the $10 donation. Sorry, a little late on acknowledge on these donos. Just want to get that opening out. Says, uh, she says, I have a small problem that I need your help with, 12s. Which 90s Hawks legend should I get my new throwback jersey and why? I'm thinking either Kurt Warner or Tez or a custom Aussie 12. Well, I think Kurt, Kurt by the 90s, though he's in, he was in this jersey, Warner wouldn't be bad. He was kind of done by the 90s. I think Tez is always the one that I go back to um, on that one, especially because it's a little RIP there. Well, with Tez. A little sad in that. Uh, but I would I would probably go Tez. Eugene Robinson isn't a bad one. You can find a Eugene Robinson or a Ricky Waters. All good choices, but I'd probably come back to, to Tez at the end of the day, Megan. 
That's still the solid choice. And thank you for the $10 donation. I do really appreciate it. Uh, Leland Kimball, thank you for the $5 donation, man. Appreciate you as well. He says, 12s, what's up? I'm getting twitchy waiting for some football. Throwbacks look amazing. That release video was dope featuring JSN. Yeah, shout out to the Seahawks uh, social media group. They're, um, they've been handling business throughout the offseason. They, they do good work over there. I love the stuff they release out. It gets you hyped up. They do a good job with that. Some of these teams' social media accounts, Denver Broncos, are uh, a little bit weird in their approach to things. But uh, look, the, the release video was awesome. Any of you 80s kids like me got super nostalgia watching, looking at that. I mean, that takes you right back. It just did. Uh, they got me. You got me. You know, right in the feels. But uh, the throwback jerseys are amazing. And you guys have been listening to me tell you guys this now for years, probably the point you're tired of hearing it from me. I told you, especially my the younger generation of Seahawks fans that maybe weren't alive when these jerseys were rolling before. I said it, I said it for years now that when you guys get to see these jerseys and when you get to see them on the football field, you're going to want these jerseys to be their jerseys 24-7. You're going to say, why did we ever switch off of these? They are the, they're the perfect... The perfect tapestry for the Northwest, the perfect colors, the just, it, it fits, it all fits and it looks badass. You get all of that rolled into one. Um, so the players are feeling the same way you're hearing, you're seeing them tweeting out and saying, we got to make these things full time. Why aren't, why aren't these the full time jerseys? It's, it's kind of that obvious it is. And they've been forgotten about cause they've been collecting dust in the back rooms, but these jerseys are really tight. And uh, they did a good job in the releasing of them this year. It's, it's got people really hyped up, which it should. You guys are going to love these jerseys. And you're going to be mad that you only get to see them for two games this year. That's the, that's the only part that just does truly suck. But uh, thank you, Leland, for the uh, $5 donation, man. And uh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to have to get a, a throwback jersey here. They, just, they look too good, bro. They look just too good. Saucy. Roxanne Roll has been celebrating 24 months. Thank you, Roxanne. Ro- I didn't do your Roll. Ro- ro- I got to say your name right, Roxanne. Says, I love the throwbacks. I love the silver helmet. I would love our current hawk on the silver helmet as our current official helmet. Sign me up, Roxanne. This is the thing I think almost all of us fans would be of like mine. Maybe we got to create a petition on this one or something because I feel like I've yet to hear the fan that's looked at those jerseys and not called them. Uh, like, yeah, that's kind of, that's hot. That's that, that, that will work. You know, that would, that I want to see that on my team. That's, that's the Jersey I can get behind. So I'm with you. Take off the old decal, put the new one on, keep all the colors, all the same down through. That's, that's your look right there, Roxanne. I'm, I'm with it hundred percent. I knew I would be too. I knew these jerseys I have. And I, so you can call it, you know, some nostalgia, like hopium, you know, nostalgia maybe on it, but uh, it is what it is. They're, they're just going to look good. And especially you guys don't even know once they see them on the field, especially up against those Browns uniforms, which are legit. Uh, one of the worst uniforms in pro sports. Uh, Megan, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate it. Megan she says, B just to let you know, I accidentally erased Roxanne's message. Uh, well, no worries. I've got it. It saves in my deal here. So I was able to catch Roxanne's thank you for the $5 dono, but I got over here. I got to kind of set up a little widget here that I can kind of track that's separate, even if something gets clicked out. Uh, Roxanne with another $10 donation. Roxanne, thank you for the dono and the membership uh, channel membership. Really do appreciate you on that. Uh, she says, I love the throwbacks. I love the silver helmet. I would love our current Hawk embezzled upon the silver helmet as our official helmet. Okay. So same. Sorry. So yeah, I got both your messages on there, but thank you for the double dono, both Megan and Roxanne on that. And uh, I look, I, it, it's going to look good. Everybody loves it. 
I just can't see how, and what, like, why do we got to get the, the eraser uniforms out every year? Like, we're still going to, like, that's the sad part about this. We get these uniforms and they're coming at the cost of the wolf grays because now we don't, so we're going to get the highlighter package two games a year still, you know, with the neon green thing, which some people like that, but I sure would, I'd sure go for four more throw, four throwback games total over two neons. But um, yeah, this has got to be a year at the very least, you know, at least, the very least rocks in. Let's make this a yearly thing. Give me at least two games a year with the, the throwbacks, please. Even over the Wolf Grays, because I think this is our best, our best version. Thank you for the donation, though. Appreciate y'all on that. Hope everyone's having a great night. Uh, Lazy Dog, what's up? It's good to see you, man. Uh, Megan, thanks for the congrats on the sponsorship and thanks for the donation. I feel, I'm feeling good about that today. Feels good. It's a good sponsor, too. It's going to go hand-in-hand hand with football content. I'll tell you that. William Leonard, what's up, man? Chad Hart, how you doing? Brian, Seahawks. Uh, Young Bido says the, them uh, jersey, them unis is fire. Oh, complete fire. They should, have, they should have some flames coming off of them. They, they, they almost need to add that on top. Uh, you can't hate, the, can't hate those throwbacks. It's hard. You'd have to, you'd have to be a big hater hate them. Jesse Lund, how you doing, man? It's good to, see you back in the, good to see you back in the chat. Anderson's in the house. Always good to see you too, Anderson. Says unis are clean. Hope they become the new permanent maybe next year or the year after. See, folks, I'm telling you, it's not me just saying this. Players are saying it. Fans are saying it. I mean... Right now, the ownership's sitting on uh, on a nest egg of new sold jerseys. If they were just to whip, have this out twenty four seven, so clean. Uh, AI, it's good to see you in the house, man. How you doing? He said I ordered my jersey today, number fifty four. I'm gonna have to get on my horse here pretty soon for mine too. I think they look too good, don't they? It's 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 just too good. How do you not? How do you not? I think the Hawks, Brandon, what are, what would the odds in Vegas be, uh, for you to bet on Jackson beating out Witherspoon? Wow. Good question. <sighs> I think it's hard because some of it could also be impacted by what's happening in the slot. Kobe Bryant's coming off a toe injury. Is he at hundred percent? Is he fully ready to roll? Do Seattle, does Seattle suddenly have a need in at the slot? Let's act like a dick to Hawks. Kobe Bryant's back 100% for the sake of your question being answered and me not, me not uh, uh, ducking it. Um, what I bet Jackson beats out Witherspoon. Initially, I kind of think he will. I think Witherspoon settles in as your outside corner by the maybe even very early on in the year. Maybe it's only a couple of games. But I think Jackson, if he continues to, I, I, Carroll's not a guy to just throw out empty praise like that for the hell of it. He will throw, he will hype guys up. But if he pinpoints a guy and says, this was the star of camp, this guy was pl- close to playing dominant during camp. And I'm not saying camp means a whole hell of a lot in the grand scheme of things, but we've also seen what this guy can do with the pads on. And Michael Jackson can tackle. Michael Jackson's a big guy in that respect. So when you see him stepping up in coverage in minicamp, that's the part that you're looking for in his game to step up and get better. So I wouldn't give him like huge odds. It'd be like probably 51-49 on it. But I, I do have a sense of a just leaning a little bit more in the direction of saying, yeah, I, I think it's a bit more that. Joe Mann says, Jackson also has the experience in the NFL. Spoon is still a rookie. It's a difference, right, Joe? You're a rookie versus having some years in, in the pros. There's a natural advantage to that guy who's been in the pros. 
And if it gets down close in the competition, it can be that natural advantage that ends up helping them win, win out. A lot of throwback love in the chat. Michael Myers throwing out the fire emojis too. <laughs> I love it, you guys. I love everybody's eye. I knew you guys would love this. I was like, when you people, see, when everyone sees what this, this looks like, you guys are gonna be like, please, more of this. Make it the full-time jersey. Our herbicides is we got the Eagles number. They got a couple of running backs that can't stay healthy. Wick means uh, they're they're going to try and pass. Good luck with that, Eagles. Eagles are in a tough position uh, in that respect. Yeah, they've got a they've got a run, and that they're definitely sitting on the back. With the, to your point of that, DeAndre Swift and uh, Rashad Penny have been your poster boys for recent high drafted running backs that are constantly. Injured, very talented, very productive when they're on the field in the the limited time they can get on the field, but they are definitely not uh, able to stay healthy all the time, and that's that doesn't make it easy for them. Um, they have Gainwell there, I think, still too, right? And they know they lost Miles Sanders to Carolina, but I think they do still have at least Gainwell there, um, who's a he's a whatever, right? He, he can he can hold up. The line is really good still. That's something that helps them win the day there, Herbicide, but. Yeah, I think there's a place where you can get after the Eagles this year. And if you can force them into a position where they can't just lean on the run game to dictate the action to you and that you lean into making them throw, which is like what you're trying, what you're talking about with Hertz, you make Hertz have to throw the full route tree where he's not dinking and dunking and they're kind of hiding his arm a little bit. Now, that's where you're going to be able to, to slow down and stop that Eagles offense. That herbicide and keeping him out of third and ones, right? Those two things. You like our chance against the Bengals too? I want them a little more reticent on. I'm with you on the Eagles one at home, but the Bengals on the road one 10 a.m. A little, I'm struggling with that one. Struggling. I think the Hawks, yeah, I want to see Olu and Bradford double team Aaron Donald. Be fun if we could finally neutralize that guy. Not sure it's possible though, Sai. Yeah, I'm not sure it is either. We'll see where he is after a year off of football. Um, Seahawks have also been pretty hesitant in the past to commit to running double teams on Aaron Donald. They'll run some during the course of the game, but they do not commit to it as a 24-7 strategy over a course of a game. So whoever's out there kind of blocking on their own has got to pull it off. Uh, you did mention one other battle I didn't bring up, which is the Haynes-Bradford battle. Um, Haynes being the guy that you're, he's giving you the marginal performance out there, right guard. Can Bradford and his rookie year overcome that with the better physical profile, the more athletic physical profile? Um, that part will be another interesting battle to watch in camp. But yeah, the Hawks have just never been willing to really go down that road addicted where they, they put the two blockers on Donald. I, I don't know if it's just we want to do what we do and that we don't see, but I've never quite understand it because he's had whole games that he's wrecked of ours because of that lack of commitment to double teaming him. Doesn't sometimes add up. We'll see what they do this year. Of course, he was out both games last year, so we didn't have to face him. Herbazide says Kobe had a rough couple of games, but after that, he looked good to me. He's good at punching the ball out. He's got that peanut Tillman punch, that's for sure. And your eyes matched up to what my eyes saw. It's a little bit rough early going. He is 6'1", sometimes going up against these Rondale White, you know, Rondale types. Is it Rondale White, Rondale something? The kid out of Arizona, you know, it's 5'7", runs a 4'3", or whatever. And it's a little bit tougher on that. Twi little twitchy little guys down there on the inside. It's it's uphill for him at points. But he did show, he's a football player to me here beside. You know, he's willing to get in there and tackle. He'll he'll try to punch that ball out. He's got a good nose for the ball. I think he'll even pick off a couple passes into this year if he does play as a starter again in that slot. Um, and a blitzer. So just good all-around football player. Like having him on the team. I don't know that he's not necessarily 
going to eventually be at his best, maybe playing on the outside. But uh, I'm glad we got him. And I love the depth we got on this team at corner, man. Yeah, Joe Montana signing autographs, the local Goodwill. No, I'm just kidding. I think he was at Walmart. Really? Dang. A signing at what? That's got to be, that can't be right. That can't be right. Herbicide, if Jamal doesn't play most of the year, that could be his last year. Don't think we keep him around next year, and I don't see another team picking him up. Yeah, I I don't. That injury is devastating one, and it's taken down a lot of guys. And uh, the fact that we just haven't heard more information on it either, and it's been so quiet a little bit, has you know, that's a little worrisome. But camp's wearing, camp's coming down within a week, you know. We're going to learn very quickly of where his status is at. And if they're just like, well, he's on the pup. He's going to be in there for the next month and month or so. It's like, oof. That'll definitely tell us something pretty clearly about where it's at. John Lee is potentially the best running backs room in the league. I think very much potentially. Certainly to be able to stack at four deep. But this should be a running back room that can pull easily, I think, or at least close to well over 2,000 yards on the ground. You can definitely see how I could break out, you know, 1,300 yards, 1,400 yards from Walker. You get 600 from Charbonnet and another couple hundred from Dallas and McIntosh. That'd be a hell of a ground game. Run down says Wolf Gray was the Hawks' best look. Action, yellow is whack. What the F? Uh, I'm, me and the chat are completely on the same page tonight in every way. Loving the new, loving the throwbacks. And hating the fact that the throwbacks have to come at the sacrifice of Wolf Gray. We're in Indiana Jones too. And the priest has just ripped the heart out of the Wolf Gray uniforms. And it's about to go now into the lava pit. And we're all wondering why. Why couldn't it be those damn action magic marker burn my eyes out with the brightness of your color uniforms instead? Dear God, why? Liam Alan Cheryls says, I'm a little late to the stream, but congratulations on the various channel expansion. It's well-deserved. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it, Liam. We're having a hell of a run here through this off season. I'm Jack to the nines for this team this season. Jack for the channel. Um, you know, we're accomplishing and, and, and starting to titch out a lot of boxes of things I've been wanting to get accomplished around this channel long-term. So it's, uh, it's a great day here for the Hawks Nest. We're rolling along singing a song, you know? Herbicide, is Brandon video and voice not synced up? Uh-oh. Hopefully not. Sync is off. Uh-oh. I had a, uh, so if the sync's off, sorry about that, guys. I had a, um, uh, we had a video driver update today. I wouldn't be surprised if it threw it off a little bit. Maybe try a refresh uh, on the deal on it and see if that does it. But yeah, it might have. It might have desynced me on this. Sometimes it's done this when I've had to do those drivers and you have to do those updates because it messes up your stream if you don't have it rolling. So that, that this sucks. I'd love to refresh it, but it won't uh, let me refresh. I tested before I went live and everything was good, but sometimes it can go weird. Mark Robert Cornette in the chat. What's up, man? It's good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Having a good day. 
Barry Satoro, thank you for being a member of the channel. He has been one for a long 23 months. It says throwbacks and Tate, by, uh, throwbacks and Tate burying three the same week. Hashtag joy. Yeah, yeah, there was a uh, Golden Tate definitely gave a very good interview out there. KJ Wright continues to uh, kill it from his end of things, um, which is awesome to see. I love to see uh, KJ getting on here and just he has a plan of attack, knows what he's going to do on this on the channel. He's not just, you know, just do a channel and just say stuff. Like they're, they're covering some great ground to cover and um, all the interviews have been top notch, every single one of them. But uh, the Golden Tate one was really good. We finally got the final, we finally got, you know, some denial from Golden, which was good on the whole affair rumor thing. So he denied it pretty, pretty uh, thoroughly on this one. And that was good to see because it sometimes has been a quiet thing that it's like the evil we do not speak about. Um, so that is a good, that was a good part of it. Like to see that from him. Um, he also, his description and his looking at his time. And I thought he showed a lot of wisdom in his view of, the, the, the history through here and his growth and coming to Seattle and kind of just, you know, you know, maturing like we all would through being a young man, coming to a place like this, doing that, you know, the journey anyone would have, they're going through it. Um, but not everyone's open about that process and, and, you know, what they had to do, you know, him being a former running back and not really knowing what to do with the receiver position, having to get better at the details, get better at the deal of this. Um, so it was good to hear. It's, it's why I think a lot of these athletes, you know, need to do more of these interviews, former or former NFL guys, especially. Um, I know I've tried to bang the drum on these guys and they're hard to reel in. And it's like, people want to know your story um, all the way around. You know, it's interesting. And and uh, it's all out of respect at the end of the day. But yeah, it was a good, great interview, man. It was great, Barry. I liked it. And yeah, definitely, uh, definitely even KJ chimed in that there was like three some days got to do a lot of apologizing. And there's a lot of hinting at something there with Russell being... You know, we come back to again with some of the former players like, you know, there's there's some there is some little axes being grinded there, whether right or not, whether true or not. It's being grinded. You know, uh, Megan, thank you for another five dollar donation. I do appreciate all the donations. She says, can't stand the neon green. They induce migraines in me, even on TV. I don't like them either. It's, it's like, you know, I know I, I, they're too much. It's way too much. It's way too bright. It's not cool looking. It's, it, it is not fearsome looking. I mean, that's the thing is uniforms used to be about like, it kind of look a little fearsome if you can, you know, you're not gonna look fearsome with a highlighter green head to toe. You know, you look like you're, you're in your pajamas and you're ready for bed. That's what you look like. We gotta, we gotta put those ones to bed. We really do. We really do. Oh, uh, oh, Dwyer. With a $25 donation. Man, O'Dwyer09, thank you for the big $25 donation. That is very, very kind of you, man. Very kind of you. He says, congratulations on the new sponsorship, Brandon. Apologies for not being around much for the live shows the last two months. I've been busy flying back home for weddings, work, so the time difference has been rough. Oh, no worries, O'Dwyer. And thank you, man, for the big $25 donation. That is very, very, very kind of you. I really appreciate all of the support to the channel and... It's usually the off season at that point, O'Dwyer, you know, there's always an expectation understanding from my part that, uh, you know, you're going to see a little bit of the audience fall away. Every content creator in the, 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 these kind of markets kind of deals with that a little bit. 
um, which I don't mind. It's, it, it goes up and down, but we know every year we get bigger highs and more viewers and things sustain out a little bit longer. And, you know, we still had a lot of viewership on the other end. So whether you got to bounce in or out, or you're here for a couple months or just during the season, or, you know, something comes up because life does come up, especially in these day and age with all that's going on. It's, I just appreciate you watching, subscribing, hell, in your case today, donating with a big $25 donation. You're doing more, more than I could ever ask on the support, just doing that. So man, Stuff comes up. No worries at all, man. Just, you always know I'll be here. And uh, thank you for the congrats on the sponsorship too. I'm really proud of this one. I really am happy with this one. I think this is going to be a, uh, a perfect fit for this channel and for football content. So getting them in and being able to roll with this is, uh, you know, just been, it, it's awesome. And yeah, if you guys don't understand, if you're just kind of late to the stream now, we got a new sponsorship with underdog fantasy. Use my code NEST. They'll match up to hundred dollars on your first donation. If you should do that, uh, but uh, thank you out there to Underdog for taking good care. Nitro Hawks says, I'm so hyped for the Seahawks throwback jerseys, especially since I wasn't old enough to watch them live. You're going to love them, man. You're going to absolutely love them. O'Dwyer, thank you again for that 25. Don't know, man. Thank you for all your support. I believe you're a member of the channel as well. Thank you for that. Roxanne with a $5 donation. Thank you, Roxanne, for another don't know as well. She says, I want a Paul Scancy number 82 throwback jersey. He was a Peninsula High School grad in Purdy, Washington. My high school, when I lived in the Pacific Northwest school mascot, the Seahawks. He was always destined to be a Seahawk. And uh, I used to, I remember when I was younger, Roxanne, I would have times because this was before high definition TV. So when you watch the TV, especially if you're watching it on rabbit ears, trying to get the sh 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 signal, right? And uh, you'd be trying to get the game in. And uh, you sometimes couldn't tell the jerseys because the guys were the same size between Scancy and Largent. But uh, Scancy, also a UW guy, went there too as well. Uh, Roxanne, truly a Northwest guy as Paul, um, with one of the great catches in Seahawks history against the Kansas City Chiefs. So, I mean, almost for that reason alone, that's, you know, he's, he's earned a potential buying of throwback jersey, you know. Kind of a nod to that, that moment a little bit almost, Roxanne, you know, if you do. And that's one of those, that's one of those things like when you walk out around that Jersey, then, you know, only the real ones will know, you know, only the real Hawk fans will, will know on that. Like Kansas city, 1990, you know, that's all they'll say to you, Roxanne. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah, yep. But uh, thank you for the donation. I appreciate you. Roscoe. Thank you for subscribing to the channel, Roscoe. Welcome aboard the Hawks nest. If you guys do have a try issue with the audio, try just to refresh on the stream. That might fix it. Rumbler in the house. What's up, Rumbler? How you doing, man? Stuart S says, some of the best Seahawks analysis available right here. Oh, Stuart, you're very kind for saying that, man. I really do appreciate that. I love what I do, and I'm I'm so hyped up for this season, so hyped up for this team, but you guys make this experience for me just amazing all the way around, every which way, every which way, from the support, encouragement, and uh, you know, the thing that stands out to me above all with this, Stuart, that I keep coming back to, uh, along with always this growth that we just get to enjoy here, is that it's been there since day one. You know, you guys, I've when I was at five subscribers, there were people in here with that, with that same energy, with that same, hey, you know, we're, you're rolling, stay with it. You're on track. We're on track. Let's roll. So appreciate you, man. It's part of what helps you, helps those guys through in those early ages. I'm, I'm sure Rumbler's going through this right now with his podcast he's got going. Is that early days going through those encouraging words and 
Pressing people on in that manner goes a long way. You'd be surprised. You would be surprised. Herbicide says, I like the old logo better too, the Seahawk. I wouldn't turn it down. I wouldn't kick it out of bed. Shotley, uh, Percy Harbin type for fly sweeps. That's kind of what you got in Eskridge. I mean, Eskridge is not as, I don't think he's as purely fast as Harbin, but he's, he's built very similar to the way Harbin was built. Um, but that's, it's like the Debo Samuel guy. You need the guy that can be a receiver, but then can turn into a running back when you put the ball in his hands. And uh, that means running with a little bit of that purpose behind your pads with an ability to kind of maybe fight through. If you get an arm tackle on a guy that's trying to dive in to just try to break, you can fight through that arm tackle and then you're free. You know, it's, it's a certain type of guy that can do it. Like with Tyler, it's, you know, if you get a hand on Tyler, you're taking him to the ground. You know, one arm, he's getting down to the ground. He's not fighting through in that way. But yeah, that's the type of guy you need. Jacob says, now only the question is, which jersey should I get? There's so many options. So many options. I've been kind of leaning towards uh, easily a little bit. I've been thinking about that one. Or get a, or get a Metcalf one. We're going modern. Wagner, not a bad choice though either. Yeah, we got th- I got to think it through. I thought I knew which one I was going to lean to, but now I'm, 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 I'm waffling. Megan says, is it me 12s or do the throwbacks look like the 80s uh, Mitchell and Ness jerseys? I have five of them, four Largens and one Zorn and love them. They do kind of got a flavor to that, Megan. The shoes are good too. You guys seen the shoes? Those sh- the shoes are pretty tight that they got in tandem with them. They thought, they thought the whole package through on that one. A lazy dog says, not everyone has hit that thumbs up. Are you missing a finger? And lazy dog's right. Doesn't cost you nothing. Helps this channel out tremendously. Slap that like button if you could. I would really appreciate it. Does help this channel accomplish the growth it's been able to accomplish when you guys do that. And I really do appreciate it. You'll sleep better tonight if you hit that like button. You'll sleep right through the night. You'll wake up the next day. You'll be fresh and ready. Double R says, I'm not a Seahawks fan, but I did hit the like button. Double R, you're a Seahawks fan in my heart. You're a Seahawks fan in my heart. What's up, Alan? Alan in the house, space in the house. Good to see you guys. Uh, sorry if we uh, got the audio in and out. Unfortunately, there's no real way to correct this if I am live right again, like I am now outside of me. Simply, uh, outside of me, simply, um, ending the stream and going back live. So I'm sorry it's a little bit off, but we'll have to kind of just suffer through with a little bit today on this one because it randomly comes up. It's not an issue I can troubleshoot. And it, I think it came up. I had a I had a video driver update I had to do today. So it sort of banged me. I, I knew it was. I restarted everything and I did a record to see if make sure everything was right. But, you know, technology. It sucks. Herbert Zad says, do you think Lynn Hurd's job is on the line if our run D sucks again this year? Maybe Herbert One thing I've always wondered about this is it's how many patsies can you clear before somebody starts to go to the source? And I'm not saying I'm not happy with the job Carroll's doing and, and I don't, that he can't still be a successful coach in this league or any of that stuff. But like the last three hires have come from within house. I mean, you know, and they've, now they would have failed. You know, how can you trust in him to find the guy that's the right guy at that point? 
If not, maybe pulling back on the thread on this one to get to the point where you go, well, the reason that this is occurring is because of the fact that you're not really letting a new coordinator come in and just run his stuff. You still want to run your defense to some degree. You still want hybridization, even when you bring on the change of a different entire defense. And uh, that's more, that's the more, more important part, I think, herbicide to this equation than bringing in a different defensive coordinator because we just get back into that role of another potential patsy. Seattle 808, Seattle uh, 808 says, personally, I want them to just switch back to the throwback jerseys. I'm telling you, it's like 99.9% of the fans, Seattle 808, are going to feel this very same way. And I promise you, I'm not even down through the rest of my comments yet. That's probably going to be the common denominator you're going to see in this comments by a wide margin. Everybody would love to see this, and me included. I'm right there with you. Right there with you. Greg Kemp says, just use Kenny McIntosh on fly sweeps. He's a running back, so he uses he's used to the hits and his hands experience playing that wide receiver to be a legitimate threat and use uh, to be and used to being put in motion. No need to overthink fly sweeps. I'm with it, Greg. And you know what, man? It's a great idea. I'm not picky with that. When it comes down to it for me, I want to more as just an experiment on this offense to see an offense built in with a with a dedication to the fly sweep game, be it McIntosh, be it Eskridge, be it JSN whoever they want to put down there, but just commit to it. Commit to every game. We're going to run four or five of these every game. And we're going to get to the end of the season and we're going to have 100 attempts under our belt. And if we've gained 550, 600 yards on those 100 attempts, that is a great way to utilize that part of the game. You're going to free other stuff inside, in my opinion, if you do that. You're, going to make, you're making defenses play, play you more true, I think, if you do that. But... Do they or not? Are they, you know, it's, is it just something we're talking in theory or we're going to actually, you know, really truly see? Stuart, I think it would be cool if they had updated the silver helmets with the current helmets logo. I would have been good with that. That was Roxanne was saying that too, Stuart. I think that'd be a great idea. I'm all, I'm all bored that one. Roxanne says, Chris Warren. Yeah, you could do Warren. Warren wouldn't be wrong. I don't feel like the right kind of, I mean, Warren feels good, but I don't, you know. I don't know. It's good. Lose with me on the Kenny easily. I think I'm, I'm, think I'm easily or Metcalf on this one. I'm either going old school or I'm going, I'm going with the new. Uh, F14 Bombcat, if Bill Belichick left the Patriots, it would break world headline news. Uh, it would be big. It certainly would be big. And there's scuttlebutt that Belichick's going into the season of a prove-it year. And there's a good chance I could see Belichick coming into the season being like, oh, you know, we don't have the talent. We're not going to do that. I, don't, I just don't have it. I'm, I'm going to want to wait on this. So I'm just going to retire. Just call day. But uh, the, the heat is maybe for the first time in his entire tenure there with New England. Truly a little bit on the back of uh, Belichick as it stands coming into this year. He ends up riding fourth place. Could be a bit of an issue. A bit of a problem. Stewart says, one of the funniest uniform takes to me was when two teams wearing color rush uniforms, one was ketchup and the other was mustard yellow played each other, and someone dubbed it the condiment bowl. 
<laughs> yeah, I was I think the Rams and the Chiefs, I think. And it's it's not a good look by the I know what the NFL's going for, but and maybe the young audience loves it. And maybe I'm not the right audience, you know. But I look at it and I'm like, Ugh. Everybody says, I like the Browns jersey for all the wrong reasons. So ugly. It's so ugly. It's so bad. It's like that. That would be the final option you'd go. That should have been like the final option. They said, no. Mm -mm. We can do better than this. Here's our design. It's, uh, it's dark orange. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just dark orange. Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, um, we're called the Browns. You know that, right? Uh-huh. But it's dark orange. Yeah. Okay. And no uh, logo? No? No logo? Nothing Cleveland-based, perhaps, that you could uh brought in? Well, you, you called the Browns. Yeah, but you drew an effing orange. Whoa. It's dark orange. It's kind of a brown. No, it's not. No, not at all, actually. It, it, the whole way I, I picture how that conversation went to eventually arrive at that, and I go, how did, how did a group of, of people in a room come to the conclusion? That's, that's the... And, uh, and still continue to come down. Well, it's legacy now. Can't change its legacy. Is it? Is it really? Are we sure? Jacob, also not a fan of the highlighter uniforms. I'm glad I'm not it. Moon Lambo, Seahawks are going to need Jesus when they win five Super Bowls over the next 10 years. Maybe so. <laughs> Jacob, I've always wondered, do players get royalties or something for their uniforms being sold? No. No, 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 no. The, uh, that goes back to the owners and they have re revenue sharing. They all get to split it. Unless they've got some weird thing they're trying to get around with like Daniel Snyder or something, right? Herbicide, I like the creamsicle, old school Bucks jersey logo thing they had going. I like that one. That's a tight look. I like the powder blues on the uh, Chargers too. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Joe Manning says, I got tickets for the Browns game. I'm Jelly Man. It's going to be a good game. Oh, it's going to be a tough game too. The Browns are uh, potentially going to be, if, if what they're building kind of offensively um, holds true, they could be a real tough team to deal with good offensive line and if uh, Watson shakes off the rust kind of re reverts back to the player he used to be a little bit definitely could be a problem Drew Blanick says the throwbacks might be the best looking jerseys ever the colors are perfect perfect Drew it's perfect it's this is Pacific Northwest you look at that jersey and you go this is a team of the Pacific Northwest you go yeah duh that's uh, it's perfect so it'd be like it'd be like you know, I don't know, a team in the sun wearing, you know, a team down in the south in the in desert wearing like, you know, yellowish colors or bright, real bright colors or something. Like it's, it's, it just works for the area. And Jersey's got to kind of, I think, fit to the region a little bit. Space says, which one would you choose from the throwback, Marshawn or Cam? Having Lynch on, I, I think Lynch would probably be the one I'd go to. Like them both though. Mark, thank you for reminding me of that. The hitting the like and the subbing up. Kind of you to do that. Vashon King says, love the content, dude. You're the man. Thank you, Vashon. I'm having a lot of fun, man. And we're going to just keep it uh, pumped out here. We're going to keep it going. 
And it's going to, as we start ramping up in this season, you guys are going to be seeing a lot, a lot of me. Get ready. Get ready. Man wreaks havoc on YouTube with too many streams. Wait till they get a load of me. Alan, I'm going to miss the Wolf Grays. R.I.P. R.I.P. Jeff Kerouac, the buzz around this team is unreal. You would think that we're Super Bowl favorites. Teams don't tend to see whether they, I think you're right, Jeff, and that, that the hype train's starting to roll a little bit with this one for sure. Um, I think that uh, we all got to be ready to be patient with this team because they could reach that, that point this year where they just find their legs in that fashion or it could take another year to kind of, uh, uh, another year of growth, get rookies into second year, second year guys into third year. But uh, what's happened here, I think, Jeff, is that you have people also kind of starting to come more to the understanding of you have a Hawk team that's rebuilt this thing and they were able to rebuild this by super injecting it with a lot of draft picks by having a trade that they're going to come out on the other side of it and appear to be just behind the Dallas Cowboys is the best all-time trade returns. And I, this is not from a local perspective, I think, Jeff. This is the national perspective that starts to look at it and view it this way, especially if Russell continues to erode a little bit as a player, which I'm not sure is necessarily going to happen. But whether he reclaims the fame or not, the assets that they've gotten back in return to build this thing up, to, to have not just now some burgeoning star power and talent potential there, but the depth now being built within it on top of it. I think that's what they look at and they go, oh, they had, they got Jackson, you know, they picked Jackson Smith 20th and that's their third receiver now. No, he's going to come in as their slot. You know, not, not many, that that's moves that teams tend to be able to make that are kind of more high on the hog and rolling a little bit. And so I think there's some math being done a little bit nationally when looking at the Hawks a bit that, when you look at really the full roster, when you don't just get locked in on the star power, but look at from stem to stern this vessel and what it's bringing to the table and then walking away from it going, man, that's pretty pretty built crew over there. That's hard to, hard to get around. And they would be right. Furlack has been a member of the Hawks Nest for 15 long months and I really do appreciate all that support, Furlack. Be going and uh, doing a channel for the members of the channel tomorrow. We'll be on five o'clock Pacific Standard Time over there. So be on the lookout on your community post board for that, as uh, we'll be doing a, a show tomorrow. But Furlex has super stoked to order that throwback with Wagner number fifty-four. If you're going to order one, who are you getting? Uh, who are you getting? That video they put out with JSN was exciting for the reveal. Oh, it was a great, great little video. Very inventive. I love imagination, and they brought some imagination to play on that one. It's not just some tired you know, meme that they were trying to tap into. They kind of went for a whole kind of feel there. And I dig that. I dig that about the the, the media on this one. But uh, I'm, I'm leaning to either Easley or DK. I've got kind of the largent already old jersey going on. So I probably need to go with maybe a modern player. But Metcalf is the one I'm kind of leaning towards. He's kind of my, as it stands right now, my favorite current player. And a guy that I feel like is is still ascending, and the story's not going to be is not fully set on what DK is going to be, or or you know how how he's going to be viewed from a historical standpoint at the receiver position here, uh, both uh, in Seattle and nationally. Why? So probably Metcalf was the guy to go on that, and and easily on the other side of it would be the guy to lean towards. Um, another guy that needs to get more love at times from Seahawks fandom for how good he was, you know, for lack. But you can't go wrong with Wagner. Ain't nothing wrong with Magner. Going Wagner. I mean, that's a, a fantastic selection and a guy that's 
earned the right to have a jersey bought after him. As we were looking at this offseason, you know, he easily has claim, I think, to being a right up near a top five all-time middle linebacker in this sport. You could make a strong argument. If not that, sixth, seventh as his lowest. Wu-Tang Financial, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate it. And for like, thank you for that uh, 15 long months of uh, your membership and support. Uh, Wu-Tang, thank you for your fiver. He says, already put in an order for my B-Wags throwback jersey. Ready for this season already. Uh, the Seahawks shop is going to make a uh, Scrooge McDuck vault bank of money off the back of these throwback jerseys. The appetite was out there, was very wet for this one, where it's like people were clamoring for this jersey for, I, I, it's got to be at least a decade now long, um, that people have been asking and saying, God, why can't we get these throwbacks? Like, let's get this going. So... There's a lot of people with this one, with their with their dollar bills chambered, uh, just waiting for this day to finally drop. So glad to see that they did, man. And that's a great jersey to go get. He's earned the reverence. He's earned, you go buy a guy's jersey, you want them to be a player who does it right, you know, that, that, that was loyal to the team, uh, a leader, productive. I mean, he doesn't have to be this. You can get the lesser guys too. There's no rule of thumb getting jerseys. But um, Wagner has earned being a guy that, when we, we go 10 years down the line from now, you know, when you're in the stadium in 2034, there should still be some Wagner jerseys that you see sprinkled into the crowd. And hopefully a few of those will be throwback B Wagner jerseys at that point. That'd make it, that'd make it extra nice because that means that they bought it at the end, not just when he was in his prime, but at that point now where not only when you're wearing this jersey are you your reverence to B-Wags, but you're, it's the reverence of for what you've also done throughout your career here too. Because this is only the time this jersey's been available. So it says that about you if you get the B-Wags jersey right now. I guess I'm kind of talking myself into getting the B-Wags jersey the more I, uh, the more I think about this. Seahawks, Jose Rodriguez is the Browns cut defensive tackle today. Should we take a look at him? The man's name, uh, Perrion Winfrey. Um, Perrion Winfrey, he was out of Oklahoma. Seahawks, Jose Rodriguez. Um, there's an there's aggravated robbery charge right now hanging up over his head. So probably he's going to have to get that figured out first and foremost before anything goes on uh, beyond that. Um, I would say the answer, Jose, to just about anybody that's on the market that's released that was a relatively recent high draft pick the Seahawks should be looking at all of them. Every one of them should be picked over and considered. I think that you can't pick up a guy like this that's got the outstanding legal troubles that are sort of sitting there. You don't want to pick up that headache um, and being dealing with a guy that could just get cut for nothing. If the charges are dismissed and that stuff goes away a little bit, then you're a little more open to doing it. Um, I would also hazard to guess, Jose, that this was probably not a one-off for him with the situation for the Browns to reach a point of just so immediately cutting him. I, I would say it's probably a little closer to akin to being the last straw um, for them with this than, than the other goes. Um, he's a very talented guy coming out of Oklahoma. It was never going to be a game changer, but a guy that could fit into the rotation. Um, he's got kind of, he's, I think if I remember correctly, he was a, a guy with a one tech body that played like a three tech. Um, but I did think that he was going to be at his best as a three tech. So as a guy that'd be more of as a four I four inside guy or a defensive end for us in the three, four here. I don't know if he'd be as good a fit into our defense. I don't think he can do zero tech stuff. He's not a point of the attack, control the, control the double team kind of guy. He's more of the penetrate into the backfield kind of guy. Um, but they'll look at him nonetheless, Jose, because he is talented and 
if the legal trouble is clear, then they'll definitely jump there. But that's the big if. Fun player, though. And he's fun to watch back at Oklahoma. John Lee, I like the neon. Would be better with only the top screens, pants, wolf green or something. I'd be okay with that. It's just the full body thing is what reminds me of the, the jammy time. Roxanne says the hawk's nest. Exactly. I'm with it, Roxanne. You know I am. You know I am on that one. Scancy would go hard. Will Beckham, action green tops with the mini pants, with the navy pants are one of the best uni combos in the NFL. I'm, I'm more open to that. I'm more open to that, Will. It, it's the all it's the all meal deals from the neck to the floor. You know, like, oof, it's too much at that point. But I can do the split. I can do the split. We could just go 24-7 old retro jerseys too. We'll be against that for maybe a year. Deron ever says, I became a Hawks fan right after we destroyed the Broncos in Super Bowl 48. It's a good time to be a Hawks fan. And it was a hell of a game to watch. Steve Gookian says, love the passion. Thank you, Steve. I'm having a ball, man. I get to I love, love what I do. Very blessed. Mario uh, Hologuin feels like this is going to be the next great Pete Carroll team. The culture he is building with these young guys. They've put themselves into the pole position, Mario. Uh, I've often said in a lot of respects, you know, the hard work here has been kind of done. The hay is in the barn. And what I mean by that is that you have found your way out from under the Russell contract while still being able to maximize returns off of getting out from under that contract. And though the pain was deep last year, you ate all of the pain from any bad contracts you had. You had, you had to clear $26 million from Russell. You had Carlos dead, dead Dunlap dead money. Um, you had uh, Chris Carson dead money. I mean, the, the dollar bill stacked and you cleared all that money out. You drafted uh, flawlessly almost. I mean, it's hard to find anything you can pick at in the way that this team has drafted in the last couple of years. And then they've taken the steps to really clear up Mario issues that had been problematic for them that had held them back even on teams that had been reasonably successful over the last five to six, seven years. Every arrow was pointing in the right direction. There are so few things that you can pick at and pull apart on this team to say, well, this is a glaring issue here that's always going to hold them back every year and that's never being fixed and is never being handled. I know because I hammered on those issues for years and I can't do it any longer. And it is a reason why I will be more patient now in my looking at this team because they're controlling what they can control. Is injury luck going to hold up? You know, is the schedule going to play to where it's not hellacious? Is things going to unravel in the way that you need to unravel that's outside of your control? We'll see. But what, what's in their control, drafting white, drafting right, updating the scheme. I mean, even getting down to those bare, finer-tuned details of getting a better pass rush specialist teacher in here, understanding that that's been another part. The self-scouting and realizing what you're doing wrong and correcting it. And just fixing this corner and that corner and that corner and that corner. And eventually, I think you turn yourself around, Mario, to becoming a team that's a truly a contender. Nay, a team that's contender, but a Super Bowl um, contender. And I'll tell you what. For as hesitant as some is about the, the youth of this team, including myself, you can't deny, as I've said many times over, that Pete Carroll is the best coach, probably the best coach in the modern NFL history. You just want to go from the early 2000s onward, modern NFL history, the best coach at getting the most out of a young roster. He has shown that time and time again, including at the forefront of this being that he had the youngest Super Bowl roster of average age of any Super Bowl winning team in NFL history when they won it. 
in 2013. So can he get you back there again? Has he done it? Has he done it before in multiple different places at multiple different levels? Yeah. Has he done it with a young, a young team before? Yeah. Is this team as stacked from a talent standpoint as any team Coach Carroll has ever had? Yeah. So it's, uh, it does feel like that, Mario. It does feel like that. I don't know. I mean, this team's even younger than that Super Bowl team. Can they get there this early, this young, this quick? That'd be, if Carroll did, this would be by far the best job he'd ever done to take this young of a roster to that mountaintop that fast, that prematurely. But if there's a man that could do it, if there's a man that you're in his wheelhouse, you're in what he does better. This is, this is the horse whisperer and we're in the pasture and there's nothing but saddled up horses walking all around us. And he, you know, he's just out there smiling and he's like, look at all this. That's where we're at. John Lee says we can give Joe Nash some love. Can't go wrong with Nash either, man. That's an underrated suggestion. Joe Nash could definitely get some love. He needs some more appreciation too. I lost my spot in the chat here. Please hit that like button if you guys like what you're listening to today. I do appreciate Mark too. You reminded me on that. I do forget to, I do forget to mention it. Jose is with me on the Action Green Unis. It's just, it's too much, Jose. It's too much. It's way too much eye candy and not the good kind, but the kind that makes you sick after just two pieces. <laughs> the Action Green Uh, Radu Turkan says, what do we do as a franchise if Charbonnet is better than Walker this season? Holy mackerel. Um, well, it's a great question, Radu, first off. So thank you for that. Uh, I think that if Charbonnet were to ascend over the top of Walker, it would be less to do with Walker backtracking and not being at least every bit of what he was minimum last year as a player and would be more about Charbonnet being better than the collective is thinking he is as a prospect coming into the season. And if that's the nature of it occurring, Radu, I don't think it's nothing but a good problem, a first world issue. It's the same equivalency of looking at the outside corner. And if Michael Jackson's ascending to being a player that's just a smidge below Pro Bowl level this year, and that kicks Devin Witherspoon out of that outside starting slot. So he's got to either play or outside outside corner to go to the slot. It's it's not an issue of being that you don't have players good enough at that point or you drafted bad players. It's it's a matter of that you're letting competition win out. You're stacking the deck. This is why I just talking a second ago about why people are so Radu excited about this team. You go, oh God, look at the running backs, you know, Walker. Oh, then they got Charbonnet. Well, then there's DJ Dallas still round one and they got Kenny McIntosh in the seventh round. Now, let me look at their wide receivers. Oh, DK, man, he's kind of a beast. Tyler, man, he is underrated. And they got Jackson Smith as their slot. And you go to the tight ends and you do the same. And you got the book and tackles that played really good the previous year. Um, but you're, in regards to your question, it's, it's not something that's going to cause the franchise consternation at that point in time. Um, Carroll's got a predilection to leaning towards the Marshawn Lynch type of running back. 
I mean, he had, that was, that was his type for many years, even after Marshawn left. From your, from your Eddie Lacy feast mode to your Thomas Rawls, who's a little bit smaller, but ran like Marshawn a little bit, to your Chris Carsons, you know, that's his type. He wants even, even a guy like Penny's kind of that way with having the true 225 frame that he's rocking. And I know Charbonnet was 215 at his pro day combine, whatever, but he's, he plays 225. So he is kind of the type to the coaching staff a little bit that could endear him a little bit, but it says nothing that Walker isn't still going to be a piece you use. It's a matter of who's the guy, Radu, that's going to be the 220, 225 to 250 carry guy. Who's going to be the 120 to 150 carry guy as the backup. But each guy is going to get used and the team is going to, I think, retain some level of balance this year that was a little bit lessened last year where they had to get a little bit pass happy at times. Big Country's in the house. How you doing, Big Country? It's good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Welcome on the chat. Uh, Mega says, just decided to be getting Pete Carroll's name and college number to match the Hackstall Kraken coach's jersey. That's a great choice, Megan. I like that choice. What was it? Carroll was 11? What was he? I forget what he was in college. I forget. Jacob Haas says, brown actually doesn't exist on the color wheel. If you take the orange color and make it darker, uh, you get a brown looking color, but it's just a dark orange. I guess that makes sense. I mean, they could get it a little closer to brown, I guess, Jacob, is what I would say to that. You know, it's more orange than it is brown. I can understand their, what they're up against, but that's the part to me that I'm just like, just... Put it aside and go to something new, you know, if, and, and, and you could make the argument with the Cleveland Brown franchise, if any franchise needed to shake all of the old bad juju from their Jersey, <laughs> is there not more of a franchise than Cleveland that just needs to like, we need to do some Taylor Swift and shake it off here. You know, let's out with the old completely. We just need to re redo this whole thing up over again. Fresh start. Big Country, the uh, uh, audio is out of sync. Sorry about the audio being a little bit out of sync, folks. Once it goes bad when it does this on these streams, the only way to correct it is to go and end stream and then restart it, kick all of you guys out in the room. And just sometimes it's for a stream today that we're just doing a little bit of a, a preview with. I don't want to, I prefer not. If we were doing like a game or something, yeah, I'd do that. But um, we'll just kind of roll with it and I'll try to fix it offline. I had a uh, driver updated today on the, the graphics driver, which... God, they throw those updates like once every three weeks. And every time I get a little cringy, cause I'm like, this is going to, I got to troubleshoot this afterwards to make sure it's not broken. Sorry about that though. We'll get it fixed on the next one. I promise. If you can't try to do a refresh. I might do it. I don't know. Stupid, stupid drivers though, man. I'm just going to stop updating them. <laughs> Steven uh, Weston says, if you could play general manager for a day, who are you trying to trade for? Oh, good question. Um, well, Stephen, I'm going to try to be, I was like to honor your guys' really great questions when you ask it like this by staying realistic. So trying to stay within the realm of, you know, I can't go to Minnesota and say, give me Justin Jefferson, not that we look to get Justin Jefferson, but I obviously can't go and make that, you know, that's like kind of, I think that's cheating a little bit. So it has to be a player to me that is somebody I can talk a team into prying away. There are a couple of answers that come to my mind on this. One, which would be the straightforward, easy, down the middle. You got a three wood out. You're going to lay it down right in the middle of the fairway. Not going to try to, not going to try to hook it. Not try to get to that dog leg, you know, right down the middle. 
The other one is going to be a little bit more of, it's going to require some acrobatics and it's going to require you to have to hold, hold, you know, hold your stones and, you know, and, and, and go hard with it a little bit. Um, DeForest Buckner would be the straightforward choice here with the Colts. Uh, the Colts, I believe, are in a season here where you're going to be likely starting a rookie quarterback. Um, they've got still some decent talent, but it feels like a lot of that talent's a little bit at a point where it's, it needs to kind of change over some things, you know, where maybe they've gotten the best days out of the the guys that are kind of the guys they consider their their top top line guys. Still a, still a solid team, too. I don't want to make it seem like they're like league worst team. They're not. But are they contenders? Are they contenders in the AFC if I'm that general manager this year? Hard to be talking myself into that when I'm rocking a guy like Anthony Richardson as my starter, who's going to be so young and so green, and he'll have moments of brilliance, but he'll have probably just as many moments of making some uh, what the hell was he thinking kind of interceptions. So DeForest Buckner would be the guy that I would go out there and try to make a move for within a realistic fashion as far as to help out our defensive line, and another another body to bring in there that can improve that. There's really not a zero tech that's out there that's available to me at this point. I think the team's just as much smart with that position stuff. Steven, so I called you Stefan. I meant Steven. Sorry. Um, as much as we do need zero tech, maybe even a little bit more. I don't know that there's a guy out there right now that I want to go trade for. I think we can just as likely get a guy that we pick up by cut or something like that. But I would, um, I would look to re I would look to reinforce the defensive line at the forefront and Buckner would be at the one outside the box acrobatic move that I would look to make is the Rams are, are showing every inclination here of they're trying to pull the, the whole house down. They're taking it all down. They're not leaving even, they're not leaving, leaving, leaving one room. They're not leaving one two by four put up. You have rumors of them trying to move Stafford throughout this offseason. There's rumors of maybe they would be willing to move Aaron Donald. And while it's very unusual for teams usually to trade within the division, that's usually for reasons that I don't think are going to impact the Rams. You, know, you don't trade within the division because you don't want that guy to come back and, and hurt you. Uh, this could be very well a trade where Aaron Donald's like, I'm playing two more years at most and probably likely only one more season. If the Rams are, are moving Aaron Donald in that way and they're aware of that, because I'm sure that they've talked and they're very aware of what his intentions are and he has flirted with retirement the past two years, then they know he's not going to come back around and hurt them when they are ready to compete. So it it doesn't hurt them in that respect of things. Um, they can get that faster to clearing the money off their books to turning this thing around to getting them back to contender status. They can help out a division foe this year a little bit, um, which will probably help that division foe against them this year, but they're trying to kind of tank. So that also kind of works in their favor. What I'm trying to say with this, Stephen, is that I think that the, the Rams are going to be much more open to trading Donald with us in the division this year than you'd normally get. The cost would be high. They would expect you to pay the Piper to make it happen, but I would pay the Piper. Um, I would offer a first round pick and probably beyond that. I, I may include a player back in return. Um, I would do it as a go for it move. If, especially if Donald's healthy, that would be a big part of it. I just got to pass his physical and be ready to roll. But um, if you were able to bring him in here and add him to this defense, he's been playing in this exact same scheme and flourishing in recent years and maybe playing some of his best ball. I, I might go, I might go big time with that. I might really push, really push hard for that. And if I couldn't go with those guys, Derek Brown of Carolina, I'd, I'd kick the tires on them and say, Hey, why don't you send him? What's going to cost to bring that guy in? He wouldn't be bad. I mean, there's a guy that can play zero tech. So I'd, I'd lock in on something like that, Steven. I wouldn't make a whole bunch of moves, but I would really lock in on how, how can we get some defensive line help? Steven Cunningham, is it uh, possible they could change their minds and play more, more than one or two games this year in the new unis? 
I thought that there's something with this, Stephen, where they've got to get they've got to get stuff ahead of time to the league office, so the league office can improve approve the stuff. I don't know if they can just willy nilly go out and say we're going to change this week to this. So I think they have to kind of indicate their intentions on that a little bit more. Um, but maybe maybe I haven't ever heard of it happening, so I. I can't remember a team going to those jerseys and just kind of staying in like the being able to roll. I think you you only get to run it so much and the league mandates that, I believe. Callie Tangerine says, how's Pumpkin doing? Well, let's get her in the thing. She's chilling, but she should be near me here. We got pumpkin in the house. What's up, pumpkin? How's your day going? Yeah, you having a good day? Can you say hi to the hawk's nest? Say hi to the hawk's nest? Hi? Say hi? Give him a hi. Say hello. She's super warm. It's It's 100 degrees here, so... It's all they can do to keep their eyes open. Uh, Leon Thatch, we might have a great home field advantage this year. Our fans are so pumped for this team. Oh boy, they are. Leon, you got the fans really reinvigorated this off season. And I think after a lot of years, it's had sort of a stilted feel to the team. Things feel, uh, teams feel, things feel like they're, they're, they're burgeoning and, uh, and, and ready to kind of pop. And I think everyone can kind of sense it. You know, can you feel it? Can you feel it? It's coming. It's about to take over. You are not ready. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. Uh, Roxanne, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate all your donos tonight, Roxanne. She says, uh, Jacob Green, Joe Nash, Kennedy, all wore the uni that the Hawks will sport as throwbacks. Think about that for a bit. It was a long cherished uniform here. I think it speaks to how tight the uniform looked. I mean, even the folks in the eighties could recognize, you know, wow, we kind of knocked out the park with this uniform. You know, we, 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 this is kind of where it's at. So you ran with this uniform for a very long time. Um, especially, and you're picking with, you know, with Jacob Green and Joe Nash too. I mean, people are right to bring up those names that, you know, we don't talk about them with enough reverence, especially considering how many years they played. In Jacob's case, well over 100 sacks in his career, which is usually the, the benchmark to getting yourself in the Hall of Fame. Um, and he was productive in a 3-4, productive in a 4-3. You know, he could do it in both. So uh, you get any of those jerseys, you're definitely honoring the Seahawks history right, uh, picking any of those guys. Obviously, Kennedy being your Hall of Famer there. But, uh, you know, someday I got to get a Jacob Green, Joe Nash videos out. Roxanne, I got to find some time at some point to put some together in those guys because they – they deserve their own little kind of featurette, even if it's just a little quick five-minute video on this channel um, with how, how they did. Good suggestions, though, Roxanne. All, all top-notch. Megan, uh, with a $2 donation. Thank you, Megan. She says, Carol was a strong safety at number 46 at Pacific B. Ah, that's right. I remember Pacific. I did remember that. But 46, that's a... I don't know. That's kind of a tough number for a defender. It's, it's okay. It's not the toughest number, right? It's not the one that's got like, you know, there's certain numbers that look kind of tough on guys that, you know, 24 in a safety will look kind of tough. 55 on a linebacker. 46 is kind of one of those in, uh, middle of the road 
number points. But you're honoring Carol with it. I like it. I like it as a throwback, Megan. It's a good choice. It's a very good choice. Randall McDaniel with a $2 donation. Thank you, Randall. This is Bobby Joe Edmonds throwback. Hawks, best returner. And getting Joe Edmonds on the, on the back of a uniform is kind of cool too. Have the two names on the back. But Bobby Joe, yeah, I think uh, probably your best returner in Hawks history, right? Um, especially if you want to factor in a little bit of longevity. Tyler might have done it in a brighter fashion for a smaller period of time. Um, Leon Howell was good for you with it for a small period of time. Um, we even had that track guy. I think Michael Bates was pretty good for us. But I think when it's all said and done, Bobby Joe was probably up until this point, you, you bear it all out. It's probably, he was probably the best uh, all-around guy in him being able to do it. Back when you had Rusty Tillman back there, best special teams coach in Seahawks history too. Shout out to Rusty. He was a, he was a fiery one, Randall. He was a fiery one, but Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe Edmonds back to receive the punt. Uh, I'll always remember that on the radio. I mean, that's one of those early memories that you just have kind of rattling around. But uh, Randall, thank you for the dono. I appreciate it. Megan, you too. Appreciate you. Hope you guys are having a great night tonight. It's a beautiful summer evening out here. Uh, Seahawks, Jose Rodriguez says we trade, we did trade for Dunbar. Just saying. Was that on the back of? Jose, you're going with Wagner Lockett for throwback? I like it. Wag, Wag is a good one. Lockett's good too. I, both of them are, I, none, there are no bad answers on these so far from you guys. I like them all. I don't know what you mean, May, uh, on that, Jose, with the, we did trade for Dunbar. What do you mean by that? I probably lost the thread on the convo on that one, but can you elaborate? Alexander, training camp sounds nice. It means we are getting close to a brand new season. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Stuart, I suspect they claim another team's nose tackle. They're trying to slide into PS onto practice squad or trade a late round pick for a younger vet. That's my thought on it too, Stuart. I think that's where they're going. I think they're, they're going to count on that cut down day. Snyder always seems to do it his best when things are a little chaotic. He likes chaos a little bit more, you know, he likes everything. And boy, there's nothing going to be more chaotic than that final cut down day where rosters are going to have to go from 90 to 55, 32 NFL teams all at once, all of those players hitting the open market. And yeah, I do believe that this team really does feel like they're going to be able to find a nose tackle in that bunch that they can go out there and grab. And uh, I can get where they're coming from, Stuart. It's not necessarily a position that's really highly valued in the NFL. And if it's not a high-value NFL position, if you're not trying to go out there and find a number two wide receiver, if you're not trying to go out there and find an edge rusher who's going to give you significant snaps, if you're just trying to go out there and find a nose tackle who can stop the run, even if he gives you nothing as a pass rusher, you're going to be perfectly happy. You would think the team would be able to find something in that neighborhood. It, it adds up. It makes sense. Rubber Podcast. I'm going to start banging the drum until I see things shift more towards this line of thinking. Nickel is a starting position. Witherspoon and Nickel could be a high impact as anywhere in year one. Come Pete. Rumble, I'm right there with you uh, step for step on this one. I do not have the consternation about Witherspoon kicking inside in his rookie year to the slot because of the reasons that you give. The slot is not what it was in 1995. It is what it is in 2023, which is a starting position in the NFL. And the skill set that he brings 
um, is a perfect one down in there for both the coverage ability, also to play like a linebacker. Let's not forget that this kid was deemed the best the best tackling cornerback in college football last year. Um, and he brings that then to the slot and what that could help you out with in your team and, and being better in the run game. So, uh, yeah, it's one that's a, one of those hard stick narratives in there that people really bristle at, but uh, rumbler, I just, you got to end up looking at how many snaps did the guy play? You know, does he play starter snaps? If the answer is yes, does it matter if technically he's on the field snap one, or if he's just at the end of the day playing starter snaps? And, and that's the one where I think the growth has to come from people's, uh, viewpoint of it you know, and getting the right read of what it really is and means. Herberside says, I predict 12 and five. Gino hits 5,000 yards, 45 touchdowns. K9 gets hurt a couple of games and Zach kind of takes over, both getting 1,000 yards this year. Jamal goes 12 games before he goes down, has a great year though. I, I love your predictions, Herberside. Uh, sign me up for that. I'll take all of that, the good, the bad, and not much ugly there. So put, write that one down, Herberside. I could, I could go for that. Very even keeled on your prediction there. I like that. It's a positive, but with some even keeledness to it. You didn't go, didn't go over the top. Yeah. Losing on Cortez. Can't go wrong with Cortez. Jacob Haas out of off top, out of topic. Who's going to see the Oppenheimer movie or Barbie? If you're into that, uh, definitely. I'm going to see the Oppenheimer one. I, I know that it's supposed to be go watch an IMAX, but I, I, you go three hours. I'm watching it at home. You know, I'll get a good movie screen at home and watch from that. I, I don't want to sit in a the theater for three hours anymore. Like I'd like to stand up and, you know, freedom of movement, but uh, I, it absolutely looks, um, it looks like another one of those Nolan masterclass spots, you know, that it, it looks like he's knocked it out of the park and, uh, certainly is an intriguing topic in these times. Sean Lee says a first rounder plus for only one or two more years of years, potentially seems steep. It would be very steep, Sean. Um, and this is one of the magical, this is one of the nice parts about me being able to deem myself as the general manager is I get to make this bold move, uh, without any threat of, uh, having my career get torched <laughs> if I'm wrong about it. Um, I want to make sure his health is right, Sean, but in my opinion, I've been a, I've been pretty consistent in this and saying that if you want to push for Super Bowls, you got to make that over the top move in this day and age to get there. That's now the price of admission. It didn't used to be the price of admission. Sometimes it could all just be your internal development and your organic growth that could get you over the top. I tend to believe now and looking at what teams are doing though in the last even six, seven years, more often than not, what I keep coming back to is those teams really going over the top, really picking an individual year and saying, you know what? We're going to go hard this year. We're going to push it this year a little bit harder. We're going to sacrifice a little for tomorrow for today. And there will be a price to be paid in that. And maybe it's too soon to do this with our Seahawks. Maybe it's not the right time. And if you were another year down the road and Donald was available, you'd do it. But I think you could talk him into, especially once he gets into the Carroll environment of things, into a two-year cycle with him in there. And um, yeah, if, it, if, if Aaron Donald's on this team right now, are we not a Super Bowl contender? I mean, it's not that alone, but you add him on top of everything else you have coming into this year, and he's healthy. Is that not a team that can go out there and win a Super Bowl? And and not even and not long odds, but like one of the best odds you're going to put out there on any team at that point. I think maybe so. D boy, what's up, man? It's good to see you in the chat. My audio's a little off. I'll warn you on that, D boy, but we'll get it fixed on the next one. I promise you with that. I swear, I swear at you. 
Uh, Randall McDaniel, thank you for the $5 donation. Appreciate all the donos, Randall. He says, quick dad brag. Baby girl had a four-month checkup, 98% in weight, length, and head circumference. Can already tell she's going to hate the Niners. Well, when she's she's already got that that brilliant of a of a bull there to fill up with that much size. How can she not, Randall? It's just a natural conclusion from anybody born in the Pacific Northwest. You know, it just it's it's like you know, one plus one's two. You know, water is wet. <laughs> but uh, congratulations on the on the the big girl, and uh, I know she's going to be a Niner fan just like your boy on that one. And there ain't no question. You're gonna you're gonna raise them right, no doubt about that, Randall. You're gonna raise them right and true. Can't be raising no dirty Niner fans. You can't do that. I'd be the worst. I'd be just the worst. But good to hear. She's a cutie pie, and I appreciate you, man. Uh, DJ Owen with a twenty dollar donation. Thank you, DJ, for the big fat twenty dollar dono. Very very kind of you, man. And I hope you're having a good night. Great to see you in the chat, as ever. He says, I've never stopped rocking my Joey Galloway jersey that I bought when I was 19 years old. And surprisingly, it still looks good for how old it, always, how old it is. Always worth buying the stitch on jerseys. I'm soon going to buy a lot more. Uh, you bring up a good point. You know, jerseys, even if you do wear them a decent amount, you know, you keep them in, you can keep them in good shape for a really long time because it does seem like even in this day and age with the jerseys you get dj that they're they're made with good i'm gonna sound like i don't know what i'm talking about the clothing but like good fiber you know good it's gonna last it's not gonna fray it's not gonna you're not pulling threads away every two seconds like even washing a couple times it still holds together you know really well and especially if you wear like an undershirt you know you have to wash it a whole ton at that point you know but um galloway was a good one i think i had back in the day i still have it somewhere in my in my, my mom's probably still got it in her storage somewhere, but uh, the uh, Sean Springs jersey back in the day, I had that one. So I had a choice between Galloway and I went with Springs back in the day because I thought Springs was going to be like Dion when I was younger. I was like, oh, you'll be the next Dion. But uh, Galloway was a great one, man. He had as an awesome start to his career as a Seahawk wide receiver as any that we've had come through here. And uh, you didn't have a whole hell of a lot on your offense at that time other than Joey. It was Chris Warren and then Joey Galloway. And that was about that was about it for a few years there until Holmgren came into came in and uh, moved him at that point. But uh Galloway had a great career too, DJ. He had a lot of I was surprised you go back with Galloway and uh I want to double check this to make sure I'm right, but uh he actually he actually ended his career with uh yeah, almost 11,000 yards, 77 touchdowns. I mean, he is right there on the cusp of being a guy that would be considered a Hall of Fame level guy. I don't think he'll ever get there because there's kind of a log jam at that spot. But that's that's a hell of a pro career, you know. That's, that's a hell of 11,000 yards, and he played probably 15, 16 years, something like that. What are you crying about? What are you crying about? What are you crying about? You tell me about it. Oh, you tell me. Oh. All right. Uh, DJ, thank you for the $20 donation, though, man. And uh, Galloway's still a great jersey to go. You could buy Galloway right now as a throwback jersey, and it wouldn't be wrong, you know, for the damage he did in a good way as a hawk. He's got some, he's got some legit still highlights you go back to that are still kind of op- eye-popping highlights too, DJ. The whole reverse against Jacksonville. I think I got it up on my channel where, you know, he goes up one side, reverses the whole field, opens up the horsepower, 
just still runs past everybody. It's, it's like a movie you do in Manning when you've got the fastest guy in the field in Manning. You know, like this will never work in real life. You know, the guy goes backwards and does the half circle around to eventually get back the other way and all the players are chasing. They're just not fast enough. So, you know, he was that guy in the football field. You know, he was that Tyreek Hill guy of his era, you know, for, for how different speed he had. Everybody's fast in the NFL, but there's some of those guys that come along that are just a little bit different type of speed, even, even beyond the fast guys. But uh, DJ, thank you for the $20 donation and keep rocking that Galloway jersey, man. Uh, Randall, thank you for another $5 donation, brother. Appreciate all your donos today. You're always super supportive. I really do appreciate it, man. He says, when reports start coming out of camp, one-on-one, offensive line versus defensive line, who's going to win the day? What are the best two to three practice matchups in the trenches you'd want to see? Ooh, good question. Um, hmm. I certainly think I would be interested in seeing uh, Mike Morris, Damian Lewis. Um, Damian Lewis last year was a real surprise to me, Randall, because he was able last year to become more of a better pass blocker at the left guard position than a run blocker when he was a better run blocker at the right guard than a pass protector. And you would have thought the inverse would have happened when he went to left guard. If you, you put up against a guy like Mike Morris, does it, does he continue to show that ability to kind of handle those guys like he did on film at times last year? And uh, that will be a part that will be a bit at the forefront. I, I think that'll be a fun matchup to, to kind of check out. Um, all obviously the edge matchups, you know, tackle your, you know, your tackle versus any of your edges are going to be tremendous fun, especially when you talk about Abraham Lucas and cross going up with Mafe and Hall Randall, because both of those two guys are guys that you're wondering where they're going to be at in their pass rush this year. And to go into one-on-ones against two guys like cross and Lucas, that that still remains their forefront skills that they're at their best in, in pass protection. So if they're beating them in camp, if they're winning those one-on-ones occasionally, then that tells you that those guys, Moffey's taken his, a, a step forward in growth and Hall is going to be maybe ready to contribute, to contribute very early on in his career. Those will be two of ones, though, that I would really, really look at um, along that pathway of things. Um, Cameron Young against Olawatimi. You got Cameron Young, the super powerful guy that doesn't have a lot of technical refinement. You have the overachiever in Olawatimi who has all the technical refinement. Who wins in that one, Randall? Is the rough guy with just the, 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 the brute strength overcome the guy that is the, the try-hard big brain? Um, that's another one in one-on-ones that's always really fun because you get to see technique against natural talent a little bit. Um, who's going to win that one out? You know, and, and especially for Randall when it comes to Young, giving the coaching staff confidence that they've got their starting zero one tech. That's, that's one of those ones where that, that battle derives from that, that summary of what they can expect from this upcoming season and uh, remains a big-time question mark. Um, other than that, on one-on-one matchups, Trying to think if there's anybody else that's, that'd be a fun one to look at. I think Bradford inside, he struggled so much in pass protection. So Randall, then rather than saying Bradford against this guy, I would say Bradford against any of them. You know, the, he, it stood out on tape with him that he was a much better run defender than he was a pass protector, though he is very highly athletic and he can move. Is, is he just getting handled in one-on-ones by any defensive lineman you put up on against him? 
where it looks as rough as it did on tape with him back at, at LSU? Or are they starting to get that down a little bit better, you know, with him? You're being very noisy. Very noisy, kitty. So that'll be the, uh, the spot. These will be the main spots I would look at, Randall, on the one-on-ones. Bradford just against anybody he goes against, though, because that was a pretty big deficit in his game and watching the tape with him, unfortunately. Uh, hey, Lou says, hey, B, finally the star of the show, Pumpkin, shows up. She likes to make an entrance. You know, it's got to be a grand entrance. I've got to carry her in like she's Cleopatra being ushered in by a hundred slaves carrying her on on their backs or those things they would call that they where the people would carry them on there like they were horses or something. Niners blood. I doubt Carroll can turn these young guys into a winning team. This ain't 2014. Well, you're going to have a, a better roster than you had last year. Niners blood, you know? Uh, so he turned last year's young team into a team that could get to the playoffs in a rebuild season. I mean, you let me know Niners blood when if you can remember the last time you saw a team that was in a rebuild mode that got to the, even the playoffs. Um, He's shown an ability to, sh- to get the most out of young rosters to the Niner blood. It's not like those UFC teams were all just built with really older players and whatnot. He always showed ability to get a lot out of young guys, including freshmen, players going back to uh, USC. Um, and then the final factor is Niner blood. You know, you accomplish what you accomplished last year as a rebuild, and that just seems like an empty term to throw this out, of course, but it's not. I mean, this is in dollars and cents. The Seattle Seahawks last year had 57 million dollars of dead money on their books. That's what makes a rebuild year. This is why the Rams are going right now through the same kind of a rebuild process. You're clearing house. You're clearing the pocketbook. You're clearing the bad contracts. You're getting everything back to a zero hour point. And once you get to that zero hour point, that then allows you to really ignite things and turn it on. That allows you to start to spend money and starts to augment parts on the team where it doesn't just all have to come in organically and naturally. Or exactly what we were able to start to do this off season. So um, you can run me through how not, but I mean, they've, he's had that success already here recently. He had it with a lot stacked up against him. Um, hard not to see them at least at, at the very least um, accomplishing what they did last year. And if not getting further beyond that, Sean says, I miss Pete gross on the radio. So good. He was good. Another rest in peace on that one. Died far too young. Spaces. I think they should play with the old school leather helmets. <laughs> Oh, that'd be a bloodbath. Bloodbath. Everybody says, remember last year when we all thought Sidney Jones was going to be the future? Yeah, I don't know if I thought he was going to be the future. I thought he could be workable last year, but I don't know if I thought future. Kitty Burns, uh, thoughts on an outcome that I hadn't heard talked about much. What if we somehow just managed to be mid-level? It's a terrible year for it to happen. Keep growing or suck for a deep draft? No mid, please. Um, Unfortunately, Katie, uh, you speak the devil's name, but it's one that there's really no avoiding as far as a potential how this goes wrong side of things. Um, with Carroll, you have a long track record here and whether Carroll can get this team to a place of being elite this year or into the future, what coach Carroll does do is bring you about a team that has a good floor, no matter where really the level of talent is there. There's not a lot of seasons where we're not at least drifting around 500, even if it's a quote unquote bad year. And 
what you're getting then in conjunction with this baseline of Coach Carroll's history is you also now have a very young, albeit a very talented roster. And so what you get with young teams, I've compared it to the Mariners team and what they're going through right now on the other side of it, which is that you're getting the ups and the downs. And sometimes it's equal fashions of both. And so what I'm going to try to do a little bit from this standpoint, Katie, because I have given your question actually some thought even prior to you asking it here, because I think it's something that we've got to consider here as Hawk fans as a possibility. My hopes are for this team to tear the roof off. My hopes are for this team to ascend to an elite status this year, ascend to a contending status this year. And uh, I'd love to see it and think they have the potential to truly get there. I also am going to be pretty patient and understanding if this is a year where they're just another year of growth. Last year was year one of a rebuild. It is very rare that in year two of a rebuild that you're not only going to go and find some success, but you're going to get to being a Super Bowl contending team. That's a hell of a turnaround. That's really fast. That's not often happened in the NFL. And I think these are all really why they're, they're good reasons, as you raise, why we've got to be patient in our viewpoint of this team, why we've got to look at them through the standpoint of the ups and the downs and kind of you know accept it with that a little bit. Um, I'm not a fan of big mid-teams either like you are, Katie, but this is a little bit of the nature of the beast and how it's been built this year a bit. And so it's going to be kind of unavoidable. You're either in the mid-level or you're going to push into that 12-13 win mode. There's probably not likely a scenario where you find yourself at five wins, especially given the way that this schedule's kind of stacked up. You're very whiny tonight. You know that, Pumpkin? Very whiny. Whiny and talkative. But I think you're coming from a smart place on this, Katie. I do feel like that's valid. Valid. Alexander, I have a throwback of Kitna, but I'm not wearing that. <laughs> uh, Barry uh, Templin, Brandon, did you order your throwbacks yet? You know, I haven't, Barry. I got, uh, today was a crazy day. I, I got, we had the spy, the sponsorship thing come down today. I had Bleacher Report reaching out to me today. And then I was trying to get this website put together. I'm finishing it up. So I was like trying to damn, but I'm going to get something ordered here. You better believe it. But then I got to figure out, this is why I never got tattoos. It's so hard to figure out which one. I want them all. Uh, Seahawks Jose says, uh, brought up Dunbar. Oh, when you're talking about Winfrey. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, Jose. Yes. So, uh, Jose was saying that, you know, we traded for Quentin Dunbar who had the robbery deal, which is exactly, uh, to Jose's point, what Winfrey's being, um, accused of. So, uh, you're right. There is a given example of one place where they, you know, they did overlook, uh, the situation on that. So maybe they would be willing to do it again here, Jose. It's, you know, if you do it once, you're definitely willing to do it again. Um, as far as overlook that. And when Dunbar did come here, there was not te- there was no technical resolution on his situation that he wasn't going to get suspended or have something come down the pike. That is, that is absolutely for sure. So, and I know with Schneider, his one no-go place is really hands on a woman. And this isn't based on what we're hearing, not hands on a woman. So I guess technically that would still put him in consideration. And I think, like I say, Jose... If there's anybody of anybody, any defensive tackle of reasonable talent right now making their way to the open market, the Seahawks have to do the, the exhaustive kicking of the tires. They've got to really, they've, they've got to really be hunting right now and, and looking because this is the place that's the weakness of the team. So it's, it should be, not only is it that we need to strengthen this, but that we can probably find um, a pretty easy approach to upgrading the situation because of how thin it's currently stacked. So definitely they've got to take a look at it. We'll see what they do though with it. 
Uh, Megan and I have four throwback large ones, one Zorn from the 80s, which hanging probably in my closet. Uh, nice. Throwbacks are awesome. Greg, uh, Brandon, did you see the list ranking the top 10 receivers, t- top 10 players at each position, and that DK is the only Hawk in top 10, according to the NFL scouts, general manager, coaches, and players? Thoughts? And I told people DK is a top 10 wide receiver. I'm, you know, I'm with you on it, Greg. As I was saying with the jersey that I would get with DK is because I think that he is um, underrated. I think underrated both nationally, and I think he's underrated, especially even locally. Um, I hear a lot of people in my chat at times come along and they'll, they'll really, you know, pick apart his game in a way that's, you know, not very fair. You know, it becomes all about what he doesn't do more than it becomes about what he does do. Um, I, I think that the players, general managers and coaches know on this situation what's what. And I'm watching, I'm going back right now because I'm looking at times, I'm, I'm looking on this to try to see what I can find for shorts like I posted a Tyler Lockett short last night. I'm looking for all 22 shots and stuff and footage that gives me um, stuff I can use to put on the channel that I think what you guys would find interesting. But something that continues to stand out to me and stood out to me, Greg, last year in watching the All-22 and something that nobody can understand if you only watch the television copy because you do not see what the safeties do on the television copy post-snap unless they show on replay the All-22 from the back. Unless they're showing the sky cam, you have no idea this is occurring. But if you have the NFL subscription to watch the All-22 and you can actually see this, this eye in the sky where you're seeing the whole field and the whole coverage and exactly how it's breaking down post-snap every time, exactly how teams are playing it. You know, DK is drawing this coverage every time, this minimum double coverage. I mean, the video I posted the other night on DK, I'm sure you saw it, Greg, where you got the play with the Saints early in the season where he's to the middle of the field and you have three defenders who are all in their coverage as DK is coming into their spot. It's not like they're all sitting flat-footed. All of them are leaning towards DK as he's coming into the zone. It's a pure triple coverage situation out of zone. It's not, you pick up, they're all like, we got to get on this guy. And they, they actually overdo it to the point where DK is able to then extend the route off a secondary route and Gino extends the play from the backfield and then he breaks open wide and he scores a touchdown. And then I showed a play after that, of course, with the Niners, where the Niners literally have four, four guys around DK at one point on one route and they're all covering him. It's not me just like creatively finding a way to put a four coverage spot on DK there. I went back and watched the all 22 20 times because I couldn't believe what I was watching. The 49ers covered DK with four guys on a particular play within their zone. And then it's, what's funny is Chardavius Ward still ends up holding on the play. And that's the other thing with this too is I'm, I, I want to have Niner fans come in here and talk to me about Chardavius Ward locking up DK. Like I dare you Niner fans to come in here because if I hear too many of them coming in here doing it, I am going to put a, I'm going to put the all 22 tape together of Chadarius Ward and DK last year. And I'm going to show time and time again, eight, nine, 10, 11 yards up the football field. Chadarius Ward's got his hands all over DK and DK is not initiating contact. It's the old Shaquille O'Neal hack-a-shack rules being implemented where because DK is just so big, the officials will let these guys get away with it. But don't talk to me about Chadarius Ward locking up DK when, you know, he's, you know, holding his back pocket or something up and down the field. Like, no, that ain't happening at all. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you and I'm, it gets me hyped up, Greg, because he's such a tremendous player and he does so many things the right way. He's never injured. He plays through, in, he, he, he plays out there injured, healthy, whatever. He's out there every single game. In the playoffs, he's balling out. Go look at his stats in the playoffs. Go look at how he's produced out there, including setting a rookie record for most yards in his first, in his first game uh, in the first season that he played. You know, he blocks tenaciously. He's physical. He's a bully. 
He brings everything to play that you want to bring brought to bear on the field. And does he have, is he perfect? No. Is there some points to the game you can pick? But I think it's telling that those coaches look at him as a top 10 receiver because that impact is top 10. Is it statistically? Maybe not. But is he getting the 190 targets some of these other receivers get to get to the point of production that they grab? No. Is his efficiency there? Yeah. Is he improving his game every year? Yeah. And, and the stat I go back to, to, for those folks looking for a historical marker on this one, he is, he is top 10 all-time. He's top 9 all-time in most receiving yards before the age of 25. He is top 7 all-time in most touchdowns receiving before the age of 25. He is just getting warmed up. Lance Johnson's got Dave Brown, number 22. Dave was a ball hawk in the blue jersey era. Dave was, man. 40, what, 46 career interceptions for Dave Brown? I like it. I like it. Megan says, not only those born in the Pacific Northwest, be some of us from down under two. That's true. Hey, would the colors work for you guys too in your, uh, you know, in your neck of the woods, Megan? It's ubiquitous. Kelly Tangerine says, yeah, I'm from, I'm not from the Pacific Northwest, but even I was raised to hate San Francisco. If it's in your blood, it's in your blood one way or the other. You don't have to necessarily be born in the region, but if you were raised by that, if you're raised at the knee of that hate, that knee is in, that hate is inside you. Alexander says, I have a throwback jersey Galloway. I'd wear that. Hell yeah, another one with Galloway. Another round the gal. Besides, speaking of, I think Golden Tate and Jermaine Kirsk, uh kind of gets forgotten about sometimes. Both those dudes were badass. Yeah, they're both really good. I mean, Kirsk has got some of the biggest sketches in Seahawks history. A good collection of them. Um, and not just the main three we might think of at the forefront. He's got a lot beyond that. Um, game sealers, game clinchers, um, all over the place. Um, and Golden was really good too. I think as Golden talked about Herbicide, you know, the one thing with him was that it took him a while to develop. It took him a while to understand what he needed to, to do to become a productive NFL wide receiver. And Seahawks had to kind of go through those bumps and bruises. And I think Detroit kind of ended up getting the full fruits of that a little bit with the prime of his career. But uh, he still had some amazing highlights here too during his time. I'll tell you what. He's got that one cutback run he does where he cuts past and then does the flip, flip where he gets turned over midair. Pretty incredible. Connor Oshwagler, what are your opinions about Jordan Brooks and coverage? There's been a surge of people praising Brooks as an underrated coverage linebacker, and I don't agree personally, but interested to hear your side. Um, uh, you can find some splash plays from Jordan Brooks. You can find some splash plays from Jordan Brooks in coverage last year where you might just put those splash plays, Connor, in a box and say, he's taking steps forward. He's getting better in coverage. And maybe he's making some moderate steps forward in coverage to a very minor degree. But he remains uh, a detriment in coverage in a major way. The same Niner tape that I've been really trying to dig over with the all three matchups and going through the all 22 and looking at what's what, there is no doubt about it that, that Kyle Shanahan understands that Jordan Brooks is a deficiency in coverage and he attacks it. There's no doubt he understands that Jordan Brooks has a prevalence 
a tendency to lean into the run game, lean into the run, run action, play fakes. And that when he does so, he leaves a guy then wide open. Um, the one Niner play that stands out to me from last year was, you know, they, they run, they, they throw a little fake uh, flat route play and Brooks bites all the way in it. He leaves George Kittle completely alone at that pit that point. And Kittle just runs right up the seam and he is wide open. There is nobody on him. And there's a later play in that game where Kittle gets another win. They ended up, supposedly that one was on Tariq Woolen. That was his fault supposedly, but on the play, it still looks again like a play where that should have been Brooks. That should have been his territory that he was picking up. Um, if somebody's going to praise Brooks, Connor, what you've got to do or what they've got to do if they're going to bring that up to you is they've got to back that up. And they're going to have to back it up more by than just showing a splash play of them here, 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 and here. Because I can go to 2020, for instance, and so let's go to 2020 where he, what he give up 900 yards, 975 yards in coverage from the middle linebacker position, almost gave up a thousand yards in coverage from the middle linebacker position. That was 2020. That's hard to do. That's hard to give up a thousand yards in coverage for the middle linebacker position, Connor. And to put this in perspective for that PFF season that he had, that was so so if you're your average in PFF, your average in coverage, your average in tackle, your average in whatever, right? You take those individual grades, 65 would be an average overall grade, right? But you can apply that to also the individual aspects if you're looking using PFF as a marker. And we can go beyond PFF. The, the, I just gave you one stat with the, the yards he gave up in coverage. That has nothing to do with PFF. You can find plenty of other places that provide that statistical equivalency. So with PFF, that year in 2020, when he was on pace to give up almost more yards in the middle linebacker position than anybody in the NFL history in coverage, he was at a 29 rating. 29.8 was his coverage grade that year. 47 overall as a player in 2020. In 2021, he was a 43.4 player in coverage, 58 overall. 74 run defense. He's a guy that can be a run defender. He can eat up tackles, no doubt about that. 43.4 though, 2021. So let's go last year then. 40.7. So let's get my, before I even looked at the, the PFF on this, right? What I said with it and what you can say that Connor providing an argument back is, I didn't even look at the PFF. I just could realize watching the last couple of years, you can find a couple of splash plays from him last year. You can do some basic math to say that that probably equates out to him then having moderately better grades in coverage, but that those grades are still horrific. But that those grades are still not anywhere near even close to average, say nothing of being unimpactful. 29, right? Let's go through the last three years, just coverage grade sides. 2020, he's got a 29.8. 2021, 43. Technically, last year, he went down three points to 40. So he sucks in coverage. It's, it's not going to ever get better. Maybe he can get a little bit here and there, the splash plays, but teams are going to continue to attack it with him. And the other part of it is that it's not just an issue that showed up here in the pros. This was what, of course, Connor, and you can go back to my, you know this with me, Connor, going back to my draft reaction video on Jordan. I brought up these same issues with him in coverage on the night he was drafted. It's why I didn't like the pick on the night he was drafted. It's why I asked on the night he was drafted and I present the same question to you guys right now about Jordan Brooks. What is the value of a run-stuffing middle linebacker in this modern age? And is the answer a first-round pick? Because that's the bottom line with Jordan Brooks. 
He offers more than that. But if you're talking about what this guy brings to the table, what this guy does to help you win football games, play the run tackle. But the modern NFL is about coverage, isn't it? Modern NFL is about how you play the pass. Now, how about necessarily you stop the run? So, yeah, I, I, people can't say that. They can't say he's good in coverage. There's nothing to back it up, Connor. They have nothing they can back it up, and you've got to be able to back some. If you're going to take a statement like that, they're, they're going to take a statement like that. they got to bring something to the table to explain how they come to that conclusion. Sean Lee says, top five receivers coming into the season. Uh, it's a good question. You know what? I've been working on my uh, fantasy draft uh, big board thing, right? I'm working on my big board fantasy draft thing. So let me go to my big board. Let me let me consult with my big board, please. Let me consult with my uh, let me consult with my analytics, please. We need to take a look at my deeper data at this time to get uh, a better, truer understanding. Uh, I'll go with uh, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill. first three were so easy. Hmm. Last two are kind of tough. I'm going to go with uh, AJ Man, I don't know in the last two. I feel good about my top three, but my last two I do not feel strong about. So I'll give you a couple names, but I think I'd be duking it out between uh, like Waddle, Waddle, Lamb, DK, Debo, and Devontae Adams would probably be all kind of Stefan Diggs. It'd all be a fight in there for those last two spots. I feel way better about the top three than I know on the back two. I think it gets to be a little bit of a log jam on the back. But the top three, I feel good about. I think Tyreek's still going to produce this year if he can stay healthy. And uh, Jamar Chase is going to continue to be a beast with with Burrow there. And Justin Jefferson has got a little bit of help this year. They, they got a receiver in there. But, I mean, those they, they throw that guy 200 balls. You know. But I'm not sure on the last two, Sean. I'm torn. Mike Smith says Draymond Jones looks like a beast. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's got a. He's looked like he's just all cut out of muscle, doesn't he, Mike? He's he's definitely a, a yoked up defensive lineman. Where it's he's usually a defensive lineman got a little bit of fat on him or a little bit extra extra padding, but he is he's like a defensive end kicked inside kind of. Megan says, "Be the list for the great 2023 training camp meetup is growing." Laughing out loud, good. We'll have a hell of a show out. That's what we want that time. Jacob says, does it seem John now has control over the drafting? It does, Jacob. That's my big, it's a guess on my part. We don't have any real certain confirmation with this, but it's hard for me to understand how that cannot be the case when you've had such a change of approach in your drafting style the past two years versus where it had been for five, six, seven years prior to that. And that when you look at the, those two different eras of drafting, both of those eras have a very significant theme to what you were doing and how you were doing it. Um, and so the fact that that changes over, it's hard for me to say, I'm seeing suddenly that 
if it was Pete controlling this throughout the whole time, he suddenly changed over or John controlling the whole time. He changed over. It makes more sense that you went to Pete and you went, you know, Pete, it's not working with your influence on the drafting as much as it did earlier. You need to just concentrate on the coaching. Um, let's start to compartmentalize this a little bit more. Let's give John a little more control. And John knew what to do the second he got that control. He knew what was going wrong. He knew how to fix it. And he changed it overnight. It would seem 180 degrees to more of a value-based draft in their approach. And that's helping to bring out these results. Alexander says, someone told me we need to fire Pete Carroll a few weeks ago before preseason starts. And there's some weird takes out there, Alexander. Um, and there's some people that, you know, uh, it's years of Hawk fandom for different Hawk fans build up different, you know, things they favor and don't favor. There are the people out there when they look at Coach Carroll at this point that, you know, have, there's certain issues with them to a degree, I guess. But then there's the Russell thing where it's back to, you know, they loved Russell. They really, they really liked him as a player and they don't like that, you know, he had to come at the cost of Carroll kind of to their standpoint, I think a little bit. But um, there are some folks out there that still are pretty, they come in the chat every once in a while here that are still very anti their viewpoint on Carroll. They don't think that he is the right one to lead them to go forward. Um, I get where they're coming from, but at the same point in time, for Carroll to pull off the job he did last year, for this team to be where they're slotted to be right now, for the understanding of what Carroll does with young football teams and how he's able to, to muster a lot out of those type of teams, get the most out of a very young roster. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with riding here with him. I'm good with, let's see how this plays out. You know, he's got to prove to fail at this point to me a little bit. He's earned at least, he should have earned at least some goodwill back. I would feel like at this point, Jacob says, at what point would you say it's time to let Pete go? I know we shouldn't be asking this, but, uh, he's not going to live forever and the league is starting to leave his type of game. Uh, this is a tough question to answer, Jacob. Um, uh, my, I, I have been asked before in the past. I think my answer still probably remains where it was before, which is that Pete Carroll strikes me as a guy that you're going to need to rip the whistle off of his neck to pull him off the coaching field. You know, that he's, he's not a guy that just goes quietly in that good night and says, okay, well, I've had a good run and it's time to call it and move on down the road. And I think if things are going well, if he is not in a place where of, of misery, where it looks like nothing but darkness into the foreseeable future as far as the roster or their ability to contend goes, I think he's going to go as long as he can get away with. And um, so I, I honestly don't think it's something like it's on the near horizon at this point, Jacob. And I don't think you can let him go after what he did last year, I don't think you can even say he's on a warm seat at this point. He got a playoff roster out of a rebuilding roster that had $57 million of dead money that had moved off of two Hall of Fame captains the prior offseason that was starting six rookies on both sides of the ball and two, including two rookie tackles. Um, that, that kind of coaching job to bring that out is only going to merit a guy being more embedded. DJ Jimenez says Bleacher Report reached out. They have reached out. Yeah, they're wanting me to fill in for, uh, I think, like a panel thing or something here on the 27th. So I'll get more details out to you guys, but uh, I'm I'm stoked. It was cool, cool of them to reach out. Uh, Herbert says, uh, says uh, Brand Hawks Nest, you should put out a poll for the best old school jersey number. What's... Tough with that. I got to wait to do that on the, um, that's what I'm going to, that's one of the nice things Herbicide with the new website I'm putting together because the polls on YouTube here give you four options. So I could put four options together if you want, but it'd be nice to have like 
10 or 15, right? And um, so with the site that I'm putting together right now, we're actually gonna have a poll section on my site where I've got, I'm gonna use the Google Forms off of it and embed the Google Forms on the site. And then I can just run full, um, we'll be able to run full uh, polls that way, like this type of stuff to where I'm not inhibited by the four. I hate just having four selections on YouTube. I don't know why that has to be just four. Why can't it be as many as I want? You know, that's the tough part. We've got like 15 good, select, 15 good options here as far as potential uh, jersey numbers go. Brian says, B, think you should get your hands on a throwback Chad Brown? Only fitting. I think that'd be a good jersey to get too. I do. I wouldn't say no to a Brown jersey. Give him, gotta give Brown his love on that, man. He's earned it. Uh, DJ Jimenez, Artie Burns is definitely back. He is on the roster. He is rolling. Ethan Tech World, hey, what's up? 12s, their retro uniforms look fire. I think a retro Bobby Wagner jersey may be the move. I think I think we wouldn't have to do a poll too because I think Bobby Wagner has the, been the most popular by far, by far answer, I would say. Larry Murphy, Pete's still great. The way he builds confidence, the way he motivates players, the best to ever do those things. Agreed, Larry. I don't I don't stand in a pad. And I'm looking, I've been, I've been as virulent um, a person that's been on top of Coach Carroll as far as some of his problems and issues as a coach here in recent years. But this is where you change with new information and you don't hammer on a coach or you hammer on a team just to hammer them for the sake of that's where your momentum is going. And so you have to stay with that momentum. You do so because you see something broken or something not working right and it needs to be fixed. And what I think that Coach Carroll has done and what the team has done from their drafting to Larry, uh, Coach Carroll bringing on the McVay offense, to bringing on the Fangio defense, is that he's worked to fix what's been the issue. Did it take him a long time to come around on that? Yeah. Did he also admit that a couple of years ago? Yeah. He's like, oh, we've been a little bit arrogant. There's a press conference at the draft where he's like, we've been a little arrogant in our ways. We've got to change it here. But he's changed it. And that's all I really wanted to see at the end of the day. It didn't have to come on the back of Carroll being fired. It just changed this thing not working. You're going down this one road as a team, year in and year out, and it's not bringing you success. I don't know if the other road down over there is going to bring you the success, but I know this one's not. And uh, they seem to get that kind of starting to roll through their mind a little bit. So Larry, you know, they fixed their issues. Uh, they've, they've, they've taken those steps. May, more issues may come up. Maybe Carroll falls on his face in this rebuild and shows that the time has passed. Maybe all those things happen. But the data up until this point is he accomplished what he accomplished last year. The team has taken steps to where you can see them reaching the playoffs last year and understand it. You updated your offense. You updated your defense. You cleared off the bad dead money. You're trying to reinvigorate the culture and get back to your original philosophy foundations that you utilized back in the 2000 teen, early 2010s. So uh, I a great, greatly put by you, Larry, and uh, I'm 100% agreeance with you on that. 100%. Garth Knight in the house. What's up, Garth? Thank you for the $5 donation, and I do appreciate seeing you in here. Hope you're doing well. So the Niners are my second most despised thing in San Francisco behind Lucasfilm. Loving the Hawks retro jerseys. Yeah, I, I got to think that, uh, I got to think that Mr. Lucas Garth is looking back at that cell of the Lucasfilms to Disney, and he's going, I know I got, I know I got $4 billion. I know I got $4 billion, but... 
I don't think it was enough for what they did to my franchise. <laughs> uh, they're they are like raking that that they they're destroying that franchise as quick as they possibly can. I swear to God. But uh, that adds up to me too, Garth. I think I got Niners a little bit ahead of Lucasfilm because I still got the old love for the original trilogy in my heart for it. But it, it it's picking up steam, man. Especially with what J.J. Jar Jar Abrams did to the to the to the last uh, to the last trilogy. I know they're gonna make some more of them, I guess, too. Boy, they just they don't know when to quit, literally. But thank you, Garth, for the five dollar dono, man. Hope you're having a great night. Katie Barnes says, thanks for your insights. I do believe we are still a year away, but that doesn't mean this season won't be amazing. Uh, this is the first time I know ever up. Uh, this is the first time I know every player on the roster, quality youth everywhere. Uh, I appreciate where you're coming from, from an even keeled approach, Katie, because it's not a place that a lot of fans can kind of come from in that little bit of a nuanced position. Um, and, and I'm a guy that I will be in moments impatient. I was impatient when we were in the Russell Wilson prime. You know, I was the guy saying chips to the center of the stack, you know, buy for today, F tomorrow, let's go. You know, now is the time to strike. But I can also recognize where the team is at and what they're doing. And what I, I will be, it, it, it's as much as I'm telling myself this, Katie, as I'm telling the people in the chat, right? Because I get emotional on this stuff and I can get lost in my, in my temper at times when things aren't going right. But it's as much a reminder of myself on this is that this is a young team. This is year two of the rebuild. This is something that you're oftentimes going to engage and find a lot of inconsistency on this team. It doesn't mean it isn't talented. It doesn't mean Coach Carroll isn't the right coach to go forward. It doesn't mean they don't have the right schemes in place. It doesn't mean that they're not on the right track. It just means that it's a little early right now. You know, we, we had the um, 2012 season, Katie, which was Russell Wilson's rookie year. And you had uh, as good a team that year. I mean, you talk about the 12, 13, 14 teams as far as being, which is the best team, right? If you had like a, you know, you're trying to do like a, a chart to show which one was better. All of those teams, I think, would have been very close to the same line of how good they were at the end of the day. All of them. As good as 2014 was, as well as that played out, getting to the ultimate Super Bowl and winning it, right? Though all those teams were there, including the 2012 team. It was about as good as those other teams too. It didn't quite have the, the need those extra cup, Michael Bennett's and Cliff Averill's to get you up over, right? You need a couple, a little bit extra. But they're in that kind of year where we could come into 2012. This is kind of our 2012 year this year where the roster's still really young. Nobody's kind of much expecting stuff, but the talent comes together. And if this team gets hot, and momentum starts rolling, then there's no reason not to believe that they can maybe catch fire and make some noise in this playoffs. But I will be patient, Katie, and thank you for your kind words. I'll, I will be patient this year with this team. I'll understand that this is this is a young roster and that we're on the right track. And as I've said, I'm, I'm so stoked by where they're at and I'll be so patient by where they're at because they've done the hard work. You know, you, you made the choice to do the rebuild and you took all of the pain that you had to take with that. You took the PR blowback nationally for that. You, you know, you lost the Russell trade. You're stupid for moving this guy. You're staying with Coach Carr. You, went, you, 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 you suffered all the slings and arrows. You know, now you're kind of through the, you've, you've had two fl nearly flawless drafts. You know, now you're, you are on the downhill swing, but you don't know when you're going to quite reach that or get to the top, mountaintop, however, whatever metaphor you want to use. It just got to be patient with it. And I'm impatient throughout this year, for sure. For sure. But you're right to be excited. That's for sure, too. Herbicide says, I still don't know why we give up Muse. I thought he played pretty good. Me too, Herbicide. The eye test played well. PFF scores, he played pretty well. 
Um, the coverage, especially that was his claim to fame, would he be former safety convert, he'd be good in coverage situations as a linebacker, and that showed up. He was he was on that Niner tape I was watching with the second Niner game, especially. He was he was kind of showing up all over the place. He was one of those guys like Muse where he was definitely standing out. Lou says, hey, B, with the offensive weapons we have, Shane Waldron has a Swiss Army knife to work with. This is his chance to shine. Top five offense, or it may be time to move on from him. Thoughts? Um, I don't think I can hold him to a, to a top five offense or we're firing you, necessarily, standpoint. Um, he does have a lot to work with, and you're expecting him to be productive with all of these assets to work with. But he was at the center. He was a, a real, on top of Gino doing what he did, of course, your offensive scheme, the creative way that he utilized the talent he had last year, you know, that was Waldron doing that. That wasn't just your talent was so good and he's kind of riding the coattails of the talent. It was the designs of his scheme. It was the him fully implementing that McVay scheme absent maybe bubble screens and fly sweeps to a high propensity. So he's only building upon, much like Carroll, it's, you know, he's building on already some of his best work. If he's just a top 10 offense this year, Lou, you know, does that mean that he's, you know, taking some, you know, major step back at that point. I don't know that it does mean that necessarily. I do have an expectation like you do that this should be a top five team, if not better offensively speaking. But um, I, I can't, I, when I put guys to a place of thinking, Lou, that they're, this guy's in the hot seat. This guy's a guy that you got to watch this year and monitor if he's going to be the right guy for you in the long term. They've got to be kind of coming off a bad year to start putting them in that mindset for me. And remember with Waldron that first year, he was having to run kind of the Russell Wilson offense still. Last year was really the first true time that he got to implement the offense in full. <laughs> DJ, can you do Cody Barton's stats last next season? Last season, next, yeah, it, his was pretty rough too. His he got he actually rounded out and, and got to respectability at least by the end of the year, but um, they weren't good for a lot of the year. Marcus B, thank you for the two dollar donation. Says, worst jersey investment ever, Derek Mays. <laughs> I, you know what? I get where you're coming though, though, because so Holmgren, Holmgren, Marcus, correct me if I'm wrong on this one. Thank you for the donation, man. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this. So Mike, Mike Holmgren comes in and he's not a fan of Galloway. Because Galloway's kind of imprecise with the route running, right? He he's, he wants to do it his way. Holmgren wants to do it his way. So Holmgren uh, moves Galloway and then makes a trade for Derek Mays, who's with the Green Bay Packers, I think, at that time. So he's getting a guy who he knows he has familiarity with his offense. And John Kitten and Derek Mays kind of have a connection. They're rolling. Um, I think it's that 98 season. Like, they're kind of cooking a bit. And Mays is looking like, Good route runner, good hands. It just seems to get open against everybody, but then it was just kind of a one-year-off thing, right, Marcus? Like, Holmgren wanted to quickly go find his guys and Daryl Jackson and Corn Robinson. And so Derek got moved quick and quickly quickly uh, disappeared into, into the ether, I guess. <laughs> but that's a brutal one. <laughs> oh, man, Derek Mays. He had some good catches that year, though, man. You did have some good catches. Ethan says, Brando, I'll see you during the fantasy football season, my man. You know it. I'm rocking the Hawks Nass fantasy football this year on top of doing the underdog fantasy here for the channel. So 
we'll be we'll be hitting a little bit of it up. We'll be doing some extra content on fantasy this year. That's for sure. Connor says, yeah, all uh, the points you made are exactly why I disagree. I went back and watched some tape, and I think he's specifically slow at picking up short route concepts and just lacks zone coverage instincts. It really is. I, I think you're on the button with it, man. Um, especially the second one that you posted out there, um, lack zone instincts. He just doesn't have a feel in zone. He actually can play man relatively well, but that's the scuttlebutt here is that you play a defense where your linebackers are going to drop into zone at a way higher propensity than they're going to drop into man. So those man coverage ability that Jordan kind of has doesn't really get utilized. He just doesn't have a feel for it. There's just no, he drops into zone. He can't, he can't feel the defender coming through the zone. He doesn't have a timing for it. He's really gets exposed to the flood zone concepts so often. I mean, McVeigh just, McVeigh's mean about it with Brooks when he's on the field and the way that he attacks with the flood zone concepts. But it's just everything's a little slow. Like you say, there's a there's a route I was watching that I've got as a clip I'm pulling. And there's a couple of, I'm actually, I'm just pulling some clips from some of these games from last year. And I've got a little selection of Jordan Brooks' bad coverage clips I've pulled within that. But there's one to your your um, point on the short, the short route concept where you have a defender in the corner who's got to play, he's, he's not in off coverage, halfway between off coverage and press. He's got to drop back into a cover three quarter responsibility. So he's dropping off at the snap. The player then runs a drag route across the middle of the field. And Jordan Brooks just lets the guy run right past him as he's supposed to pick the crosser up then. He's supposed to pick the dragger up then. And it's right in front of him. But he's, it's that one beat slow thing, Connor, where it's one, 1,000, two, 1,000. Then he picks it up. And that's just too much time to create the separation where it's an easy completion for Brock Purdy. And, and that stuff shows up too often. There's just no feel in coverage at all from him in zone. It's, it's a defense I'm sure he hates running coverage like that. Sucks too. Yeah. Go back and watch some of his snaps, especially his second to last year in college. A lot of man coverage snaps at that time, you know, taking tight ends up the seam and being pretty comfortable in that realm. But it's not the defense we run. It's unfortunate. Lou, Lou got a Deion Branch jersey. That's a tough one, too. That's a tough one, too, because you thought, oh, they're trading a first-round pick. He'll definitely be here for a while. This is going to absolutely be a smart purchase. Oh, DJ, Deion Butler. We got some brutal ones. We got Guys, I'm feeling for you on these. Oh, well, man, I'm feeling for you on these ones. <laughs> Deion Butler. <laughs> oh... Biggest says, and you know how I feel about Russ, and I'll always choose PC over MB. Absolutely. Well, listen to Megan, listen to Golden Tate and KJ Wright. He didn't say specifically what it was, but KJ was pretty open in that last episode of saying, you know, number three's got some stuff to apologize down the road for. And he didn't get specific, but he did bring him up. Alexander says, sorry, Brooks is terrible. Just is what it is with it. It is what it is. Megan says, Mims traded to the Lions and the Jets. Wow. Yeah, they do need some help. Remember, they do have their uh, their fine young receiver there, the kid they got out of, of Alabama, Megan, uh, two years ago in the first round, Jamison Williams. Uh, he is going to be suspended, I think, for the first four games, four or six games for gambling. So uh, they needed some help. They lost some receivers this offseason. So it makes sense that they're going that route for him. try to rec- reclamate Mims. I'm not sure there's a whole lot there to reclamate, Megan. You know, I've talked my share of trash about them Baylor receivers. 
you got to watch out for them. Baylor receivers, I'm telling you. Ethan says, uh, excuse my capitalization. Can the Mariners please get more than one freaking hit? This pitcher almost has a five ERA. Uh, you are a patient man to continue to watch that team right now with the way that they play baseball as it stands this season. But uh, they are very, very frustrating to watch. Uh, and it's especially with their approach, Ethan, where you walk through these games and you find yourself in that spot where you're saying, can't you guys just get one hit? Can't you guys try to get make some noise? And Ethan, I sat in that stadium for 18 effing innings last year. 18 innings last year. Not one run. Not even for most of the game, even any threats on the base paths. Just no fight to be brought up at all. And the team's got to work to fix it this offseason. It sucks. DJ, it's great listening to your podcast at work. Although I'm sweating bullets in Phoenix, Arizona. It's been 117 for a few days. And I'm a maintenance technician and there is zero AC. That should be against the law in Arizona. that There's no places with AC at this point. Um, wherever you go. It's too hot down there, especially in the summer. I did one year DJ in, uh, in Tempe. And that was all I needed. It's a different type of heat. You hear your different, you hear people in different places where it gets warm. It's like, it's a desert heat. It's a, it's, it's just too hot. It's too hot to think, you know, it makes your nose hairs. It gets dry. You're, you're like, you're, you're getting nosal bleed almost. Cause it gets so dry. I feel for you, man. One, one seventeen is too much. Human beings should not be having to operate that. And you get all these reports, of course, too, DJ, that it's not going away anytime soon. We haven't even gotten to August yet, which is when you just die. At least you get a little rain in Arizona by that time, right? Some of the showers can come in from time to time, but Arizona is beautiful. Phoenix is a lovely place to potentially, you know, live actually, because there is a lot to do and you get out to lakes and it, like it's, there's, there's some stuff to check out, even though it is the desert, but the heat is unrelenting. Marco Montina says, Pete Carroll is the best coach. There we go. Pete getting some love. Megan as well. Mike Smith says, you're, you're Christopher Watkins. Kick ass, brother. Thank you, Mike Smith. I see you. And I'm thankful. I only hope it means doing it well that this team wins this year. I don't know if they will, but Root, all the way anyway, young, team, exciting, good. Why wouldn't you watch? I don't know, but it's going to be fun. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mike Smith. I hope you keep watching throughout the year now. Appreciate you, Mike. I love doing walking. I can do walking all day. We'll have eventually, Mike, a whole stream where I'll do just walking the whole stream, you know? Let me tell you about Pete Carroll. He's a coach. Good. Going to bring him back. Super Bowl. No time. You know it. It's going to happen. <laughs> you boy, uh, Brandon with Wagner being one of the best middle linebackers in the last 25 years. And Wagner giving us one more year, taking Brooks under his wing again. Do you think we should give Brooks another chance or say bye? Uh I don't know if Brooks is going to be 100% at any point in time this year, D-Boy. Guys that get back from this ACL injury often say that it's going to take them that extra year, even if they're healthy, recovered, technically cleared to go. It still gives, they need that extra year still to really get themselves back to their feet underneath them, if they're ever going to get their feet back underneath them off of a torn ACL. So I think that very much this year, D-Boy, even if he flashes at points and does decently at times, still fighting through that, you're not going to get a guy that's really going to be flashing enough at that point for the Seahawks to be driven to go give him a contract extension. 
They denied him his fifth year option. So he's a street free agent after the year. Um, do I think that if he goes out and, and he plays decently, they could offer him a marginal contract at that point? Maybe. I think that even if he comes back this year, the coverage stuff's still going to remain D-Boy. You know, it's one of those things where this has been going back since college. Bobby wasn't able to train it out of him prior. I don't think Bobby's going to be able to show him anything else new under the sun this, in, this, in this return. It just is a part of Jordan Brooks's game. It's a part of why D-Boy, I was so mad about the Jordan Brooks selection on draft night. You know, LJ Collier and Jordan Brooks are by far the two guys I was most pissed off about their being taken by our Hawks since I started this channel. And it, I really, you guys are going to find when I go to these drafts, especially we draft like we have the last couple of years, uh, my inclination is not ever to get really angry about these picks. My inclination is more often than not to give them the benefit of the doubt. But on those two selections, there were some heaping, gaping issues with them making those picks that did not make any sense in the moment and have not made any sense now years after the fact. And uh, I, I can't get around on him on that. I just think it's going to be, he's just going to be kind of a guy back there for us, D-Boy. For the good he gives us, will probably be for the bad we get in return on the other side. Uh, DJ says, uh, having Blythe Smarts also helped the offensive line, especially the rookies. He definitely brought some, some benefit to that, DJ, for sure. The play wasn't great with Blythe, though. I mean, it's that a lot of these Ram, a lot of these 49er snaps I'm watching of this tape, I'm watching of the all 22. It's, you know, he's getting killed inside on his block. Um, and it's blowing up the play, especially when you have the Hawks running so many A and B gap runs. When the center loses their block on those runs, you're in, you're in a crap show a little bit. You're in a crap show. Just a little bit. Greg says, I've never, never seen any Star Wars movie, but I did hear J.J. copied and pasted the old movies. Oh, he did. Uh, the first one's hilarious, how he just took the whole plot, ripped it off, and re-put it, repurposed it back into the news. It's like, um, that's, I, 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 have a, I have a deep level of hate for J.J. Abrams. I, I think he is probably one of the most, he is the most overrated filmmaker of this era. And uh, I, I hate everything about the way he goes about creating films and storytelling. Everything. Not even while he does this kind of well. No. He could take his mystery box and shove it up his behind. I hate JJ. You're, you're right for not watching the, the old ones are still legit, but the new ones, I ain't touching a 10 foot pole. I dig Doc says too bad the Holmgren couldn't bring in Antonio Freeman with him from Green Bay. Now he was a nice receiver. He was. Green Bay for a lot of years there. So I'm like every new year, they'd have a new number one guy for, or at least for a couple of years. It'd be Sterling Sharp and then you'd have what Robert Brooks, wasn't it? And then Antonio Freeman, and they had this other guy in there for a while. They drafted in the first round. You know, they were always kind of flipping a new guy out every year, it seemed like. I do you Brandon, how does the NFL players gambling on games and getting suspended contrast with Pete Rose not making it into the Hall of Fame in baseball? Uh, the NFL is obviously building into their, building into their, um, rule book here, an understanding of they don't want to be banning a lot of players for life on a consistent basis. And that there's going to be players that are going to do their gambling, even with all of the, um, warnings as to not do it. And I think that the fact you see it being just like a six game suspension or a year suspension, while that's brutal, of course, that's nothing, of course, compared to Pete, that's 
still can't get into the baseball hall of fame to this day. And he's, you know, been 30 years out of the sport um, on the back of that paying that price a little bit. So it's a different sport, different ways that they view cheating, I guess a little bit, but even baseball with the way they had the, you know, Astro scandal, you know, it's like they seem to have a little or steroids or greenies or, you know, um, doctoring baseballs. Baseball's got a little bit of a uneven approach to the way that they seem to handle cheating. Um, but I think the NFL just knows that if, if they came down hard like that, they'd be kicking a lot of guys out of the league because there's just going to get some guys that just can't help themselves that have to put their hand in the cookie jar. Doesn't mean that it's fair though, addicted. Doesn't mean it's right. Brian says, how about a Nate Burleson throwback? Nicest guy on the planet. No doubt about that, man. He was a nice, he was a good receiver too. Good receiver. Jacob says, the league rules are whack. You get a full season suspension for gambling, but you get 10 games for Watson's bowl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the sports are still kind of figuring out their whole, what's the right suspension where, and you know, it's definitely not uh, where we're in a place of like justice being met out a lot of times, but more of us looking around going, how did they come to that? How did they, how did they arrive at that? Uh, Mega says Arizona heat is here. He is uh, in Verl's heat uh, in the middle of De December. You're heat in December. I wouldn't go for it, Megan. I can't do that. I, I can go up to hundred degrees and I'm good. You give me to 115 though. And I'm, my brain starts shutting down. Uh, Megan says more Costello's always be. We'll get some more rolling in here. I'm a little low energy tonight on the, on the, on the deal, but we'll, I'll work them in here before we uh, sign off tonight. Is my uh, audio still off? Is it still back a little bit? Dig Doc's Wild Pumpkin looks like a Linus, home to the den after a successful hunt kill. She's very happy with herself. Very happy. She's a good girl. Yeah, you're a good kitty. She's been doing some hunting of bugs and stuff on the outside. She likes to hunt for those. And yell at the yell at the birds. I'll hit you guys up on the, we'll do some, we'll do some, uh, I, I'm getting some requests for the, <laughs> for the stuff. I'm, I'm beat today. I was, I was up till three and more and work on a website last night. So my, I don't know. I probably wouldn't be doing a very good, um, impressions right now. I'm a little lackluster in my impressions. Maybe up on the next one. Uh, DJ Owen, thank you for a $10 donation. I do appreciate it. it says, uh, I recently bought a flawless Marcus Trufant Pro Bowl jersey and 08 with the tag still on it. I love it. My favorite Pro Bowl jersey, plus my favorite number, and he's a Seattle native like I am. It's kind of a throwback. Nothing nothing wrong with a Marcus Trufant jersey as uh, our relative, uh, I think, I don't know, is it space I get into? There's somebody I get into the chat that we have a joke going back and forth about Marcus Trufant, local Seattle legend. But uh, Trufant had a hell of a career with the Seattle Seahawks and a hell of a career at Washington State. Um, as a corner out there as well. Um, my first enduring memory of him is playing out there and he's got a cast on his hand and he's still out there balling out. I think he was going head to head with uh, Mike Williams at that time, future first round pick and holding his own. But uh, yeah, he was great, good player for us. Had the one really top notch season where he got into that Pro Bowl year. Um, an interesting player to look at, an interesting player to, to kind of analyze through his his career and, and you know, what he did. Um, but he had a couple year run there where he was really solid, just a good all around corner. Maybe not spectacular, but just a good, good all around corner. Marcus Trufant, a local Seattle legend. Up from Puyallup, he was 
born on out to the great eastern part of the state as he matured and proselytized a player whose future would be set in the local region. Then he was drafted in the first round by your Seattle Seahawks, known at that time in the draft for his change of direction, his stop and start, those prerequisite skill sets that are enduring in cornerbacks and of the utmost necessity. He may not have been a star. He may not ever have made the Pro Bowl. But Marcus Trufant is truly a local Seattle sports legend. A little bit of a little bit in there, a little bit of Howard in there for you, Megan. Uh, but thank you, DJ, for the ten dollar donation. That's a great jersey to get. Pro Bowl jersey would be a pretty good jersey to get at some point. I could dig that, especially if they got a good design year on that. I'd, I'd go for that. But I, I've got to show love to Trufant. It's a good hawk. Don Don, Ranger Power. Hawks Nest, hello, Brandon. Hope all is well. Everything's great out here, man. We're rolling, singing a song. We're doing well. It's been a great show, but it's always a great show. Brian says, RGG, but Marcus native of Tacoma. Is it? Oh, I thought it was Puyallup. My bad, it is Tacoma. I'm sorry I said Puyallup, but it's Tacoma. When you get to that region of the state, it's all the same. House of back love in there. Gene D went to high school with Marcus Trufant, Tacoma laughed out. <laughs> Pumpkin is plotting. She's always plotting. Look at this face. She's just up to no good. Watch, she's going to do the layout move now. What's wrong? What's your mom? No. I think Alex Brandon mentioned in home grid and fantasy football. I rode Favre's arm and Friedman's legs to two years in a row wins in a small 18 fantasy league. Plus, I was living in Minneapolis. Ooh. <laughs> you must add some pretty uh some pretty embittered uh, Viking fans. They already weren't super happy with uh, I'm sure Favre kind of breaking their heart through those years, and then you gotta you're winning your fantasy on top of it. But uh Holmgren got Favre locked in for a few years. We'll have multiple Pro Bowl, multiple MVPs back to back. I mean, he got, some, he got some insane production out of Favre, especially for as wild as Favre was early on there with Mike. Um, just a testament to why Mike was every bit the um, offensive guru that people would claim him to be. And uh, part of the reason why he's a guy who should make the Hall of Fame for his resume and what he accomplished in the course of his career. Truly impressive with Mike Holmgren. Truly. Roxanne says, uh, Hawks Nest Puyallup is the land of Hewards. It is the land of Hewards. I don't know why, though, and it's, it's probably my, my north end ways. I always, am, I always do put Puyallup and Tacoma kind of in just the same sort of I, camp. They just kind of go together for me for some reason. It all runs into one down that southwestern portion of the state. It all becomes one for me. That's just a north, that's just a north corridor view of things, though, you know? Up, up here in our special spot. John Robinson says, Marcus Trufant. What's up, John? It's good to see you in the chat, man. Uh, Marcus Trufant's a Tacoma baby. Wilson High native. Let's go, Marcus. Shout out to Desmond Trufant, too. He had a pretty good career as well. Uh, it's good to see you, John. How you doing, man? Uh, 
Uh, Greg Kemp says, Schottenheimer used DK better as a deep threat, and I hope Shane brings back more of the routes from DK's second year to the offense uh, this year. DK's yards per catch have dropped every year with Shane as OC. Um, yeah. I mean, Greg, remember with this that technically, yeah, in, in the second year, which would have been 2020 for, for DK Metcalf, you know, you were getting more yards per catch. You got the better, you got that at great season at 1,300 yards. But remember that that was also, a lot of that production came on the back of the first eight or nine games of that season. And that then when teams drifted into the cover two, what teams did then, Greg, was that they adjusted to then doubling DK at a higher rate than they were doubling him prior to that. There were no more times where they were going to say, single coverage is going to get it done against him. And from that moment forward, teams have remained committed to doubling DK Metcalf, not merely at just a high rate, but doubling him at the highest rate or one of the top two to three highest rates in all of football over this last two-year period. And so if you're you're going to try to take the top alpha defense, it's going to be very hard to do that with any player if there's going to be that kind of level of commitment to the double teams, which are set up exactly to sort of remove that over-the-top possibility. So I think some of this is a bit of a symptom of the way the defenses have chosen to play us, defensively speaking, especially with the the high, high nature number of uh, cover two looks that you get, where they're just dropping into it and they're going to stay pure to that. Um, some of it is also, Greg, the transition to the West Coast offense. You went from a power running offense that was then going to take deep shots over the top, leaning into the best parts of Russell Wilson's game. Now you're going to be built more into an offense that's about moving the chains, which is going to mean shorter throws and just getting the ball into guys' hands. So, I mean, some of the, these are the kind of things that I think more change the nature of his touches and then his catches and the way that stuff goes. But really where it comes down to, for me, my perspective on it, Greg, is that if you can find a way to peel the double teams off DK, you will then find that production that you're seeking there from him as a deep threat. But that without pulling the double team off of them, you're not going to get back or return back to that same type of production. And it's on you as an offense to find that counter turn, find that count, find the Jackson Smith and Jigba that you just let eat underneath all game long if they're going to lean on those double teams as much. Because if you're going to double team somebody, you're leaving an opening somewhere else defensively. And it's going to be a pretty big opening at that. Whether that offense has the means to attack it or not, who knows? But it will be there. So what's better, you know, to force... To force the hard measure to, to throw it into those double teams or go find the open space and pull the double team off and then start getting back to attacking, you know? You zig, we zag, you know? Uh, Mega says, uh, okay, I need to start getting going. Wrist is out of the brace and starting to ache. No worries. It sounds good. We're going to wrap this probably up here pretty soon as well. So we're putting a bit of a button on this. Um... Uh, Brandon, I think talks. Brandon agreed. Holmgren is sometimes forgotten. Definitely a Hall of Fame coach, if you ask me. Yeah, it's interesting. Is uh, you know, right now with Coach Carroll, for instance, um, Coach Carroll and Mike Holmgren have exactly the same amount of wins and losses in their whole career. They have exact or wins. Sorry, uh, Carroll's got one more loss. So Coach Carroll, Coach Holmgren has technically a slightly better winning percentage by by a very tiny marginal amount. But Mike Holmgren uh, got to three Super Bowls, won one. Um, two different franchises doing that at, um, he, he's got hall of famers from different places on his teams. Um, and guys like Sterling Sharp that are almost hall of famers, if they would have just stayed healthy in his offense, um, he deserves, he will get there eventually. I know he will, but, um, Holmgren was legit and, and he gets forgotten about, but when you really put that in perspective of how, well, you know, 
Carroll's been so consistent in winning and keep, keeping winning teams and franchises, but you go and you look at their bottom line of wins and losses. Mike Holmgren was good at that stuff too. He was good at that stuff too. Lou says, B, it's uh, T-Town, 253, living in Spokane. Now it's too freaking hot. Staying cool here. Hope you are as well. Uh, it's been really hot here. But the nice thing about the east, east side though is that when it is hot here, they all got air conditioning. You guys on the west side, it gets hot there. There's no AC. You're all just sitting there in your apartments and your houses like... It's like the opening scene in Apocalypse Now where Sheen's just staring and you can feel the heat and it's like sweat's coming off of him and you're just going, how do people live like this? So I'm fine here. I'm always kind of cooled out and I got the AC and it pumps and it's good. So I, I, the, the weather here don't bother me. It's always just kind of perfect, even when it's really hot. Dick Doc's got to run 12s. Hope you all have a great night. You have a great night, man. Thank you so much. Power Code, what's up, brother? Hope you're doing well. You got us kind of at the end here, man. So we'll be closing this up soon, but I hope you're having a good night. Hope you're having a good, good evening. Make sure I didn't miss any uh, questiones. Questiones. Uh, and by the way, D-Boy, I think uh, Wagner is a top six guy all time. Even absent this 25-year period, I think just NFL history-wise, he's a top six all-time middle linebacker. He's got a strong case to be made. And he goes out and has a great season this year. If he goes out and has another all-pro year, strong starting argument to be made that he's vaulted himself by that point up into a top top four status even, I would say. Very strongly put. Very strongly put. All right, well, we'll get the last couple of questions in. We'll put a button on this one in. Good good timing, I would say, here on this. Another great show. Um, let me know, too, if it, the audio is still kind of weird, if you can, in the chat. I gotta, I'll gotta, i try to get that fixed on my off hour. If you guys are a little uh, late coming into the chat, we had a couple of bits of news and points of bits to drop here. we got some sponsorship on the channel now. So if you've been thinking of dipping your toe into the underdog fantasy realm and doing a little bit of that this season, it's a good time to do it. We're gonna be doing some content around that because Underdog Fantasy is now your main sponsor of the Hawks Nest YouTube channel. So thank you to Underdog, um, my man Dan out there for getting this all set up and hooked up. We're gonna be rolling with this. I'll be doing some content around the Underdog Fantasy you know, within this a little bit. I think it only adds to, that's one of the reasons I wanted to choose to go with them, but uh, exciting time in that respect of things. Within the next week, I'm going to be unveiling a new website here in conjunction with the, in conjunction with the channel. Uh, it's going to have, of course, kind of a one-stop shop for all the social media profiles and you know, have a little bit for the video sections. And then it's also going to have a little bit of a blog section for looking at and scouting prospects. So it's going to be kind of, a, kind of an everything site. We'll have everything on there. We'll have probably Discord channel on there. We'll have all these kind of stuff, just a one-place connection to go to on top of the channel, which also allows me to kind of run some polls and different things I've been wanting to do with the channel uh, as we go forward into the future. Um, I will be back this Sunday for a show. I don't know what, I'm not sure what we're covering quite yet. I'm still turning over my mind on a couple of different topics. We will also be live on Monday. Um, we'll be going live with the uh, Niner channel, Last Second Sports. Get Jay back over here. Me and him will be chopping it up and uh, talking about both our teams. And I'll be explaining to him why this is going to be the year that our Seahawks take over this division and, and knock the Niners out and close their Super Bowl window. And I'm sure he's going to feel sad about that. But, you know, we've got to bring him to that reality and, you know, prepare him 
for uh, for what's going to be inevitable this year. Other than that, I will be back on uh, tomorrow, Thursday, for the members-only channel, 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. We'll be doing a members-only channel show with that. So please, if you're a member, jump on over there. We've got a lot of things percolating here on the channel. So do keep your uh, eye on the ball here as I'll be posting a lot of updates in regards uh, to the channel and stuff we're going to be doing as training camp is now less than a week away. Uh, Greg Kemp says, Brandon, I know, but I'm talking, uh, I'm more talking the routes. Yeah, DK run, not just throwing it deep. For example, Shadi would run, would would go DK fade on for sure, single high. And he had DK run blaze outs, which Julio ran to get yards. Oh, that's a fair point, man. Um, that's a fair point. And I would love to be able to find ways, to your point on this, that we can better take advantage of the big playability of DK without just being shut down purely by the, you know, by the cover two looks of things. So, um, but it's I, I, those other two reasons I kind of game, I, I do lean back to, and when I go, look, I'd like to see more from it. I, I, he's capable of doing more. Um, and many offensive coordinators could find the road to creating those instances to give him those opportunities to take that top of the defense off or just to get to, like you talked about, the chunk plays. Um, so it's there's definitely room for that right now. And I think what's been at the forefront of their thinking with the two, Greg, has been We've got to find a way, even if it's just at times, manufacture those touches to DK, which just ends up lowering down a little bit of that yards per catch when you're putting that a little bit more, you know, kind of at the forefront. But the bottom line on this, with my standpoint on it, Greg, is that I do think those instances are going to get opened up more than him maybe going back to those routes. I think it's going to be the Jackson Smith and him eating up as much as he is underneath that's going to force those defenses to play a little more balanced in their coverages to provide more opportunities for DK than those single opportunities. And then I think he starts with that, then he flourishes with that. Then he puts back up the 13, 1400 yard like season. Um, But you want to get that out of him, man. That's what he is. That's how he's built. He's a game changer in that way where, you know, having him run DeAndre Hopkins routes is not the best probably utilization of DK probably to your point on that. Rubber Podcast is Have a Good Night 12s and Brando been wrapped up uh, in Assassin's Creed Origins. So I've been listening along. See you all in the next stream. Congrats again on the sponsorship, brother. Well, thank you, Rumbler. Appreciate you uh, tuning on in, man. And uh, if you're not, folks, do get subscribed out there to Rumbler Podcast. Seahawks, Jose Rodriguez. These are some of our local folks getting their streams and uh, channels rolling. I think with Seahawks, Jose Rodriguez, we're trying to get him up over the top of 1,000. He's getting real close out there. So uh, help out help out our man out there, Jose, and get him rolling too on that side of things. Sean Lee, you have yourself a great night. Megan, let me know if you need a hand with anything on the, B, on the website B. I will, Megan. I think I got it all kind of figured out and constructed up. I just went with the Squarespace thing, but I've got it, I think, ready to roll. It's not going to be fancy. It's, it's, it's more function than it is uh, style, but uh, it will be functional as hell. Hell, Greg, uh, the routes uh, DK runs now are what Bucks OC is saying he's going to run with Mike Evans this year. I heard on the podcast. Mm. It's it, and there's I can see the draw to it, Greg. You know, you have a guy that's so good, and you just want to get the ball in his hands. And you do have those times if you have him run those post out routes, where it's especially if the corner plays it from a leverage standpoint on top of the the double team, Greg. You know, if you got an out run out route and and the corner's playing on top and he's playing with outside leverage hard to get open on that route it's almost like he's stealing it a bit pre-snap you know um and then you have to guess right as an oc or you got to give the receiver an option route on those deep routes which is not often what i think ocs like to do on the deeper routes the option routes on short fine but i I got an option route on it can be an out route or it can be an in cutting route and it's 15 yards up the field and i have a safety lurking over the top who's likely to potentially jump the route in addition to it it's kind of like one of those too much moving parts kind of situations with it um striking the balance here 
understanding you got to have the times to, to manufacture the touches, but also building within the game plan. How do we find those moments to create the deep shots, to create situations where we get them in single coverage? So one of the places I like, Greg, was the instance, the, the throwback pass in the Niners game that got called back because our offensive lineman took two extra steps forward. But remember in that play, part of what you're doing with that is you have the running back take the ball initially. That brings the safety up. You know, now you do the halfback pass to Gino, and then now it's back to you've got a one-on-one situation you've manufactured as an OC in that situation. That's an extreme example. But there's other creative ways to do it, um, kind of in various other other ways with that. You know, if you could just if they get creative and they commit to it a bit. Roxanne, I missed the, this honest analysis and enthusiastic optimism. Go Hawks. Well, you know, I missed you too, Roxanne. So I appreciate you on that. Thank you for all your support to the channel. Thank you for your long time. One of my OG S's in the house here in the Hawks Nest with Roxanne. So thank you for that. And uh, I'm hyped for this year, Roxanne. I'm having a, you know me, I'm having a ball doing this. I love doing it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this upcoming season. This Whether it goes great or merely good. I think it's going to be a fun year to unpack. I think it's going to be fun football games to watch. These are going to be entertaining games. It's not going to be, you know, defensive slugfest where it's six-six tie or something like that, like we saw back a few years ago. Um, you're going to get some good scoring. You're going to get some some action, some explosiveness, um, and a variety of different places it comes from, from the running game to the passing game. And you got a young, hungry defense, fast as hell. It's got some depth to it now with it built front to back. There's a lot to cover with this team this year, which just makes it that much funner for me to, you know, cover the team and dive in, Roxanne. Especially versus where it was when I was kind of starting this channel where stories were kind of set, the season's narrative was kind of set, players were put into the positions they were in to start, and you knew kind of what was going to be what. Here, it could be anything is kind of possible, quite literally, this upcoming season. And I like that. Lou uh, says, good IB, love the channel, looking forward to the next stream. Sounds good. And I appreciate you, Lou. You have a great night, man. Nick says, good evening, Brandon 12. Season is quickly approaching and I hope everyone's doing well. We're doing great, Nick. Caught me just at the end, man, but uh, appreciate you jumping on in the chat. Uh, and Power Code says, congrats on the partnership, B. So happy for you, my man. I'm I, I'm overjoyed for it. it I've been did, looking at a couple of offerings and I, I haven't been quite happy with what I have saw from where the people are coming on. And I, I feel like Underdog kind of understood where what was important to be on this, which is you know the establishment of something that's going to be really beneficial and helpful to me. Uh, certainly from a monetary standpoint, something that goes together as well, though, really well with the content of the channel and also a partnership that's looking to make this long-term. You know, I'm not looking to find something I'm doing for a year with somebody. I want to do this in the long-term and build upon that relationship. So all of that checked every box here with Underdog Fantasy and you don't get better as a partner as far as a fantasy football website um, to, to you know, coordinate with. Um, that, beats, that beats the hell out of trying to do the manscape ball shaving nut nut hugger stuff, you know, no, no, uh, no disrespect to the manscape. They were a fine sponsor for what they were, but it's not easy to transition from football talk to, to nut grooming. So, uh, I, I like that part of it, but thank you, man. And thank you for your support. It's your guys' support. It's you watching. It's your guys' interaction. It's them looking at this channel and seeing how many views we get and how many, what the like ratio is and all that. And I'm sure they've got an algorithm they put it into to determine whether or not they want to go with someone on, on partnerships. But uh, you know, the support I get for the size of channel I am, to be able to derive this kind of partnership um, and sponsorship from these folks is is really, uh, as I led with the top of this show, it's really more of a, an example of your guys' support and how unique it is that of what I'm getting here from you guys in that respect and how you watch and how even in the dead of the off season, we're still pulling in a couple thousand views and people are still watching and um, that's doing a show every week, a couple times a week. 
you know, um, where a lot of channels just will completely shut down for basically 45 days and do nothing. Um, but I didn't this year. I wanted to see if we could keep it rolling and we've kept it rolling. So it's, it's you guys that have driven this as much as anything. It's a congrats as much to you and power code. Um, because without that kind of support and watching, it doesn't matter whether I'm maintaining or entertaining or not, or bringing anything to bear here on this channel from that standpoint, it's, it's gotta have you guys watching it to make it all happen. So, uh, I'm stoked, man. We're, we're, we're going places here and things are really growing in a way that I, I hope they would. Um, Lawyer Moy went to Voss High. Lawyer Moy, one of my all-time favorite players too. One of my all-time favorite Huskies. Greg, I also don't understand why they don't use DK more on post routes between the 20s to split the safety for or for sideline catches like Megatron did. It's indeed not something that they go to a lot. And, you know, um, they'll they'll do a lot of times of putting me in the slot and then have them run up the up the seam more than they do that. I don't know. Maybe they just don't like him as much on running those routes. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, it's not something that they lean into running very much. I can't remember the last post route I remember DK running down not in the goal line. They'll try to go vertical with them if they do that more than anything else. They'll try to throw it up the sideline. But that's a place to to bring it in. I, maybe they think Greg, it's a trailing, you know, you have the corner. One thing that's going to kill a post route is if you have a, a trailing corner and you have a covers two safety who's playing aggressively on the underneath coverage, meaning he's trying to, yeah, he's staying clean over the top, but if he's in the red zone, he doesn't have to worry about the bomb. He's maybe set up a little bit more to now take away the post route if he wants to jump it a little bit. That would be my guess on it. That doesn't mean it's necessarily what's happening. Nick Guzman, here's a crazy fantasy prediction. Let's say the Falcons are awful through seven games. Trade deadline is coming up. Noah Fant. Our first and second round picks in 2024 for Kyle Pitts. Uh, potentially something that they could look at doing, I guess, you know, for sure. Um, I don't know if the Falcons are going to be awful this year, Nick. They're not really, I know their quarterback position is where it is, but they're in an open division. And I think that uh, they built a pretty good roster. They've made some good signings. They've had some good drafts um, and they build to run the ball. They're, they're, they can manufacture some stuff, offensively speaking, to help themselves out. Um, I think they're going to be at least competing, you know, through the year. And I don't know that they would trade for Noah Fan. He's on the last year of a contract. So maybe to offload offset salaries or something. But unless they're signing Noah Fan to a contract extension, I don't think that he'd be a very valuable part in a trade. But first and second round picks would probably get it done at that point. Especially if he's disappointing again this year. I think you got to probably try to Treat him more like a receiver to Brian's point below. If you do get him, I don't know if he can really do tight end stuff. Greg Kemp says, I'm not sold that Kyle Pitts isn't just another Chase Claypool. I'm with you on it. That's some of my hesitancy in talking about this, Greg, is I'm not, not really quite sure what to think of Kyle Pitts. And I was never buying into the generational talent stuff that was applied to him coming out. Certainly had some eye-popping stuff as far as a player goes in his game, but... He has a little bit of the ultimate tweener, isn't he? Not in the good way of that it derives mismatches, but in the bad way of it. He's more of a man without a position. Will Bigham says, thanks for all you do. Go Hawks. Go Hawks, man. Thank you so much. Brian says, doesn't change the price being too high, especially with a player who's shown little on the field so far. It's a fair point, man. Fair point. Alexander says, night, Brando. Have a good night. Appreciate you. Thank you, uh, Alexander Matthews. You have a good night too, man. I'm glad your channel's having success. Me too, man. 
it's been uh, it, it's been wonderful to see this thing just continue to burgeon and grow and um, it's it's nothing but positivity every time I we go live and get further we're just a few more subscribers deeper we're a little bit further along the way and uh, I I couldn't ask for more from this channel as far as support and the returns of this and just where we're going so excited about the future guys we're gonna be able to write our own ticket and it's a beautiful beautiful thing that we're we're seeing emerging. Nick says, I'm sold on Pitts. He had Mariota throwing to him last season. Pitts can do everything. We can play him uh, on all four downs. The red zone offense would be unstoppable. He's a tough guy for me to get a read on. He is, and you're, you bring up a good point. Um, the guy's not necessarily had great quarterback play since he's arrived there. And uh, guys are going to be sometimes impeded if they don't have a guy that can sling the rock. And it's not going to get that much better for him this year with Desmond Ritter, I don't think, as far as him being a huge jump over the top of Mariota. Um, he might be a marginal upgrade, but you're still, as far as Pitts is concerned, probably dealing with some, some stuff holding you back at that position to be able to go out there and really, you know, ball out. I don't, I, I do agree with Brian though, that I don't think it'd probably Nick cost as a first and a second. You'd probably have to just throw a second at that point to get it done considering where he's been at in his pro career. But uh, we'll see what happens to the Falcons. They might surprise some people this year. Greg Kemp says, the only post route off the top of my head is against the Lions when DK took that big hit. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Sean Elliott gave him a, gave him a smack, but certainly not now. You're, you're, I'm right on the part, Greg. You can't remember we, that they, they don't run a deer than goal line at all. I can't remember it. And so many balls last year that were, if they were down near the goal line and he's basically out there as, you know, ready to roll um, on the outside, they would just run it up. They would run the fade route up the field and then they would have him either try to you know, create the separation on the route or more, they would try to just have him do the contested catch, jump up and take it away thing. And Gino doesn't really throw those balls great. And DK isn't always super consistent in the, the, the trust balls, 50, 50 ball stuff either. Save the key. Seattle needs their first next year for the quarterback class. If they want to trade up for one, it's true. Probably should be considering that, right? Save the geese. That's, that's something that's a good point, man. Could be the year you really go to push and go in that direction. Brian says, you uh, don't ever give up a first and a second for a tight end ever, especially with the strong drafts we've been having the last two years. That's a good point. I can't argue against that. Great point. Greg says, Kyle Pitts can't block. He's running into Jimmy Graham on Hawks problems. Yeah, I just don't think he can do tight end stuff. I'm with you, Nick, on him as a pass catcher with some potential and, and making some noise with that and being very dynamic in that realm. But I don't know if I don't know if he can do the tight end block stuff. But then and then the question goes, boy, can he be kind of a pure receiver at that point? I don't know. I'm uncertain when it comes to Kyle Pitts. I don't have a real firm opinion one way or the other. Uh, Nick says, if I'm not mistaken, Pitts broke the rookie tight end record for yards with the old man Matt Ryan throwing to him. Did he? You might be right on that. So you didn't have a bad first year. Certainly last year was disappointing. But to your point, last 2021 wasn't bad. 68 catches, 1,026 yards. Only one touchdown in 2021. I mean, he's certainly missing those touchdowns you thought you were going to see from him. But he was very productive his first year. That's why I, I can't come to a firm final point on him seeing being one way or the other. I'm not 100% anti-getting him, but 
I think, Greg, your point on this is if you do go and get a guy like that again with the Jimmy Graham guy, you need to have a firmer understanding of what you're trying to get done with him. Are you trying to turn him into an inline blocker or are you not? Um, I would say, Greg, I think that they've learned their lesson with this in respect of you don't use Noah Fant like an inline blocker. You use him like an H-back. Um, there's some times here and there, maybe you kind of put him in there a little bit. For the most part, though, you keep him off ball. And if you're going to get pitched, you got to commit to doing that. But it is a risk um, going out there and getting him, knowing you've, take, you've made this mistake on a very similar type of player in the past with this coaching staff. Greg says, yep, they ran the fade or jump ball. Where was the Saints? Yeah, you got the Saints game, Greg. Remember, there was also the, uh, the Cardinals game at home. That was the one I was in there with Megan in where they ran, I think, a couple in that game down the sideline on, on the jump ball fades. But they don't tend to attack into the middle of the field with them. Which, I mean, you mentioned the lines play where that was the post route that was ran there. You know, part of where you might lean to have them go there is, yeah, he might take a hit, but a lot of these guys, hell, he's going to injure them when they're trying to lay that death blow, right? They bounce off him and takes them a couple extra seconds to come off the turf. So, so it certainly seems to run the routes pretty well, and they seem to have some success when they do commit to, to doing them to some degree. Nick says, getting pits at the age of 22 versus Jimmy at the age of 29 is also a different scenario. Oh, that's true. That's true. And for Nick, for the record, I'm not against it. I'm not say 100% for it, but I'm not against it. I could probably be talked into it if it's under the right circumstances for the right price. I don't know if I can go Nick first and second the more I think about it. I'll tell you that. I, I, I'm, I'll go maybe a, maybe a first. You could be made, but, but even on that, it's like... I don't know. It's an interesting discussion. The part of this that we come down to, though, is I don't think they're looking at moving them in a midseason trade unless they really fall on their face, which they haven't put a, a roster together that's really probably set up to fall on its face. It's got a good offensive line. It can run block. They're committed to the run game. They're going to keep a lot of games close because of that. Um, they're in a wide open division. Their schedule is going to be relatively easy. I think when you go down the line on that, you're looking at at least a team with a floor of like five or six wins which is probably not a team that's at the trade deadline looking to make a move of a guy. Um, considering as well how many teams in recent years have been so reticent to move guys at the trade deadline with the extra 17th game season. Connor, I'm personally not sold. I'm personally sold on using that first for the D-line, whether that means in the draft or in a trade. I'm with you on that. Totally with you on that. Uh, it looks like Brian is too. Um... Nick says, I'm thinking Geno progresses and the offense is even better. If we were going for a Super Bowl, Pitts could just complete the offense to me. Don't think it's a possibility by any means. Uh, and I'm not against doing it, Nick. You know, if you get it for the right price, uh, if, if he's having a, a, re a relatively good season and they're just like, well, we just, we're going to move off to try to build this team back up and pick up some draft picks. And, you know, you're getting him at kind of a depressed value at that point, but he's still really good. The upside then, then I'm okay with it. Um, I'm okay with it. I do think he's a good talent. I don't think he's a generational talent. I think he is an up. I think he is a first round worthy guy. Um, but I think that uh, Greg Kemp also mentioned, or not Greg, but I, I think, um, yeah, Greg Kemp also mentions a couple of very important points here on this. Nick being that at the head of this, beyond what is the value and whether the Falcons are willing to move him, what is the plan for the Seahawks and how they utilize him then? You know, especially on a team with this many pass catching targets at that point, with the tight ends you already have, with DK and Tyler, with Jackson Smith and Jigba, with the running backs that you're going to run, with the balanced offense you're going to have, they they can't just do it of let's just bring this talent in. You'd have to do it with what is the exact plan and the way we utilize him and leaning into his strengths with the plan that we choose. 
uh, it can't be a forgotten about part of uh, the process, in my opinion. All right, well, we are uh, officially about four hours here into the stream. I've hit the bottom of the comments section here, so we're gonna go ahead and put a button on this stream. I wanna thank all of the folks that donated in the channel from Marcus to B, DJ Owen, Garth Knight, Randall McDaniel multiple times over, Megan multiple times over, Roxanne multiple times over, Leland Kimball, Kevin Mullen, Wu-Tang Financial. Thank you so much, you guys, for all of the donations on the channel tonight, all of the support on the channel tonight. I really do appreciate that. You guys are there every week, all the time we go live, and uh, I thank you for that. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday, for the members. We'll be back Sunday. We'll be back Monday. Streams are going to start kicking up as we find ourselves within a week. One mere week, we are inside of it. Training camp. It's a beautiful thing, folks, on a year that's going to be a hell of fun year to watch. We got so many things to monitor, so many things to track, so much about this team that is so very exciting. I hope you guys are going to be with me every step of the way, and uh, you guys can count on we're going to be bringing it on my end of things. Thank you out there to Underdog Fantasy for sponsoring the Hawks Nest and jumping aboard the Hawks Nest, putting their hat in the ring here. If uh, you haven't already, please do go over to Underdog and sign up with them. You can use my code N-E-S-T, that's all caps, N-E-S-T, NEST, and they will match you on your first deposit up to $100. You can have a little bit of extra fun, add an extra layer of the enjoyment in watching football, as that can sometimes do in playing those games and whatnot. So thank you to Underdog for showing your support over there. I really do appreciate it um, for them uh, showing that trust in me, and let's let's go in this respect. Let's We're we're kicking it up here over at the Hawks Nest. Things just keep always evolving, always improving, always getting better, hopefully. Uh, and uh, I, I love seeing it. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. All you guys do for me and all you guys have done for this channel to help us get to where we've gotten. Thank you so much for that. I can't say it enough from the bottom of my heart in that respect. You guys are uh, unflinchingly amazing at every turn. I could not have asked for a, a better community, better support, any of that. So thank you guys, all of that. I'll say it once. I'm going to say it a million times just because it's a thought that always is rattling around through my head. And I really, really do appreciate that from all of you guys. A great stream tonight. Training camp is on the horizon, camp battles, modifications to the team, improvement, fixing what went wrong last season. We'll see if the team takes those steps through training camp. I'll be tracking and monitoring throughout. Be here monitoring and tracking right with me. Let's figure this thing out. Let's see where this team's going to go this season. Let's see if we're ready to take ourselves on a mighty, mighty run to that mountaintop. My name is Brandon Kane. This is the Hawks Nest. I thank you for watching. Please hit that like button. Please subscribe if you're not already. Pumpkin thanks you for watching too, don't you? Yeah, she does. You better believe she does. She also told me, though, just now, I hope you don't forget in a couple of days while we're gone, because sometimes people can forget easily. Don't you ever, ever, ever forget, especially as we now stand on the precipice of the start of training camp. Don't forget. Get your mind right. Get yourself ready. We're about to go on a Super Bowl run. Jump on board this bandwagon. It's overflowing with Seahawks fans as well it should be. You should be excited about this team. You should be hyped up for this team. You should be ready for a run. So get ready, folks. It just might happen. And please don't you ever forget. Go hard.